Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and friends beyond the binary. It's time for the podcaster who's wearing a sweatshirt. Uh, I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not sweating. Oh boy, because I'm happy, I'm comfortable. I'm, I'm wearing a sweatshirt. Should be called a comfort shirt, uh, but that would be confusing because you'd say comfort shirt. What exactly does that mean? Well, it's like a sweatshirt when you're not sweating. Thanks, patrons. It's time for Sleep With Me podcast. I'll put you to sleep. Uh, hey, are you up all night tossing, turning, mind racing, trouble getting to sleep, trouble staying asleep? Well, welcome. This is Sleep With Me, the podcast that puts you to sleep. We do it with a bedtime story. All you need to do is get in bed and turn out the turn out the lights. Why did I say turn out? I almost mispronounced lights. Uh, Turn out the lights and press play. I'm going to do the rest. What I'm going to attempt to do is create a safe place where you could set aside whatever's keeping you awake, whether it's uh, thoughts, you know, things you're thinking about, uh, physical sensations, anything you're feeling in your body or emotionally you're experiencing. Uh, It could be other stuff, you know, external stuff. Uh, could be, I don't know what it could be, like a breathe, you know, snoring, breathing, travel, work schedules, temperature. Here's one we would have never predicted. Like it could be TikTok, like it could be a clock TikToking, like maybe you're visiting somewhere. I didn't mean to bring this to your attention, uh, but it is one of those things when I'm in a guest room or, you know, somewhere that I have to usually deal with is the TikTok of a clock. Uh, you know, because my my brain won't stop, and and then I say, well, 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 you know, then I have to deal with it. Uh, but nowadays, there's also TikTok, which I'm sure, like that's what, like a well, the use of TikTok doesn't span generations. I mean, it does. Uh, it probably anybody within like that's TikTok adjacent, which would be parents, grandparents. Uh, Pop culture, what is it, what pop culture, media gadflies. I'm not 100% sure what that means, but they probably are like, uh, so that that's a new TikTok. You see, like, holy, what, it's spelled differently. Actually, I don't know how to spell TikTok on the clock, uh, but it, like the TikTok, the app, uh, or, or whatever, the, the platform, of course, I'm sorry, TikTok. I didn't mean to refer to you just as an app. Uh, um that could also like so, so there's like I don't know I love it when the language expand I mean I, like I don't think uh, it's exact like exactly what people said when it's like oh the expansion of language and meaning uh, but in this case you say well like maybe it's something you could share with a relative you say well the TikTok and of a clock's been keep, TikTok's been keeping me up and I say oh yeah oh boy can't stop watching it right I, I, like. Uh, can't get enough of that sweet sweet and they say no 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 the clock in the other room and i say oh okay what's it what's what's that tiktok you're talking well don't you don't want to know because uh and then i'm also thinking who you know does my kid use tiktok so anyway okay so so whatever's keeping you awake sorry about that that was an early tangent uh hi uh, so whatever's keeping you awake i'd like to take your mind off of that and create a safe place where you, ha- you know, where where you could set that aside. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to send my voice across the deep dark night, 
I'm going to use these lulling, soothing, creaky dulcet tones, pointless meanders, superfluous tangents. Believe me, uh, like we just witnessed one or two. Yeah, superfluous tangents, you know, misfiring metaphors, extra words, mis, you know, misusing. You say, well, Scoots, that's actually, I've never heard someone get uh, intergener- intergenerate, however you say that word, intergenerational uh, use of TikTok wrong and all. And I say, well, that's what I'm here for. And it's like, so, so whatever's, what I say, oh, I'm going to try to, I'm going to use those techniques and other ones, including just going on and on and not getting to the point. Uh, but I'm really, what I'm really here to do is keep you company. Now, if you're new, you might already be like a little bit dismayed. Another word I don't think I've ever, this may be the first time I've used dismayed in a, uh, the podcast intro. So I'll try not to get distracted by breaking apart dismayed, because that also is a word uh, that I really could have some fun with. But since you're a new listener, I want to take some time uh, to to let you know a couple things. One, yeah, this show's a bit different. It's kind of something you you don't quite passively consume it, but you do passively consume it if you choose so choose to, or you know, like. Uh, you you do one thing less than passively consume it. So it just kind of like go, I don't know. I'm trying to take you on a journey where you can drift off at any point, I guess, like walk at your side. But at some point, these mystic, you know, the mystical powers of sleep kind of just have you drift away from me. And I've noticed with new listeners, a few different things uh, that uh, it can throw them off. One is me and my cre- creaky dulcet tones. Uh, and a lot of listeners say, give it a few tries. It eventually you get used to it. Uh, or some people like it right away. And, you know, the second thing is that I really don't get to the point or make a lot of sense. And it's a little bit goofy. So that's another thing. But kind of see how it goes. I'm your friend. I'm your boyfriend. I'm just here to keep you. I'm like the bedtime jester without the, like all the, like without the th- the hat with the bells on it, of course. Or the shoes with the bells on it, uh, because what would the, how would that help you sleep? Uh, so that's another thing. Then structurally can also throw new listeners off, uh, because the show is structured a bit differently than most normal things and most sleep things. So the show starts off with a few minutes of business. Uh, that's how we keep it free for everybody. And then uh, there's the intro, which is around 12 to 20 minutes or so of me rambling, but that's what, like, at least when you're a new listener, you say, well, is it rambling? What is he doing? Is he talking about the podcast? Uh, and it's more, of a, it's just a monologue, as they still like to say, heavy on the log, uh, in mono, if it stands for monotone, uh, because to, like where it, the whole idea of the intro is that it eases you into bedtime as you're getting ready for bed or as you're in bed unwinding. So this isn't a podcast that is like instantaneous. It, it takes a while. In, in my my experience, like I'm looking to help you get, 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 like ease off into dreamland. I wish I had, you know, if I had another podcast, I mean, I'd be like, I would be a trillionaire if I had a podcast that was like, uh, you know, one, two, three, four. The next time I say dismayed, after that time that I just said it, you'll be asleep. Uh, did I mention 
this is the podcast. Oh, that, I almost said dismay, which is not what should put you to sleep just when I say dismayed. And that would be the end of the podcast. I mean, that would probably be behind a paywall or something because you'd say, okay. But so that's this podcast eases you into bedtime like a friend telling you a story and keep you company to take your mind off of stuff. So that's the beginning of the show. Then there's some business. Then there's uh, tonight we'll be covering, uh, hello, new show, Mandalorian. So we'll be covering the first episode of The Mandalorian. And, you know, man, like there's so many, you know, boring fits right in there. So, man, you're boring me or whatever you want to say. So that's it. Like, so that's the structure. So then there's some thank yous at the end. So that's one thing that can dismay, leave you dismayed, just in case that first dismay didn't work. Uh, but what else if you're a new listener? This is a podcast you don't need to listen to, so you could just barely kind of listen. Because a couple of questions might come up with Mandalorian. One, are you going to spoil it? And I'd say, well, for episode one, I will not, like, I will not, I mean, I'll spoil some of the plot points and stuff, but not the one, like, I won't spoil the one thing that would actually spoil the episode. So I won't do that. I haven't watched episode two yet, so I don't even know uh, what's coming. Uh, so I won't spoil it, but you don't, but you, you, you won't remember, you say, I don't recall a, uh, I mean, I'm mostly talking about the stuff that came up and then researching things that I thought about. So it's not like a critical analysis of the Mandalorian, nor is it a, I don't know, I haven't recorded the episode yet, so I don't know exactly how it's going to go. I mean, I have a lot of notes. I've watched the first episode four times, so maybe I'll watch it one more time before I record it, and then while I record it, I'll have it running. So it'll be more of like appreciating the details and getting curious is what I expect. Uh, because there is a lot to take in and, and, and saying, well, actually, I did enjoy this. I wasn't expecting it. So don't worry. If you've never seen it, you, here's the thing. If you don't intend to see it, because some people with the TV things, they say, well, I'm not a fan of that show. And I'd say, well, that's that means you're perfect for it. Uh, where I say, well, I'm, I'm worried about being spoiled. I'd say, well, that's a, that's a legitimate worry and concern. But I've rarely heard people say, holy cow, when I, you know, like ideally you're asleep for it, right? You know, probably be pretty enjoyable because in this case, it's like a 45 minute, the episode is about 45 minutes, and but I'll be talking about for 50. Uh, but I'll probably also be talking about some research I did about, huh, what's up with that? Uh, so I wouldn't worry, like, it's, it's understandable you'd be concerned, but just kind of see how it goes. I think, I always like, I'm like, I guess I look at it, I try to look at it from your point, but I don't want you to miss out on, uh, on some sleepy stuff. So I guess I'm like trying to speak to, speak to your concerns uh, in a respectful way. I hope I did that, uh, but, but like, uh, so that's uh, then, so that's the structure. What was I saying? You don't need to listen. I think I was saying that. And I think I made that point pretty strongly. Also, no pressure to fall asleep. I'm going to be here for about an hour to keep you company as you drift off. So I guess that's, uh, yeah, I'm going to be here to, to keep you company. Like, so if you can't fall asleep, I'll be here till the very end for you. And if you do fall asleep, that's great too. I'll be here talking whether you're awake or asleep or you listen to the episode in segments. Uh, those are all pretty common things to do. So, 
Uh, that's what to expect. The reason why I make the show is, you know, I, I, I have trouble falling asleep. Getting to sleep. Do you have trouble getting to sleep, staying asleep? Uh, the other stuff? Oh, yes, I do. So I make the show because I know how, you know, the reason is because I know how it feels there. That's why I call it the deep, dark night. Whether it's at 10 p.m., you know, whatever time it is, at least for me, uh, it's not easy. I'm trying to use softer words. But, but the biggest part of the show for me, and I guess the reason it try, tries to be a little bit fun and silly and goofy, is because I'm, I'm really familiar with the bedtime dread. And I'll never forget when it was at its toughest would be like I would start thinking about uh, falling asleep on Sunday before the sun went down on Saturday uh, and, and thinking about Monday when I was in school. So, like, I don't like that's not I don't like I don't think anybody deserves that kind of bedtime dread. Right. You deserve a, a safe place where you could fall asleep. And, and if uh, and if that's not quite possible, because that is like a. Is is at least you, you could could have someone here to take your mind off stuff and keep you company. That's the role I'm trying to fill, and that's why I use those terms: boar friend, boar bud, boar bay, boar sib, boar bestie, boar borean. You know, maybe that'll be a new. I don't think that's quite as catchy as because they have Mando in the show, which sounds nice. Uh, though I don't think it's a nice term in the show. It may be a little bit pejorative. Yeah, like, I don't know. I'd have to ask a Mandalorian that question. But, uh, Borean, uh, like, I guess Bor, you know, Borbud is fine. I, I mean, I think that's more, because you say Borean, is that like anything like, like, uh, Dorian Gray? I'd say, no, I don't think so. And I'd say Dorian, Dorian the Borean, you know, now we're talking. Borean, Dor Borian, have you met my children, Dorian and Borian, Lordian? Though everyone says, is that the same name as somebody from like those, uh, like Tolkien books? No, Tolkien, Tolkien books, Tolkien. Well, do, okay, so it's Borian, Dorian, and Laurelin. No, it's Lor. I forgot. It's a, because it's an imaginary child of mine, Lorian. I think it was. Uh, or maybe that was the actual person in the, um, were they in the fellowship or where? I don't remember. Are you sure it's not Lorelei? Yeah, I'm sure. It wouldn't rhyme with Dorian and Borean and Lorelei. That would be, wait a second. I like the way, you know, I don't know if I like the way that sounds. You know, if I ever, if I ever, if I'm ever in a, like a familial relationship with an elf, uh, or an elven person, a person of elven descent, uh, I'll think about that. Is it was any of the, like, okay? Don't bring up Legolas because I'm like too far afield because I don't even know. Oh, I'm just here to be your boar bud. I guess that's what I was saying. A Dorian, Borian, Lorian, uh, Lorelei, Legolas. Meet the listener. They're just we're just here to keep them company and help them fall asleep, huh? Isn't that nice? Uh, no, no, please, no Elvin singing right now. That's. Uh, too contrasting with the podcast, Lorelei, Legolas. Uh, yeah, just go for. Why don't you just go climb? Yeah, go climb some trees. That's a great idea. Oh no, no, no! Don't sing a tree tree climbing song song while you're climbing the tree. So thank you. No, no, leave on the mystical lights. That would be terrific. I was watching the extended edition of one of those maybe like four months ago. I don't know why that popped in my head. It's just Dorian and 
Borean and Lorian. So, of course, Zorian. And Torian. Yeah, if, I mean, it takes a village, am I right? Uh, oh, you don't want to live in a village where everyone's name rhymes with yours? Oh, Dorian. Maybe you should become an author. Okay, anyway, I'm here to keep you company, take your mind off seven, help you fall asleep. Uh, that's why I'm here. Uh, if you're new, it's perfectly understandable to be uh, dismayed. Hardy har har, maybe that put you to sleep. Uh, or skeptical. A lot of people come into the show skeptical or not sure. Or, you know, temperature neutral. Uh, so see how it goes. I don't know how many, we have like thousands of reviews. And, and that, like in almost every review, uh, says it took a few tries before I got used to it. Uh, and now I use it every night or whatever. So see how it goes. There's no pressure to like the show. I, I can only hope it helps you fall asleep. And if it doesn't work for you, you can always check out sleepwithmepodcast.com slash no thank you. There's other sleepy stuff there. Uh, but I think that's it. I'm really glad you're here. I work very hard. I yearn and I strive, and I really want to help you fall asleep. Thanks again for coming by. And here's a couple of ways we keep this show free for everybody. All right, everybody, Scoots, it's time for a, a new series we're going to be covering. Uh, I don't I actually I have no idea how many episodes they're putting out. I think either six or eight or five or ten. And so just to give people like an idea of what to expect, I actually don't know when this episode's going to be coming out. I'm still trying to balance uh, the good place uh, uh, before like the, the first half of the good place season. Uh, but basically it looks like how the sh- uh, schedule's shaping up for the um, between, I guess probably when you're hearing this would be December of 2019 through the kind of the spring of 2019. I'm expecting... But again, things do change. You do try to plan a lot of this out pretty far ahead of time, uh, just so I can have the episodes there in a consistent basis for you. So the way I'm anticipating it happening is that from December uh, to to, Jan- to December 2019 to December January 2020, uh, I'll be covering the Mandalorian. Uh, then when the Good Place, the last uh, three, two, three, four episodes of the Good Place run, we'll cover them. And we'll kind of see what that release schedule's like, if we'll do back-to-back, like, uh, you know, we'll see how the Good Place coverage develops. I just don't know, like, uh, actually the team, uh, the, the PR team there is gracious enough to, to usually give me a little bit of early access to the, the, those episodes, uh, which is a gigantic help. So I really appreciate that. Uh, so it just kind of depend on what I get to see in, in the production schedule. Uh, then we'll finish out The Mandalorian. Is then we'll do some track. Uh, I have, uh, I think, four episodes of Star Trek The Next Generation done. What I'll do is record two more, uh, not until probably sp- or like uh, late winter, early spring of 2020. And then we'll run those six uh, tr- Star Trek episodes, and then we'll do about six episodes of Doctor Who. And I don't know where that'll leave us, uh, so we'll kind of see. Uh, but that's kind of what to expect, uh, I guess, through the s- s- summer, actually, and maybe the w- fall of uh, 2020. And then, depending on how schedules are, we'll uh, do Good Place Season 2, uh, interspersed with uh, uh, Who and Next Generation. I'm, I'm anticipating, but I can't be positive about any of that. Uh, so I guess that's what's coming up. But tonight, what's coming up is we're covering season one, episode one, or chapter one. I don't. Yeah, it just has the only title is chapter one of the Mandalorian.
Uh, it is on uh, Disney Plus, and uh, I mean, it's uh, I mean, it's uh, the service that a lot of people are checking out. Again, this will be you don't need to have seen The Mandalorian. You don't have to be a fan, whether you uh, are a Star Star Trek fan, a Star Wars fan, or a fan of neither or both. Uh, it shouldn't impact you too much. Uh, I'm on, uh, what do you call that, embargo as far as uh, this, like you kind of learned from the last season of Game of Thrones, I'm on a media embargo. So I'm not, consu- I'm trying not to consume any, any not, not even media, any commentary about uh, Mandalorian at all. Uh, so I really don't know what the critical response has been or the fan response. I mean, I know that uh, it can't be easy making something, you know, Star Wars, it, it comes with a lot of extra expectations. And I, the last, so I watched the first episode five times, I think, uh, either four or five times. This will be, I'm running through it now. And then I've watched for pleasure the second episode. I watched that last night. So, I mean, I'm really looking forward to it. And I think it's perfect for the podcast, uh, especially, uh, it kind of has a perfect uh, running time. It's a flexible running time. And I think by doing one episode at a time, before I was wondering if we would pack two episodes into one episode of Sleep With Me, but I think, and just to try to get lined up with the releases, but what I'm going to do is just do a slow spread of these, because there's a lot of stuff I can research, uh, which is, it hasn't been necessarily possible with some of the other series um, recently. And then... um uh, what else? Oh, one other thing I think with the research is I don't think I'm going to do any Star Wars research. Uh, like, I'll just research other subjects. Like, so if I'm wondering about uh, Calamari Flan, uh, I'm going to leave it to the show to, to, to exposit that for me. I mean, that one's pretty obvious. I was, well, except for, is, that, is the coin, are the coins made of ice? I don't think so because they would have melted. And I don't necessarily looking for the answer because because I, I think uh, right now the Star Wars related universe is so vast. But I I like being taken on the journey uh, that the team uh, behind the Mandalorians taking me on. So I don't really know a lot about Mandalorians. I, I would consider myself a fan of Star Wars, but not a super fan. Um, though, I mean, I probably consume more than a like uh, an average. I would say, yeah, fan, not a a passerby. So I've seen all the movies multiple times. I've read some of the extended universe books, but not a lot of them. Uh, I've read some of the comic books. I've seen some, a few episodes of star Wars, clone wars, and maybe one episode of one other series, though that may change. I may watch some of those for fun. Uh, so with that, let's get into the content here. I'm going to hit play, uh, and start reading. What does that say? Ouchful HD new star new oh new Star Wars. I don't know what that says. Uh, but the, 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 oh, maybe that's a Disney Plus thing. New Star Wars Marvel type uh, opening, uh, which flashes a helmet. It goes to Vader, BB-8, uh, C-3PO, Kylo, R2, and then maybe a Rebel and a Trooper, and then Mardo. I don't know what that says. And then the Star Wars. And then we have a beeping, beeping, beeping. Uh, We see left hand holding something. uh, Snow flurries. Uh, The title comes up. uh, 
Oh no, that's tile. I didn't look. I, I, I thought that's title, but it's just. They said, "Huh, it's like one of these tile things. Uh, somebody's looking for their phone or something." I mean, I think we see it's a Mandalorian. Uh, they put it. They put it in their belt. We see about six buildings. There's lights on the roof, uh, like a like a kind of a Arctic village. Uh, uh, you see, yeah, Mandalorian. Uh, then we see this green fish-like person. Or being in two perfumers uh, or perfume suppliers, they're looking to make a wholesale deal with this uh, uh, fish-like being. The door opens. This they uh, hit the WTF. Uh, they said, "Don't let the cold out," uh, because they said you don't have uh, like a airlock or what. I learned just this morning doing the research: a vestibule is the proper term. It really seems inefficient. Uh, I mean, it, it was cool, but uh, it just said maybe they could use my consulting on this uh, uh, exoplanet. Uh, so we'll talk about those vestibules later. Very cool music right away. And I mean, holy mackerel, uh, music really, and, and the sound effects. Uh, it did, It did. when I was first doing my research, I said maybe we'll do a side-by-side a side side with Boba Fett. Uh, but I decided against doing too much Star Trek research. Uh, but they are different. Uh, very different, I'd say. Mando spills uh, one of the um, perfumer's drinks. Uh, the bartender's stressed out about the whole thing. Uh, we kind of get the first hint of this this thing called Beskar Steel, which is going to, it seems like it's going to have a lot of meaning in this. Uh, uh, and that's kind of some of the armor that the Mandalorian wears. Uh, that doesn't say mistletoe, cool lemon more, uh, but I think it, it's like a cool move, uh, uh, cool learn more, mistletoe, cool lemon more, or uh, but I think that there's like all these moves, uh, yeah, there's like just cool action. Yeah, then I said part fish man, heartfelt gratitude, bounty puck. Uh, uh, then three, three minutes and 14 seconds. I'm already past there. Let's get back to that. Uh, oh, there's the title at 324, 315, 309. Look, uh, must be some mistake. Uh, I could get you more credit. Oh, oh, I know what it is. There's like, uh, uh in the windows, there's like bottles and, uh, what are those things called? Like fishing, uh, like, uh, fishing nets or something. Uh, in the window behind the fish dude that's what it says uh warm or cold oh that's what he says to the fish person uh and they put fro you know co- he's frozen in carbonite cold or warm and then the title and then there's more music as they're walking off but gray skies they go to a taxi stand and this being we've seen before who works at the taxi stand uses a piccolo or a recorder to call taxis, which I liked. Uh, very efficient. And uh, we learned the Mandalorian does not like working with droids. Uh, there's a lot of uh, speeders. Uh, we hear the term Ravenax or something. Uh, oh, the speeders are a bit like hovercrafts. Oh, we heard, heard about gray holes, which I think is like gray water uh, that people just dump, just like cruise ships, which is caused to the Ravenax and, and, uh, to kind of come closer or something. And then I think the fish person mentions a celebrity cruise or something. And then 
they paid the Mandalorian pays cash for the cab ride. The cab ride goes out. Then it's like a little bit like the movie Beetlejuice with the Ravnak or whatever, which is a tusk-based creature. I think the fish person says thank Farrick, uh, which must be their god or someone they're thanking. Uh, very nice helmet. They uh, put nothing shocking. Uh, let's see. They make some. Then they get on the Mandalorian ship, which is not impressive to the fish person. Uh, they make so, small talk. Razor crust. I don't know what that was. Pre Empire. Do you never take off the helmet? Uh, back tube, which is like their uh, bathroom. He says, can I use your back tube? I got to empty the thorax. You think this was maybe good to establish in the first episode that there's no camera, like security cameras, at least on the Mandalorian ship? Because, uh, or maybe there is, I guess, I don't know. Uh, but the fish guy, he starts wandering around. There's no toilet seat. He seems to be wearing some kind of flight jacket or flight suit, uh, uh, like like a like an old school one you'd see. So he talks about Life Day and Solstice. Someone on a podcast said that Life Day is in November. Um, I'm not positive about that. We see all other carbon buddies. Uh, the dude says, "Yeah, I guess I'm not uh, as smooth as I thought I was." And the Mandalorian says, "Nope." And he says, "I got an onboard carbonite machine." Yeah, then we head to a new music, new planet, uh, more new music. Uh, there's cloudy but blue skies. Uh, it looks, uh, what does it say? It looks cold. They go to a bar, a throwback Star Wars bar. Um, very classic Star Wars, very dark. Uh, we meet Carl Weathers, who is the head of the guild. He says, did you catch them all? They said, holy Pokemon. Uh, I couldn't tell, and I needed it. Like, I watched this one time with my daughter. I think he turns in the trackers, actually, like the tile tracker, but I'm not positive. Okay, wait, I'm watching this. This is Razorcrest. That's the style of a ship, a pretty empire ship that the Mandalorian flies. So it wasn't too off. I put Razorcrust. Uh, okay, did you catch them all? Uh, he says, uh, oh, he, he, got, he says, I don't take Imperial credits. They're not worth, they're worthless. Uh, yeah, we get the idea that times are tough. Uh, so he gets paid 50% in calamari flan, calamari flan cargo gets offloaded. Uh, he says, what jobs you have? Three bail jumpers, water smuggler. Uh, we I can hear a little bit about the guild here. The, there's a lot of competition that are, you know, non-trades people uh charging you know non-guild rates uh we learned the highest bounty is five thousand which isn't even enough to pay for gas uh but he does have a puckless job uh this is carl weathers we do deep pockets we hear the term chain code a few times uh in chit uh, i don't know what this one is uh no chain code here's the chit uh out sh- showers uh I don't know what that means, but he goes, starts walking through the village. Uh, it was thirteen thirty. There's a, he walks past the dude. I put nice hat, yo. Uh, so that's worth catching. So moving into this part of the episode, and kind of, I really like uh, enjoyed, and it was in an unexpected way that uh, 
And I don't know if a lot of people played like uh, role playing games either on a computer or in person, uh, but particularly like in, in on, a, on a computer when you're playing by yourself. This is like an important sequence of uh, you're in the village and you go meet with the guild, you get some jobs, and then you go, you make a couple other stops, right? So I really liked the sequence. It just really reminded me that this show also has kind of this like fantasy element to it too. Uh, knock, knock on the door. Why choose a pinky box? Droid legs. Uh, why choose a pinky? Wonder what that means. Uh, maybe I'll see in a minute. There we see a box droid on legs. Uh, uh, clear, uh, was it Imperial? Uh, then we see worn down, dirty stormtroopers, uh, and uh, they say, "What in the Werner? Uh, holy cow! Uh, holy Herzog!" Which is great. Uh, I think his name's Grief Cargus. Maybe uh, said you were coming. Oh my, no, that's Carl Weathers' character, Grief Cargus. I think here's the bar sequence. A little bit less dark on. Uh, uh, this one, you, did, you just said, did you catch them all? The holy Pokemon. It is the tracker, it looks like. So uh, to me, that means uh, that we must all have, uh, like, at this planet, everyone has a chip, I guess. And uh, um, whatever that other one is, code. Uh, what do they say? Code block or whatever, chain code. Um, so let's see. Best in the Parsec, we meet Dr. Pershing. Lacks decorum, according to Werner. Uh, oh, there's Holy Herzog. I did write that. I like the odds. Uh, we learned that the Mandalorian was so a really good establishing character in within the Star Wars kind of nods because he says, geez, I like these odds. Uh, doesn't like droids. He, he shows off. Oh, uh, I think Werner Herzog, Herzog's character's named... Uh, the client, I believe. Uh, but he, he shows some real Beskar steel. He says, go get the asset. Uh, uh, they talk about pragmatism, no puck, uh, tracking fob, and the last four digits of the chain code, which is your date of birth. Uh, uh, so that's like a convenient if you're, but, but uh, uh, so this, the, the assets chain code is 50 years old. Yeah, more Beskar, where that's uh, coming from. And uh, the, the Herzog's character loves Mandalorian. He says it'll be good for this Beskar to be back in the hands of a Mandalorian or something. And restore the natural order of things. Uh, so that was cool. Let me see here. They're going through the city. Jawas, maybe that was something. We do see some Jawas. And I said something about a pinky, though. Okay, he's walking through the village. Here comes the dude with the hat. He's going to, yep, there he is, guy with the big hat. Uh, and Mandalorian looks pretty cool. I haven't seen it with, uh, when I was watching it on my TV, it was very dark. Uh, my TV might be too dark. Um, got one of those magic eye doors. He shows like a chit or an ID card. Uh, Looked like the 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 um, ring doorbell was part organic and part real. Uh, there's a droid waiting at the door. He follows the droid, I guess. Maybe his pinky was out. I don't know. Maybe I was wondering if he's left-handed. 
a two-legged droid instead of a rolling one. Uh, door opens. We see these rough-looking uh, stormtroopers. Uh, clearly, the fall of the Empire. Oh, grief. G-R-E-E-F, uh, according to the subtitles. Uh, okay. Oh, when he leaves the room, there's one last look to the stormtrooper. We see more of the city. We get more role-playing game type feel action. Because uh, I really like the sequence. Because he goes into the Mandalorian, goes into a basement. Uh, we hear some surf guitar. And he goes into like their hangout. Like uh, we see a couple of Mandalorians on the left, one on the right. The two on the left are playing a game. Uh, some helmets have antennas, uh, some don't. Then we see possibly the Mandalorian goddess, uh, like the face of the goddess. Uh, we go into this like temple, forged temple uh, with a silver uh, metalsmith or something. I guess the Beskar smith, uh, they nod to one another. He turns in, so there's like a tithing almost. Like he turns in the cash and the Beskar steel. Uh, they talk about the Great Purge. Good that this is back with the tribe. Uh, has your signet been revealed? Well, that's a mysterious thing to me. This is why I don't want to read anymore. Uh, good, she says. Uh, does she say Podrick is in order? I don't know. That's what I wrote. It, it sounded like it. Uh, we'll get there eventually. Uh, some images. Uh, then, oh, there's like a flashbacks. Uh, she talks about if, uh, the, 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 like the leftover steel. We'll go to the foundlings. Oh, this was a flashback uh, where we see him. Uh, presumably, everyone's in red robes. Uh, then he upgrades his armor. Only one piece. So again, this is like very cool. Like he gets one shoulder piece of new armor. And clearly, the Speskar steals something. There's something to it. I mean, it. Uh, uh, then there's a zoom uh, on him. Then the next planet comes up is Bad, bad Lands. Uh, uh, oh, he's walking, carrying his, uh, uh, like, his tool. And I said, he must have really strong forearms because he's carrying this long thing. Uh, his left hand, the fob's in his left hand, so I don't know if he's uh, left-handed or not. Uh, then he's looking through something, six fifteen, like a binox. Uh, he meets a horse who tries to kiss him, and not far behind the horse comes a new friend who says uh, they have spoken. And this kind of looked like it's a famous person's voice, but it almost like like seemed like maybe uh, it, it uh, like the, the character was based on like at least had the haircut of Ron Perlman or how I expect like the facial hair of Ron Perlman to be, uh, but it's not Ron Perlman's voice. So it did throw me off for, for like two or three watches, and then I said, "Okay," I knew whose voice it was, and then I said, "Okay, I can roll with this now." Okay, so now he's going into the temple, which is a cool part. Uh, I just want to see what the dialogue that I didn't understand was, since I didn't have, this is the first time I watched it with subtitles. Uh, so the forge, forge the the black blacksmith, uh, uh, metalsmith, silversmith, uh, they nod, uh, they sit for across from one another. He gives over the cash. It looks like all of it, uh, and the steel.
but it might not be all of it. He's four calamari flan coins or whatever. Gathered in the Great Purge. Uh, good back with your tribe. Yep. A pauldron would be in order. Has your signet been revealed? No, not yet. Uh, soon. Uh, then I go take the metal. They get to work uh, making this armor. So we have a little sequence there. It kind of showing that kind of like that there's a religious or faith significance probably to it. Feels a little bit like the House of Black and White in uh, GOT. Uh, we see something getting cast, uh, and then a zoom. Now I think it's flashback time. Extremely generous. Excess will sponsor many foundlings. That's good. I was a foundling once. Uh, yep, no doubt about it. I knew that. Uh, yeah, then we see the foundling. Uh, we say, okay, which I think helps moving forward into the next episode. Uh, or maybe, I don't know, episode three. We'll see if it, uh, uh, how it impacts uh, the plant, whatever the Mandalorian, wherever the choices Mandalorian's going to make. Also, Mandalorian's got a sweet, sweet cape. Uh, I mentioned that somewhere. Okay, let me get back to it. Uh, okay, 6.15. Oh, the horse buddy. They go back to his place. Uh, they have spoken. Windmill. Uh, there's some exposition and joking. Uh, then there's kind of a training sequence. Uh, like Then we learn that this character also has a lot of Mandalorian love. Uh, uh and something Mandalorian love and Mifflauser, yo, get to it. Uh, I don't even know what that means. Mandalorian love and uh, Mifflauser, yo, get to it. Yes, you did it. Uh, so I don't know. That's interesting. Let's uh, check it. Uh, says, okay, let's train you on the horse. I mean, that's the horse training sequence. Uh, I have spoken. Uh, this is the joking sequence here. Training. Uh, uh, get you know. Come on. I saw you were a Mandalorian. Okay. Oh, Mythosaur. I think that's maybe what it says uh, that I couldn't read. Yeah, Mythosaur. Yo, your your ancestors rode the Mythosaur. Uh, get to it. Yes, you did it. Uh, then there's journey music. Uh, is a journey to kind of find the uh, asset. There's it almost looks like stop motion. So I, again, I haven't read anything about this, but uh, it was either there's some sequences in both these episodes that feel like stop motion, even if it's motion graphics, uh, which is cool. Dude won't take any pay. He goes, "There's no peace till everybody's gone." Plus, you know, I've heard all these stories of Mandalorians always wanting to meet one and hang with one. So he says, peace out, I've spoken. Oh, that's when we see the Mandalorian's cape. It looks really good. He crawls to the edge. Uh, edge. Uh, I didn't know if he had gaiters on or boots. Uh, I couldn't tell. Now he has a telescope. Before he was using his scope, so I don't know if his scope on his thing is removable. He looks down. There's lots of crew down there. He has two-toned gloves, by the way. We see a readout 97.479. Uh, then there's a bounty droid, which uh, 
is again actually it seems like a practical effect i don't even know if it's so good of motion graphics uh, or maybe i just can't tell uh but it looks like a lot of effort went into the motion of that thing it's an ig droid like ig88 was originally the most famous one the bounty droid says, subparagraph 16, a bondsman guild protocol waiver. You got to give up your assets. And all the uh, uh, crew says, we'd rather give up our A-double. You know, we're not going to give up our asset. We're going to give up our A-double, you know, bounty buns. Uh, Mandalorian says, who is this fool droid? Uh, very spinny, um, said asset. I liked that. Mandalorian has a big sigh. IG units stand down. We get an armor test of the new armor. Works great. Uh, he says, I'm in the guild. Uh, creaky dulcet droid. That's what I put. Uh, great voice on that droid. Very creaky dulcets. Uh, so much, you know, let's work together. Maybe, maybe not. Looks like there's a king size bed in the middle of the, um, the, what do you call that? The, the square or whatever. Also red barrels, which uh, usually get used in uh, these uh, things, but they didn't get used in this one. No surprise. Give me the fob. Let's split it and we'll regroup. Uh, as long as I get the re reputation points, the droid says, which again reminded me of that thing. Uh, uh, reputation merits. Uh, alert, alert, alert. That was funny. More action. Uh, more IG stop motion feel movement. Uh, love the motions. Uh, then it, it says I got to do some self-care for a little while. Uh, the Mandalorian tries to hotwire the door. No dice. Uh, oh, this is worth it. If you're on your third or four watch of this, go to 3130. Right around 3134, like they're having like a, like a dance off or whatever. Someone, I listened to it twice. Someone yells Hakuna Matata uh, right around 31, 34. Definitely listen. They say Hakuna Matata. I thought that was funny. I think, uh, uh, Pined Ha 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 Hell New Plan. Uh, very Western and video game like. Oh, it reminded me of a video game, uh, that the second edition came, or the second, the sequel came out recently about redemption um red redemption it's called red big farm redemption uh video game sequence uh something kermitel wiring heroics let's see basically mandalorian makes some moves uh they get in, they take out everybody, like the sequence from the video game and the dance-off. Uh, then they get the door open, which is cool. There's sound effects. Uh, we see a small cradle uh, with a toy from the Muppet Babies in there. Big cute, that's what I put. Uh, uh, they must have, oh, this is a question. Uh, again, uh, again, I'm proposing this. Do they have to, because they have a discussion of the IG droid and the Mandalorian. And it makes me wonder if they have two different um, clients, uh, which would make it even cooler. And also now the flashbacks kind of make a little bit more sense. Uh, there's like this ET finger move moment because uh, uh, the Mandalorian sends the IG droid away. 
uh, to the big farm, kind of. I mean, it seems like the IG droid would be back, uh, uh, but you never know. Then there's credits music, which I love. Absolutely, the credits music and the credits are amazing. Uh, and there's so there's this amazing music, and then the paintings. Uh, there's 11 paintings, I believe, um, at the end of the episode. And, uh, yeah, there's like worth multiple watches. Uh, see Mando hanger. My handwriting's really bad on that. So let me see. I think it must be the last one. Oh, we saw the Mandalorians hanging out playing games. That was it in one of the paintings. And that is how the episode comes to a conclusion. I'm just watching it now. The case is you're checking the Muppet Baby toy. Uh, he says, uh, this is when we say they have, uh, I, I want to say, I think they probably have different clients. Uh, Mandalorian says, I'll take this one. Um, and Hydrodroid takes a nappy poo. And now we have the ET finger movement is cooing. It says, uh, yeah, one last wide or medium, uh, image, uh, of, uh, uh, E.T. finger touch to touch. And yeah, then it's uh, the paintings, which is a really cool. Yeah, let's see. There's a. Uh, oh, yeah, there's a. You, you may, we'll see what uh, what these paintings hold. They're very, um, like, uh, um, whatever they're like, pulp fiction y out of the novels and stuff. All right, let's run through some of the uh, research here. First thing is chit, C H I T. Don't you know? Uh, no, C H I T is what I said. Uh, which, according to the Cambridge Dictionary, is a noun, C H I T, a note giving information or showing a sum of money that is owed or has been paid. Uh, yeah, it's uh, in the U.S. and the U.K. Uh, some. Uh, a chit, you know, after your flight, or a chit for the dry cleaners. Oh, it can also mean young and silly. Uh, show how much money you owe, and that's it. So that's chit. Uh, now, puck, this is another thing that came up. Uh, I said, oh, what about puck? A uh, couple pucks. Uh, so we'll start with the Wikipedia puck from folk folklore. Uh, also known as uh, Robin Goodfellow, domestic, uh, nature sprite, or fairy, or not great uh, friend. The etymology, according to Wikipedia, is uncertain. It was in, it was Paca in Old English, or Puka, uh, pu- Pucky, Puki in Old Norse, uh, Puke in Swedish, uh, P-U-K-E, I mean, I'm sure it's pronounced differently. Uh, Welsh, Cornish, Irish, uh, and it could, so it could occur, they're not sure. Uh, uh, Oxford English Dictionary favors the Scandinavian. Yeah, but there's, uh, there's also alternative names, Robin Goodfellow, Hob. Maybe that's where Robin came from, uh, which is Robin Goodfellow in a couple of different plays. Uh, Shakespeare may have gotten it from other uh, authors, uh, maybe some Spanish authors. Uh, so... Uh, characteristics. Uh, is it a trickster? Oh, no. If you had the knack, a puck might do mi- minor housework for you. Needlework, butter churning. Oh, but knavish tricks. So this is a bit like the c- cat in the hat or um, a lot of these. Uh, 
you got to leave uh, pucks, small gifts, gifts, uh, glass of milk or treats. Um, yeah, but they, you know, they could be up to no good. They're lonely. Uh, so they definitely are looking to f- uh, f- acquire friends. Uh, Shakespeare's characterization, shrewd and knavish, uh, may have revived flagging interest in Puck. Uh, That's from A Midsummer's Night Dream uh, in literature as early as the 16th century and all the way to, uh, uh, I guess there's, uh, oh yeah, they're even in the new Amazon series, Carnival Row. I haven't seen that yet, but it says it there. So that's one kind of Puck. Uh, what about a hockey puck? I don't really know too much about him. I mean, one of my roommates was a hockey player. It's a disc of vulcanized rubber uh, using games just like a ball, ice hockey. Uh, also referred to as a flat ball. It used to use balls, uh, but 1870, they used flat pucks of wood or rubber uh, to keep it from leaving the rink of play. They were made first by slicing a ball, then trimming the disc square. The Victoria Hockey Club of Montreal is credited with making the first round pucks. Uh, flat ball comes from old England. Uh, the origin of puck is uh, unsure. Uh, it could be a cognate of poke uh, used in the game of hurling. Uh, a Scottish Gaelic puck or Irish puck to uh, poke or, or hit, hit, hit you know, ball. So there's variations, but the standard is a six ounce, 170 gram, gram hockey puck or four ounce, 110 for training. Or sometimes people use heavier um, ones. Uh, then there was like in the 90s, they tried to colorize pucks uh, so people would watch more hockey. I don't know if this is when I had my internship. It was like the only time I watched a lot of hockey was when I had an internship, uh, which like, uh, but uh, that was in the 90s, I guess, uh, both those things. So, and then there was a smart puck uh, that uh, Fox used to, to track it and make it easier. And, uh, yeah, major manufacturers of pucks uh, are in Canada, Russia, Czech Republic, and China, China and Slovakia. So that's a little bit about pucks. How about that? There's also pucks in roller hockey and under, wait a second, underwater hockey. Yeah, this is why we do the research. An underwater ho- hockey puck, uh, uh, it, differ, it differs and it has a lead core uh, to s- sink into a swimming pool. Wait, there's a game called underwater hockey. Let me, I'm sorry, I gotta make a, yep, there's pictures of it. Uh, doesn't look like regular hockey though. It's a limited contact sport, mainly in the UK. Octopush, it's also called. Yeah, I would, I, I guess I wouldn't mind playing this game. It started in 1954. I mean, talk about, uh, uh, yeah, so that's just, you learn something new every day. I mean, strange truth is stranger than fiction. People really play underwater hockey. I don't know, I'm trying to find out. Uh, Octopush, Crystal Palace Pool, London, there's a picture of that. Uh, 66, I don't know if it's still going on, though. 1980. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess so. I guess 2009. So there's something new.
Okay, next is the term guild gets used. Uh, so I thought I'd, uh, like, of course I'm going to use that to, to use a jumping off to talk about something else. But the guild is usually an association of artists or merchants who oversee the practice of their craft or trade in a particular area. Uh, they, like, uh, they usually operate in a single city, cover a single trade, kind of like a professional association or trade union. Uh, but it also has our uh, aspects of a cartel or secret society. Sometimes needed grants or letter letters, patents uh, from a monarch. Um, uh, they could have guild halls, uh, guild meeting places, and uh, guild members were the only ones allowed to sell their goods or practice their skills within a city. A lot of good fiction. Uh, you know, it was written on with the guilds, but one of my favorite pieces that really uh, led to this podcast only, I mean, not content wise, but inspiration wise, uh, was the web series The Guild, which you don't want to ruin it. I mean, I've talked about it on the podcast before, but you should just look it up. Uh, it was uh, uh, created and written by Felicia Day, uh, who plays Codex, uh, Sid. It started in YouTube in 2007, ran until 2013. Uh, follows the Knights of Good, and uh, I guess I don't know if I've seen the, the these more recent seasons. I thought I would like, uh, I maybe saw season five, or maybe I'm getting five and six confused. But uh, really, when I saw season one and two, uh, maybe like maybe when season two or season three were running. I was trying to write a YouTube comedy with two other people. One of the people refused to watch the guild. Uh, uh, but I said, like, I just use it as like, say, this is possible to make something and put it out in the world, write something and then produce it yourself. And then to produce something, which in Felicia Day's case was amazing. Uh, uh, like just very funny, great characters. Uh, so do yourself a favor. If you've never watched uh, the guild, uh, watch it. Uh, I guess, and you'll fall in love with all the characters, and then you'll know a lot of the performers. Uh, so, yeah, do yourself a favor, check out the guild. I'm sure it's still on YouTube. Um, what else? Oh, Pokemon. I don't really know a lot about Pokemon, believe it or not. I think that's what you got to catch them all. Uh, it's been around uh, since, in, like, in 1995. Uh, uh, humans are Pokemon trainers, and they c- got to catch uh, the Pokemon, uh, which you got to catch them all. Uh, it began as Pokemon Red and Green, then Red and Blue, which were games for the original Game Boy. Uh, and then it became a media mix franchise, uh, highest grossing media franchise of all time, $90 billion, holy. Uh, second best-selling video game series behind Mario, 340 million billion mobile downloads. It has a Pokemon uh, Go, which is super popular. I haven't played that, but uh, just because of my addictive personality, uh, you know, I had the Harry Potter one. I had to uh, delete that. Uh, I had the movie come out uh, that it was supposed to be really good. I was going to go see it, and I didn't. Uh, Pokemon Detective Pikachu. So... You know, I'm trying to think. It had a Super Bowl ad, a Super Bowl 50. Let's see, there's been an yeah, animated series, television specials, uh, televisions and film, a theatrical performance, a musical, a trading card game, trading figure game, uh, music. Uh, oh, wait, there's a, okay, hold on. 
most importantly, I guess there's a theme park. Oh, it's a traveling theme park. Uh, both are closed. One in Japan and one in Taiwan. 2005-2006. Uh, that would have been cool. So I missed out on that. Okay, but that's 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 a little bit about Pokemon. Okay, what else can we get through here? Let's uh, hovercraft. I'll just mention uh, that's an air cushion vehicle. I always dreamed of having a riding on a hovercraft. Uh, uh, they can try, they're amphibious. Uh, uh, they use blowers to put a large volume of air below the hull, an air cushion uh, that's above af- atmospheric pressure. And, you know, I looked at the G.I. Joe one. I also just would see people like, uh, it was kind of like a jet ski, like a personal hovercraft. I dreamed, like, when I was like a kid of having my own personal hovercraft. Uh, I don't think they ever really caught on, like, wide scale. Uh, they are still used uh, for travel. Uh, civilian, non-commercial, uh, they're used. So there's an extensive uh, Wikipedia article about them. So it's pretty cool. To, if you want to learn more about hovercrafts, Cash Cab. This is one of the people I get compared that I look like, Ben Bailey, the host of Cash Cab. Uh, I've seen ads for it or, or, or clips from it. I've never seen the show. I just don't have a lot of time to watch any television. But uh, it's been going since 2005 to 2012, and then new seasons in 2017 and 2018. Oh, no, it says Ben Bailey. I don't know. But Ben Bailey. Oh, no, it was revived. Yeah, Ben Bailey. It's part of a global cash cab franchise that started in the U.K. Yeah, so uh, let's see. There was a spinoff, Cash Cab After Dark. You wonder who they got that idea from. So that's another thing. I don't know if I necessarily, I guess people say I look like Ben Bailey. Even, not even like when I, at my old job, people used to say that. I can kind of see it, see it uh, uh, but uh, I don't know. Uh, he's got nicer hair than me for sure. And then someone actually tweeted to both of us recently. Um, Ian said, because uh, I think he was having trouble falling asleep. Uh, so, And that was unrelated to looks, so I thought that was funny. Okay, so let's talk about vestibules last. If you live in New York or Chicago, those are the two places I've seen vestibules. And when I lived in New York, uh, I always thought it was cool how almost instantly when it got cold or before it got cold, these vestibules, which was like uh, they would be outside of all the restaurants and bars or a lot of them. And this is a core question. Why do many New York City restaurants have plastic box-like extension and plastic doors at their entrances? And it's because uh, so the cold air doesn't get let in. Uh, but it turns out it's like it went a little deeper. So Eater has an article about it, uh, how restaurants stay warm in the w- winter, investigating the vestibule that keeps out the cold. And they talk about how, you know, they like, uh, there's like usually a heater in there. Uh, so you go in from the cold into a nice warm restaurant and it's very hospitable, uh, hospitable. Uh, let's see. Winterizing can change in a dining experience. No one wants to sit close to a drafty door. Uh, narrow vestibule erected on the sidewalk. Some cities prefer one style over others. Acrylic and vinyl ones are a fascination in New York. 
Yeah, you know, I, I've seen him in Chicago. I don't know if I've seen him anywhere else. Uh, New York's obsession with vestibules is what this article is about. Uh, and it just talks about it and the heating elements. Uh, and actually, I guess there was a New Yorker article from 2005, Ian Parker. Uh, so it's really interesting. Vestibule season, they average about 2,400, but they can go up to 25,000. And local laws, I'll think, link to another article, but yeah, there's even laws. Uh, two years ago, uh, let's see, uh, maybe restaurants, temporary ones, uh, let's see, vestibules, uh, you know, local laws, maybe pay a play a role in, not, in keeping them out. I don't know. I think it's a great idea because, so, I mean, especially in New York where no one drives, it's like... Uh, it's nice to just get really warm. Uh, I don't know. Does it matter? It matters. I think so. Because then you don't have to have, uh, you only need one door to the restaurant. Uh, so, yeah, it's a little bit about vestibules and a little bit about episode one of The Mandalorian. Good night. All right. Hey, everybody. It's time to talk about uh, season one, episode two, chapter two, actually. Of the Mandalorian. I don't know if chapter one had a name. Chapter two does have a name. Uh, but let's not get ahead of ourselves. It uh, starts with a recap. Oh, by the way, if you don't watch Mandalorian, don't worry about it. You won't. You'll sleep through this one. But it starts with a recap. I will help you. A couple notes I looked up. Uh, Muppet Babies, E.T. Finger. Uh, then there's the Lucasfilm, the Star, the new Star Wars kind of Marvel-esque opening, some drums. Oh, I didn't look at this up because I looked up platypuses too many times or platypi. But I put a platypus something, we see, kind of sniffing. Well, I guess if it's a platypus, it wouldn't be sniffing around. Well, I don't know. Do platy- can platypuses smell? I don't know. I mean, I know. We, can you smell a platypus? Uh, there'll be another children's book one day. I mean, I know it doesn't look really like a platypus, but I got to do it. You know, platypus is one of those things you could talk about. On, uh, that's a creature you could talk about on a sleep podcast. Uh, we see some boots made for walking, and that's just what they do. A canyon, uh, kind of like a little bit like a, reminded me of the part of Bryce Canyon I've never been in. I don't know. Is this the first time we see the floating pram? I don't know if it is. Uh, that would be a good magician. Or it was that over in Encyclopedia Brown, the case of the floating pram. This one floats on air, though. Uh, then the platypi are watching. The flo- they say, we've never even, we're platypuses. We've never seen a pram before, but we've definitely never seen a floating pram. Uh, and the Muppet Baby, uh, which has multiple nicknames from me, watches uh, the platypi. Uh, it's a man. It's the Mandalorian who occasionally I call Mando stops. Uh, there's a cool shadow in the background, but the Mandalorian is ready. And then we get some Mando moves. I said, holy Mando moves, exclamation point. And we get, uh, uh, let's see, Mando moves. We're okay. Baby's okay, though. A lot of more fobs looking for this baby. Uh, so much, this was, there's so many Mando moves that the man, Mandalorian had to breathe, uh, zoom. And then the episode opens, chapter two, the child. 
and uh, right beacon repairs lantern. Okay, this is night. That actually says, uh, and it's not a beacon, it's a lantern. And the Mandalorian's doing some repairs. Uh, Yodapu, that's the first one, watches uh, the Mandalorian doing some repairs. And then Yodapu gets out, tries to do, tries to help. Uh, Mandalorian's doing some breathing, a lot of breathing. Uh, Yodapu reaches out. He says, get back in your crib, kid. He goes back to work, and then he's trying to fix his breastplate, which also needed to be rewired. Is this the right sequence? I, I guess, like, uh, oh, because when is this from? Oh, because this is from, like, the end of the last episode. That's right. Watching too much Mandalorian, that's why. Uh, oh, now it's Kid Yoda who's back. Uh, we, we He says, no, 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 I don't need your help. Back in the crib, we see Kid Yoda's baby teeth. Uh, then there's some big music, and you see, what is this big music for? Oh, it's sun, sunrise, uh, and then the man, just a mando and a baby walking. Then noise music, I don't know what that means, but that'll come in important later in a different way, so I don't know if it's the same noise music. Uh, then we see Jawas, uh, that's J-A-W-A-S, I believe, scavengers, uh, they have the big tank building because they, they're, they're, they're scavenging. Uh, they strip down the Mandalorian's ship and they take, they, they took some of the parts, I guess, who were already on board the big tank. A crawling Fortress, I think is what he calls it later. It has four tracks. They take off with what they had. Uh, they, they leave a few behind, a few Jawas behind. And Mando jumps on board, uh, cradle, the cradle in pursuit. Uh, that was my, like, probably my favorite part of this part of the episode. You say, got it, cradle in pursuit. You say, I'm sorry, did you say, are you in pursuit of a cradle? Like, you're going to get one? No, no, no. I'm watching a cradle pursuing a Mandalorian climbing on a, uh, whatever it's called, movable fortress. And you say, okay, I don't know. Uh, the, we see the Jawas internal communication, like their little phone. Uh, we hear a ha, ha, ha. There's some rock dodging. Uh, but don't worry. Uh, don't come a knocking because this cradle's still coming. It, it, it's still moving. This cradle, the cradle, this cradle has top speeds. I mean, I guess it doesn't have to be that fast. Uh, Rock clock with garbage. Uh, oh, rock climbing. The Mandalorian's doing some rock climbing. Kind of like a climbing gym moves. Uh, and the Jawas are throwing garbage at him. Uh, I didn't write the time down, but it's when the Mandalorian's cl climbing. There's like a 10 out of 10 level uh, sound effect. Uh, I mean, really, this is uh, thoughtful. I mean... Uh, it's a piece of metal like flapping down and it actually has a piece of metal flapping down sound effect. And these are the little things that really, I mean, there's other things that are impressive, but that's really impressive to me. Uh, then there's some helmet. Oh, uh, there are a couple. Uh, it's a good thing. If you're a Mandalorian, there's a reason why you should always wear your helmet, especially when like uh, 
Iceberg lettuce has fallen and bouncing off it from the jowls. They said, here, take this cabbage. We're not making any stew later because we want to get you out of here. Even gets prodded. Uh, excuse me, Mandalorian. I'm going to prod you about something. Then he's climbing on this crane, which seems to be easier to break than it should have been. But maybe the jaw was scavenged it from somewhere. And then the Mando gets on board of the uh, top of the ship, like the, the which would I call it, the VIP deck if it had one. And I don't know anything about Jawas. I mean, other than you know what I've seen in two or three movies, but uh, if there was a VIP deck for Jawas, that's where he is. But only for a, f- a few seconds. Then he says, "They say you don't have the wristband for this level." And he goes and takes a nap. Uh, oh, this one I said, Yoda, who so cute, uh, 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 is watching him nap. He wakes up, uh, him and, uh, uh, the uh, movable pram with Yoda, oh, so cute, uh, uh, go back to a ship, not good. There's wires, which is not good. Lots of missing stuff. I mean, Yoda, Yoda, oh, so cute. His ears move so many times. Uh, I don't know if Yoda has his baby. He has, a, like, a baby fur on a bit uh, on his head that I just noticed. Uh, working stalls. Uh, oh, the ship won't start. Uh, fumble jumps, 10-10. Uh, okay, this is 10-10. This is worth watching. If you're a Mandalorian fan... Or a fan of having a safe place that is paradoxical a little bit. Uh, at 10, 10, 10 minutes and 10 seconds, Mandalorian kind of fumble jumps down the ladder. And then he goes into that, what is it called? The oxygen, like the cryo thing. And he just lays there. I mean, he doesn't turn it on. It kind of clears his mind and take a big breath. It, it was like, again, another amazing moment. He kind of just sits down. He says he has this WTF moment, uh, and then Baby Oh So Cute waddles up to him and gives him a cute look, uh, and he says, "Okay, I got to keep going." It, it also, like I guess I talk about this early, even though some of this hasn't happened yet, but we do get a lot of human sides in Mandalorian, particularly in this episode. Right? He's get, get, he's a little bit. Uh, Persnickety? I don't know. Like, what is, is that a real word? Uh, he can be a grouch like me. Sometimes he needs a little mando time to think things out. Uh, so then they get off the ship. They go for a walk. There's walking music. There's journey wipes, which I don't know if we've seen journey wipes yet. And I had forgotten about them. I don't even know if they were only in the first Star Wars or what. They're like those old video effects. Uh, and I don't even know if that's what they're called, but I also could, they could be a brand. We could call, sell them as Mandalorian journey wipes. Uh, they could just be whatever those things are. You know, they, like a hot towel, wet one, wet nap, whatever they're called, but we'd call them journey wipes. But it's also a video effect. Now it's sunset, which I thought was a nice touch since it started out in the day. And they go back to Windmill Outpost with, uh, at the Ron Perlman estate, uh, even though it's not Ron Perlman's voice. Uh, and uh, Baby Yoda, ooh, so cute, says the frogs are tasty. And I really like some of this dialogue. This was the fuss. Uh, Mandalorian says, I think it is a child. Uh, 
He says, my ship's destroyed. He goes, nope, stripped and not destroyed. Makes no difference to me. Which is, so the Mandalorian, I put, oh, whoa. Because the Mandalorian does get it down in the dumps every once in a while. He does need characters or uh, NPCs or whatever to, to, uh, to, he can't do it all alone. He does need help. And uh, sometimes it's just someone believing I don't know. I like that. He's, oh, man, I'm toast. Uh, he goes, you can trade with them. Uh, I've spoken. They says, hey, spit that out. Uh, what did I put? H-H-H. Uh, or four, four backwards, four, four. Probably a sound effect or something. Or maybe that's the sound the baby made. I've never seen that symbol. I can't even imagine what it is. It looks like I wrote four backwards, fours. Except there's only three. Then it's raining and they're on a sled. It's slow. And they, this, oh, crawling fortress. That's what the Jawas thing's called. Believe it or not, I've already fallen behind the episode. There's a Jawas sorting party. He says, uh, they don't really like you. He goes, well, then the Jawas doors open. They say, you're not getting your parts back. Uh, uh, he says, uh, he gets grouchy. I think they said he, he, toodaloo. It might be one of the, something in Javanese. I didn't hear Hakuna Matata in this episode, but that doesn't mean someone didn't say it. Uh, peaceful. Oh, Yodi. That's what I put Yodi this time. I, uh, watches, uh, I like how they kind of all sit down and I, like, uh, no, the Mandalorian, at first he sits cross-legged, but now he's like leaned back with one knee up and his arm on his knee, which is like a classic parlay position. I guess we'll call for that from now on. You say, what are you, like, uh, get, getting some of the Bordeaux photography done or whatever? No, no, I'm in parlay position. Or, I mean, I guess you do, like, I don't think parlay position is so great. I mean, it's great for looking good. You might say, Scooch, what is parlay position, even though we're in the middle of this episode? I say, okay, sit down on your bottom, on the ground, okay, not on a chair. Now put both your legs in front of you, like uh, extended, like you were going to do some toe-touching or something. Now, now bring one knee up to your chest area. Uh I think you're supposed to kick back, though, in some other way. Maybe then roll over onto your hip with your extended leg. And then you kind of put your arm on your knee that's up towards your chest. Um, I don't know. I kept talking so long. The video moved without me. But uh, that's parlay position. Uh, Or, you know, lounging. I mean, it could also be when someone's feeding you grapes or something. These are my parts, he says. All the Jawa laugh at him because he's in my, they say, you talk Jawa, look a Wookiee. They, first they want the Beskar steal. He goes, no. Then he tells them to stay away from babies. Then they say, egg. Ron Perlman kind of says, not the egg. And they say, suga, suga, uh, which must be the egg. Then there's driving music, uh, which is very good. And it's also, this is another small scene. Mandalorian is in the cabin of the rolling fortress or whatever, crawling fortress. He's kind of packed in there with the Jawas. He bumps his head. One of them looks at him and he says, Suga. 
in a very minion-esque, but in a good way, like in a way that wasn't, uh, I don't know. You see, well, I guess the Jawas were around before minions, and they're not really minions. They're doing their own thing. So they more bear similarity to each other. Uh, then he heads out with the baby, which makes sense, because I'm not going to leave this baby with any anybody. Uh, yeah, so the him and the baby and the the portable, the what did I call it, the floating pram? Did I call it that? That might have been a Scooby-Doo episode, the case of the floating pram. But again, I think that would be a good magic trick with no, you know, no children involved. Even a 50-year-old baby, oh, so cute. So they go into a small valley, or I don't know what a gully is, but this could be a gully. Uh, then we see a little ca- cavey poo, spelunking time, he says. Uh, and he says, my lad, stay behind and wait for me. You know, I wouldn't leave you with Jawas, but I will leave you out here in this canyon alone. Just for a moment. Uh, he checks his gear. The baby watches. He kind of creeps into the spelunky. He puts on a headlamp. I don't know if that was a clip-on or um, if it was something that pops out of his helmet. Uh, but he does have a, a headlamp. We see kind of furry mud, very muddy because, of course, it rained earlier. Then we see an eye. Uh, then we see the ba- baby, oh, so cute, oh, so cute, uh, watching. And then um, the Mandalorian gets bounced out of the spelunky poo. Now, this is another place, again, I guess I really have a lot of positive things to say about this episode. I mean, I'm not even talking about the, I, I really enjoyed the episode the story and stuff, but this is another one really worth your time, uh, 1753 or so. And I think I actually had a dream about this last night. That's how much meaning it has to me. But again, I make audio. So it's 1753, uh, the Mandalorian comes out and then there's like a, you think there's a, like a, a, a pause of, of a beat or two, uh, but start watching it when baby yo, yo, so cute is watching. And then the Mandalorian gets booted because there's this music that starts up that has like this industrial kind of feel to it, uh, that really works uh, for the scene. Ian is just cool, as I, I, I got to say it, AF. Uh, I mean, it is forking great. Uh, it just has, like, I remember, I don't know, I don't know if industrial music is still a thing. Uh, it maybe reminds me of, like, ministry. I don't know if that's what comes to my mind, but it's not probably that intense just because it, but it underlies, I don't know, it just really, really works. Uh, I mean, I, I rewatch it. I mean, believe me, I've seen these episodes quite a few times. And it goes in, it, 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 it's, only, it's not in the whole sequence because there's so much action. Because what happens next is uh, uh, this is like this mud pie dance thing that, that uh, the Mandalorian does uh, with, uh, with uh, Mama Suga. Uh, which maybe this is where the idea for that product, Suguru, came from, which you kind of use to fix stuff or clip stuff. Or at least I do. But so the, they do this mud pie dancing where you make mud pies and you do interpretive dance with it. Uh, and the Mandalorian, not good at it. So it doesn't go well for the Mandalorian. And every time you don't, uh, 
do a dance that's cons- the other person considers graceful, you have to put a mud pie on your head and let it trickle, you know. So very soon he's covered in mud, and it also involves dancing and mud pie making in the mud. So he gets very tired. He still gets up every time to keep trying. And then in the end, uh, baby, oh so Yoda, not oh so Raven, but oh so Yoda helps him with the mud dance. Music starts up again, I think. Uh, oh no, then there's like this Metallica. Again, I don't know. I don't know a lot about music or sound design, but holy, I know when I like it, in uh, that in a way, in a, in a way that's if it's uh, that I only notice it on the second or third or fourth time I watch the episode, not the first time. Uh, but so, what's going? Oh, also his breastplate got ruined. But so then uh, he wins the, the suga. Uh, but even Baby Yoda's tired, so everybody takes a rest and naps. Uh, Baby Yoda, Baby oh, so Yoda sleeps. Uh, Mando gets up, he goes back into the cave. Oh, then he gets the Suguru, which is a furry Cadbury egg. Uh, oh, I forgot. It looked like it was uh, something related to Snuffleupagus for Big Bird's imaginary friend. He's like, Snuffleupagus is Big Bird's imaginary friend, I think. Uh, then the Jawas uh, ready to go. Mando shows up just in time. They say Suga, which made me want to say banana. Then they eat the Cadbury egg. It was just a giant Cadbury egg, like the one of those ones they sell, where they say, yeah, you could get the world's, you know, it wouldn't be the world's largest one, but, you know, eight-pound Cadbury egg, you know, and it's some ridiculous price, like 129 bucks. Yeah, uh, but that's what you win for the mud pie dance. Uh, they only like the yellow part of the Cadbury egg. Uh, Mando says, uh, surprise you waited, Ron. And he says, surprise you took so long. Then they do a trip back. Baby sleeps. Uh, big load of parts. Uh, more good dialogue. Especially when you think about the story-wise. He says, explain it to me again. And then Mando gets down again. It reminds me, I mean... Uh, uh, so Mandalorian kind of reminds me of me, except for he's, you know, except for his, he's got a lot of skills and stuff, but his attitude at least. Uh, he says, there's no way this is going to work. Uh, and uh, he says, Ron promises, you know, if you care to help, it'll, there's much work to do. Also, I realize that it happens again with Sunrise. Uh, but there's a building sequence with music, uh, which is kind of a standard, uh, the, the kind of montage. The ship end, ends up looking really good. They do these last tests. This is another thing I really liked, a little piece of dialogue. Uh, the Mandalorian says, I can't thank you enough. Uh, and then the guy, guy says, well, you were my guest. Uh, and he goes, I could use you for a crew. The guy says, yo, I'm retired. Uh, no thanks. And the Mandalorian says, all I can offer is my thanks. Uh, I don't know, I really, really, uh, and I think, I mean, I don't know if this is true, but when you think about the difficulty of the the acting and the direction and the writing of having a character who may never take their helmet off, we just don't know, and wanting us to to identify with the character, these moments are really important, I think. and, I mean, it won me over. I mean, I, I think I already... Because, I mean, the first episode, the first time, 
of this series. You might say, well, this is going to be tough uh, uh, to have an, like this deeper emotional connection to this main character. So I don't know. I think these are very creative choices. I just uh, I'm impressed uh, in, in a way that I just enjoy. Uh, so anyway, and then he says, "I have good luck with the child. Uh, I've spoken." As Amanda watches him get off, and then the theme music builds. I put baby on board. He starts the ship up. They head off into space. Uh, he checks up the ba- he checks out the baby. Yeah, he kind of, he says, wake up, sweet little, sweet little yodi 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 Uh And then the baby doesn't wake up. And then he goes back to flying and the baby does. Uh, and the baby wakes and then the ship goes off. Uh, and then, you know, I'd like to watch the whole credits because I like the whole, the, the, the whole, whatever, Mandalorian theme. I don't know what it's called. I should do. We're trying to avoid any, any Star Wars stuff. Uh, just to see how it goes with this, because uh, I think we, we, there's just so much here by itself. Uh, but I, I don't know. I like the. I guess you said. Well, I'm watching the credits, but I still don't. No, you're right. Uh, there was nine paintings in this set of credits, and actually, it's going to come up right now. Now, Baby Yoda's waking up uh, and looking over. Mandalorian's looking out. Baby Yoda's looking at the Mandalorian, kind of grinning. And the ship heads off into space. And does it do a jump or does it just, you know, no, and then there's a wipe. Okay, so first painting is the Mandalorian in the floating pram walking in the canyon. Uh, then the second one is the Mandalorian getting, like, they say you don't have a VIP pass to the VIP deck. Uh, then there's one of him in the dust with uh, um, the Cadbury egg. Then there's him and uh, uh, his the, the the other character uh, like campfire talking about parts. Uh, then there's the um, Jawa freighter thing. Then there's Mandalorian walking into the um, the the Spelunku, uh, Then there's uh, him meeting his uh, dancer for the mud pie dance off. Uh, then there's them working on the ship at night, um, and some nice night shots. Then Mandalorian walking to a ship carrying baby. Oh, so yo, oh, so cutie, old oh. And actually, wait a second. Uh, just want to have one more thing. I guess I don't have the ability to s- zoom in here, but uh, I wonder what's in the reflection of the baby Yoda's eyes there. I don't know. So that's the end of the episode. It's not the end of our discussion, though. Uh, let's see. We got more to talk about. Believe me, B. Uh, so let's see what we got here. Mando 2 in my notes. Okay, so uh, so this Baby Yoda, as it's being called, and I know I realize it's not Baby Yoda. It's a creature with the same lineage as Yoda, possibly. Uh, but it did remind me of the Muppet Babies. I mean, Baby Yoda is very cute. Very, I'm assuming it's a puppet, and uh, not to, to spoil it, but it did remind me of the TV show Muppet Babies, which is a version on now. But there was also a version on when I was young, which I thought would have thought was in the 90s. Uh, if I had to guess, I would have said, yeah, like uh, 
Muppet Babies, 1991 to 1995, but it was 1984, uh, which was originally known as Jim Henson's Muppet Babies. It was an animated show on CBS from uh, 84 to 91. And the show portrays childhood versions of the Muppets living in a nursery under the care of a woman identified only as the nanny, uh, who appears in every episode, but his face is never uh, visible. Uh, The idea of presenting the Muppets as children was in a dream sequence in the Muppets Take Manhattan, uh, where uh, Miss Piggy had a man. I'm going to have to rewatch those on Disney Plus. it was produced by Jim Henson Productions and Marvel Productions, and now, though now Disney has several rights to both. Uh, the episodes were 30 minutes. It was typically shown in 60 or 90 minute blocks. Uh, and there's a reboot on. But listen to this some of the voices uh, uh, Greg Berg, Barbara Billingsley, Kate Lee. Lori O'Brien, Russ, Russie Taylor, Frank Welker, Howie Mandel, Dave Coulier. Uh, let's see, overview, a large nursery. Uh, there's a lot of imagination. Uh, it had 13, it had the first two seasons were 13 episodes. The third was 16. Fourth was 18. Fifth was 13. I don't know if it was a Saturday morning or an after. I guess with 13 episodes, probably Saturday afternoon. I don't know. Sorry, Saturday uh, morning. It had Kermit, uh, Miss Piggy, Fozzie, Animal, Scooter, Skeeter, Rolf, and Gonzo. Uh, Honeydew, Beaker, and Camilla also appeared, Bean Bunny, Stalder, and Walt, Sadler and Waldorf. Also, Janice and Robin also appear. Yeah, let's see, production. This is all from Wikipedia. Oh, that's our main source for everything. Uh, Muppets Take Manhattan in 84 was the third length Muppet film. As we said, uh, let's see. They turned the idea in a half-hour cartoon program in order for 107 episodes. Uh, they used two different companies uh, in Japan and Korea. Uh, let's see, productions. Uh, uh, it was highly popular, ran on CBS. Uh, the height of its popularity ran in two or three episode blocks. Yeah, for a free, for a brief run its second season, it became known as uh, Muppets Babies, and uh, oh, there was another show that came after that that, that uh, like Little Muppet uh, um, Platypus, and uh, oh, we even had to replace the Garbage Pail Kids. That was, I guess, a show. Uh, relaunching popular cartoon characters as young started a trend of uh, relaunching cartoon characters as babies. I mean, I definitely remember. I mean, I could sing you the the thing. I'll have to watch the new one. Uh, let's see. There's no announced plans of DVD releases, but I wonder if the old one is on Disney Junior. I mean, Disney Plus. Uh, so this is a Disney Plus, or that's the um, old one. Now, the other one just started in 2018, 2018, and it's computer animated on Disney Junior. 
targeted at children four to seven. It's a reboot. I don't know what that means. Uh, but it does have Kermit, Piggy, Fozzie, Gonzo, an animal. Also has Nanny uh, and uh, Summer Penguin. That's a new Muppet. Uh, second season came out this summer. So probably be in the third, third season. Let's see what else we could use. Uh, uh, oh, Jenny Slate is uh, one of the voices. Wow, that's cool. That's real cool. I wonder, let's see who, who she voices. Uh, Miss Nanny, wow. I don't know. This is, I guess, an ABC. So this is an ABC one. Uh, that's impressive. Uh, it's cool that some of these people get to be, you know, on the Muppets. Uh, uh, let's see, Disney Junior. I don't know. We'll see if it, uh, season thirty. I would presume it would get, re, you know. Okay, speaking of the eighties, so there's a few shots of the Mandalorian kind of reaching his finger out towards Baby. Oh, so cute. Uh, so it made me look up the movie E.T., which I thought I was going to look up last episode. I guess I didn't. It came out in nineteen eighty-two. And I don't know if people still watch E.T. I, I know I think my daughter watched it with her mom, but I, I, I'm always like, uh, I don't think, I mean, I've seen like clips of it, but I haven't seen the movie in a long time. And I guess I'd prefer to just see it as the whole movie. It was a, a science fiction movie about a kid who finds an extraterrestrial and learns to love. I mean, I think uh, it, Drew Barrymore, Henry Thomas, Peter Coyote, D. Wallace, uh, Elliot's the kid, and E.T. is the uh, extraterrestrial. It was a, a Steven Spielberg movie produced by Kathleen Kennedy, uh, Universal and Amblin. It uh, cost, the budget was $10.5 million. It made seven ninety two. It got re-released in 1995 and 2002. I don't think I went and saw it in 2002. That's too bad. Uh, and it was the highest-grossing film of all time until uh, Jurassic Park in 1993. It won't talk about the plot, uh, but, uh, you know, it's about phoning home. Call your mother already. That's what, just like with uh, the voice memos, I say. Call your mother. Uh, Carl Rimbaldi was the, uh, helped uh, create E.T. and look um, in... Kathleen Kennedy uh, helped to work on E.T.'s eyes, uh, the look of them. Uh, filming began in 81. It was filmed under a cover name so that no one would uh, try to copy the plot. Uh, Culver City is where a lot of it was shot. Uh, music, John Williams' music. Uh, I guess there was like a few different, uh, like one of the, like, I guess there's a famous script of like the ET, ET2 or whatever. And then there's the ET ride, which one day we'll do an episode about. We probably should do that before the ride closes, huh? Uh, so I'll have to do that, uh, at some point. And, uh, no, I'll phone home. But yeah, released, uh, it was previewed in Houston because maybe that's where it, take, it takes place. Uh, and uh, it opened uh, with $11 million, which is funny nowadays. Uh, 
it had the top spot, and then uh, it was a holiday re- season re-release. Uh, ended up surpassing Star Wars. So, wow. Uh, it also had Reese's Pieces in there, which I think are awesome anyway. I didn't need E.T. to tell me that. Uh, though I don't think I had them. Uh, Gandhi won the Academy Award that year. Uh, so that's also interesting. Um, so just another movie. You, you could check it out. Uh, uh, I guess there was a special edition, which is out of circulation, which was an extended version of the movie. There was an Atari game, considered one of the worst games ever made. Was in there? Uh, was that the one that uh, was that the game that's in the documentary? Yeah. Then there's the attraction, forty million dollars uh, attraction that opened in 1990 in Universal Florida. So I'll go on that for everybody. Uh, there was a ET2, uh, though recently I heard there was another, uh, um, whatever, uh, sequel circulating. Okay. But that's ET. What about Bryce Canyon National Park? Uh, like, uh, it's famous for a couple things, I think, or maybe the other one, maybe this is Zion and Bryce, I'm getting mixed up, but Bryce Canyon, oh, which is despite the same, not a Canyon, but, uh. A collection of giant natural amphitheaters. So maybe Zion's the one with the canyon that you got to walk through that's like really close. Uh, uh, but Bryce is uh, distinctive due to ge- geological structures called hoodoos formed by frost weathering. It's really beautiful. Red, orange, and white colors of the rocks, spectacular views. Uh, and. Uh, Oh, it sits at a much higher elevation than nearby Zion National Park. Um, it was settled by Mormon pioneers in the 1850s. Uh, it's in uh, Kane, Garfield and Kane County, Utah, in the Colorado Plateau Geographic Province. Yeah, it is very beautiful. I guess I was thinking that there's a, a hike. It must be a Zion, so... <laughs> That you could go through, but you have to like re- you have to reserve it. I, I think you're used to. Uh, definitely something to check out. Uh, I guess they have a lodge. I, I think I went there. I don't remember going to any lodge or anything. I just remember going and looking at it. Uh, it's very beautiful. It has natural arches. Something called Thor's hammer. Uh, extensive fir forests. Uh, you could go snowshoeing or horseback riding. Uh, so check it out. Then Cadbury Cream Egg. Uh, you probably talked about this on the podcast before. It's only been around since 1971. Here's the most interesting fact. It's at the end of the Wikipedia article. It says, uh, where is it? Uh, some of the B.J. Novak. I really like this. That uh, B.J. Novak brought to attention. Oh, yeah. And Conan O'Brien in 2007 is that the Cadbury cream eggs have decreased in size, even though Cadbury states they're the same size. And it's pretty significant, five grams. So uh, so that's one thing. Uh, it's a Cadbury cream egg. I think I used to always want one. Uh, and they were either too expensive or something for kids to have. Uh, then when I finally got one, I realized I didn't like it, but now I do like it. Like I probably only have like one every couple of years. Uh, it's a, you know, a dessert, uh, chocolate shell with uh, fondant filling. 
and uh, it gets sold between New Year's and Easter in the UK, uh, 200 million uh, in sales. Uh, in 2016, though, they uh, they stopped using dairy milk chocolate and used a cheaper sub- substitute. Uh, so I don't know if they changed that d- decision, uh, but, uh, you know, count me out, I guess. Uh, the Hershey makes them in the U.S. Uh, and Cadbury in the U.K., Cadbury Adams in Canada. Uh, Hershey's got the local rights here in the U.S., uh, uh, it was previously manufactured in New Zealand, uh, but now they're imported from the UK. So it's a little bit confusing. Uh, they were first manufactured by the Cadbury Brothers in 1923, but the current form was introduced in 63. And they're usually sold individually. You've probably seen them. I mean, you know what they are, but... Uh, they're manufactured in Dundee uh, from 1983 to 2009. Uh, let's see. Manufacturing process, varieties. I want to find more about this. Cha- oh, there's the change. Uh, oh, yeah. They replace it with standard cocoa mixed chocolate uh, and reduce the packaging from six eggs to five uh, without lowering the price. And they said they think they lost $12 million in sales. Uh, so, yeah, and I'll link to it. There's a lot more about it, uh, but it just reminded me of that. And then the last thing is uh, Baby on Board reminded me of the Simpsons episode with the Homer's Barbershop Quartet. Uh, it was season five, episode one. Uh, so it kicked off the season. It was 1993. Also has George Harrison and David Crosby in the episode. Uh, let's see. Written by Jeff Martin, directed by Mark Kirtland. It features the Barbershop Quartet with Homer, the B-Sharps. Uh, uh, but it kind of follows the Beatles story, or parallels the Beatles story. Uh, let's see. Bar- uh, oh, the, it goes, it, it's like a, it goes into the past. Uh, and Homer's uh, Barbershop Quartet, uh, an album where he was nationally famous, him and the Barbershop Quartet, uh, how they you know reached success and it all fell apart. Uh, and their number one hit was Baby on Board, uh, which is uh, like, it reminds me of, uh, so. One of the writers for The Simpsons suggested they create an episode based on a barbershop quartet as a parody of the Beatles. So Jeff Martin wrote it. Mark Kirkland, Kirkland, who's a big Beatles fan, directed the episode and made sure the references were accurate. Uh, uh, let's see. Animators liked creating the Beatles gags, enjoyed the music, uh, synchronized everything and, uh, with the animation and fell in love with it. Uh, a little bit inspired by the Beatles film Let It Be. Uh, let's see. Uh, B-sharp singing voices were provided by the four members of the Damper Dan. So the barbershop quartet that used to be at Disneyland, I think they got replaced, unfortunately, because uh, Martin had seen one of their performances and enjoyed it. Wow, I didn't know that. That's really cool. And the regular a- actors kind of provo- pro- provided backup. Uh, uh, George Harrison was the second Beatle to be in a Simpsons episode. Ringo Starr was in an earlier one. Uh, let's see. 
but it was a secret uh, that he was coming in, even though, like, the creators did come to watch. Oh, I guess Matt Groening did not know it was a secret, though. Uh, and, uh, yeah, there's a lot of effort. It's a really good episode. Uh, and now you can watch that on the same. It's interesting. It wasn't on purpose, but you could watch it on Disney+. Plus. So that's funny. It's like, can we watch uh, this episode of The Simpsons, the first Muppet Babies, the second Muppet Babies, and Mandalorian? I don't know about the first Muppet Babies. I will say something that I've been watching random episodes of is uh, Gummy Bears, which was a kind of like a Smurfs knockoff that Disney made, but that I was always a big fan of. I don't know why. And I, I don't know why I preferred the Gummy Bears over the Smurfs. Uh, I'm trying to figure that out now by watching it. It wouldn't be, it's not interesting enough for me to watch an episode five times, so to do it as a podcast episode. Uh, but yeah, it's just, uh, so that's another thing to check out. Uh, I guess I'm not, I'm not getting paid for this, but uh, that is on Disney Plus. I was watching, I was letting, um, I went to a random season of, uh, what was the name of the show? Oh, Gummy Bears. Uh, there's another great theme song. So uh, worth it for the theme song. If you're a Smurfs fan, watch it and, you know, decide it. I mean, it's very similar to the Smurfs. I don't know what, you know, I don't know what Peo had to say about it, but uh, who knows? Or Papa Smurf. Um, but, yeah, I guess because there was less, maybe there's, it was just like it's easy for me to, first of all, I guess a a Papa Smurf and um, the one Smurf that's kind of antagonistic was that Brainy. I don't know, Papa Smurf was just too, I guess because I was, it was so, my relationship with Catholicism was so complex that uh, Papa Smurf was too godlike for me. And then Brainy Smurf or whatever, whoever the Smurf was that wasn't nice, Judgy Smurf, uh, I don't know, that one made me uncomfortable too. And something about the gummy bear's makeup made me comfortable. And I think there was like a Christopher Robin vibe where there was a boy or something they like uh, hung out with. Uh, and then they drank like juice and they could bounce everywhere. Gummy bear juice. So it's a little bonus, a little bit about the gummy bears, but bouncing here and there uh, and a little bit of everywhere. Because, you know, the gummy bears, the show, it was high adventure beyond compare. The name of the show was the gummy bears. Uh, good night, everybody. All right, everybody, it's the Scoots here. We're doing episode three of The Mandalorian right now. Uh, the last time on The Mandalorian is playing, which you can skip. I, I, I find it puts me in the mood, though, previously on The Mandalorian. Uh, so I enjoy it. Uh, but uh, so, yeah, let's, it's, let's see, walking off into the sunset. I don't know, like, I'm trying to avoid almost, it's really tough, uh, this Mandalorian is making it hard, it's, it's really become a, a, certain things on this show have already become, I don't know, very popular, uh, in public dialogue, so this Oso Yoda is oh so cute, I think that's what we'll do for the shorthand for our show, because I mean, when I say, oh, so yo, oh, yo, so cute, uh, I guess if I said yo, yo soy, cute, I don't know what cute is in Spanish though. I don't. Do you? I guess you don't need to say yo if you're saying soy, right? Uh, soy, soy, Aries, somos son. 
So here we go. Now the Star Wars logo is on the screen, shimmering, glimmering, and now going to yellow. And we open with space. The ship pops in. Very cool. Uh, great sound effects. We see a volcanic. This planet has a lot of volcanic activity. And great sound effects and lighting on the ship. Uh, a lot of red light. A lot of buttons and stuff. Uh, what else we get? Uh, lights, buttons. The baby wants to play ball. Oh, so Yoda once says, hey, it could really uh, great moves. I'm watching Yoda climb out now. Mandalorian takes a FaceTime uh, from Reef. Uh, uh, I forgot his name. But I think he, he, I know he has Reef in his name. Maybe. Uh, let's see. Chirp. Oh, there's good ch- ship chirping sound effects, too. Mando, wonderful news. Uh, the client's very antsy. Uh, then Mando sees. So, baby, Oso Yoda takes uh, the ball. Like a knob, a silver knob off the ship. Tries to play with it. Mando says, not a toy. It reminded me of Lionel Kitty City. But he says, get back in your bassinet, buddy. So Scoots can use some alliteration. Ship goes out of orbit. There's big music. Uh, land Ship lands in a land. Where else but a landing pad? And actually like a landing. No, yeah, I guess it is a landing pad. Uh, more like landing mud. Uh, yellow, we noticed some yellow paint on the ship, at least I did for the first time. Uh, what else we got here? Weather, great weather today. By the way, uh, here, whatever, whatever, whatever we are, not sure, because, uh, Scooch doesn't do any reading about the, you know, keeps it, keeps it clean. Uh, but, uh, weather is great today on whatever planet we're at. Uh, you know, other, probably the volcanic activities unrelated to the weather anyway. Maybe a snow speeder, some sort of speeder lands. Baby Yoda, Oso Yoda checks that out. Uh, great people watching. I would love to be in a floating bassinet myself. And I would love to hear, uh, eventually after the season, if they put out some extras, I'd love to hear about the set dressing and the costuming because I feel like they really uh, took a lot of cool influences uh, and put them there. Uh, at the beginning and the end of this episode of uh, way characters are dressed, really, it just made me grin and reminded me of uh, different comic books and stuff like that, and even the other Star Wars movies. Uh, it just thought of this song. There's a song uh, by Third Base called "Knock Knock, Come In, Come In," and I think I'm 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 like well behind the episode, so I guess I should pause the episode, huh? Because. Uh, they go through a very tall archway, uh, lots of people watching, big ears, uh, which made me look up ear growth, uh, then four knocks on the door, and you know, the pod, this podcast loves knocking, but I don't know if I've ever mentioned that song, I'm going to have to listen to it later, I don't know if it was on the Cactus album, Third Bass was a hip-hop group uh, in the 80s, I guess, maybe, I don't think the 90s, maybe in 80, 88 to 89, uh, um, anyway, and then, uh, why is this? Uh, oh, Haichu. Oh, the, so the, um, the robot eye thing says Haichu a pinky or Haiku a pinky, uh, Haiku or Haichu a pinky, uh, when it checks, wants to check your ID. Stormtroopers come. Mando says, yo, easy with that bassinet, man. The floating ba- bassinets are ex- they're very useful, as we'll find out uh, soon. 
then we see Werner, uh, who says, yes, 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 yes. Uh, not, I mean, he says in a much more Herzogian way. Uh, oh man, his voice, I don't know if he has creaky dulcets, but I love his voice. Holy mackerel. Uh, more used to him, you know, narrate. I don't know if anybody's seen uh, Incident at Loch Ness. Uh, that one, I don't know, was that really, I always think about the dinner scene at the beginning, and I always thought it's like, that really is a place, like, because, uh, but uh, so that's just something I was thinking about. They do a baby scan, and they say, this baby's coming up cute as heck. Uh, holy moly. It's at the holy moly level of cuteness, according to the scanner. Uh, so we're trying to, you know, there's a, we're, we're trying to reboot the Muppet, something like a long time ago. Before the Muppet Babies, uh, we're pre-booting it. Uh, uh, does, not li- does not lie. Oh, the baby doesn't like being scanned, though. It says, hey, how, how you got to scan me to be cute? I am, just am. I am what I am. I'm oh so Yoda. I wish we had another term. I don't know, like, uh, what species Yoda is. Uh, I guess we could say Herzogian, but that would be even more confusing. You see, Werner says, uh, your reputation was not unwarranted. Uh, uh, very impatient or something. And he says, to the winner goes the spoils, which I thought, uh, isn't it to the victor goes the spoils? And I just thought about this. Is that like a lyric from uh, like Waterloo or is that actually an entire uh, song from uh, ABBA? I think it's an entire song. Uh, a winner takes it all. <laughs> Whoops. Uh, I mean, it is, I guess. Maybe that is a lyric and the winner takes it all. It is, or maybe it's in Waterloo. I don't know. Maybe I'll listen to that later. I guess I got a playlist for this episode. Two episodes, two songs so far. Uh, but, I, you know, I don't like to, you know, correct uh, Herzog, but I said, isn't it, excuse me, isn't it uh, uh, Victor? And he said, uh, uh, what, what is it, uh, Large bounty, small package. I said, whoa, whoa, I just commenting on that. I said, no no need to get personal, Werner. And I said, thanks, uh, that I, I didn't never have never been caught never been told that I have a large bounty. And he said I was talking about Oso Yoda. Uh Mando says bye bye, baby, was uh, Oso goes off the screen. We'll just say Oso. That's the easy way, because that works. Uh uh, can we agree on that? Uh, great. Uh, then uh, we start to see this uh, uh, crack in the armor. It, it was funny. And also, it made me think of like Bo- Boba Fett. Uh, one, how does Boba Fett feel about Boba Balls? Uh, and uh, is it Boba Fett or am I just, do I just have Boba Balls on the brain? There's some great alliteration. Holy moly. Boba Balls on the brain, Alec, for 4,000. Oh, it's a daily double. Terrific. But Mando says, what are your plans for the child or whatever? And uh, Werner says, you've taken payment. Uh, uh, so uh, mind your own P's and Q's. Uh, and uh, he said, according to the code, you've already forgotten everything. And then this uh, WTF to this, just because of... Uh, 
don't quite uh, understand enough of the Mandalorian history. And, uh, I mean, that's why WTF, but he goes, finding a Mandalorian in these trying times is uh, uh, more difficult than finding the steel. And I said, well, actually, there's like a underground club with like 46 Mandalorians doing nothing. And you just happen to be on this planet that uh, uh, I guess only one man. That's why it's the Mandalorian. He's the Mandalorian that gets to go outside and do stuff, not the only Mandalorian. He's like the Mandalorian. Like he pops his collar when it's said. I mean, if he had a collar to pop, uh, that's what would happen. Or if he had a lock, you know, if he, I don't think he'd ever pop and lock anything. Oh boy. So finding the, finding the steel. And I said, yeah, okay. I already said that. But I said, wait a second. There's like, they're just down there playing chess. I don't know where you're looking. And maybe you need to reassess your hiring practices. Cause as this episode goes on, I mean, I guess there's plenty of room for quality bounty hunters. So anyway, so the episode opens. It's chapter three, the sin. There's a guitar, kind of surf guitar walking music. Uh, Mando's got his cooler. He keeps his steel ice cold, man. Also, he doesn't have to worry about dropping it or losing it. Uh, he heads into Mando HQ, gets a lot of looks in that Man- Mandalorian hall. Uh, there's more of them this week than there were. Then we see the face of the god or goddess. Uh, in the for- Then we go into the forge room. Pops out the steel, uh, the four, the, the metal smith, uh, is watching all the Mandalorians come to see. They say, holy cow, that's not a cooler. You know, that's not a cooler. It's a, a st- steel holder. It's a stack, you know, for stacked steel. Also, Mandalorian must be very strong because that thing must have weighed a pretty, uh, I hope he switched arms every, like, uh, 400 yards so he, like, balances his shoulders out. So all the Mandalorians come to see. She says, "Can it can be shaped in, oh, let me see. I was going to read this, some of this dialogue. It's in front of me now in close captioning. It can be shaped in many ways. Uh, the amount can be shaped in many ways. Armor. He says, my armor's lost. Oh, yeah, because this is a very uh, subtextual. I love this kind of subtext. Uh, can be shaped in many ways. He says, well, my, I need a new armor. It's lost its integrity. I may need to begin again. And she says, indeed, uh, you know, the whole thing. He goes, that'd be a great honor. And she goes, you know, it's going to be shiny AF. Uh, and he goes, uh, whatever. Then this big dude comes in. And he's get like he's he's a bit of a splainer, or like he's always, he's one of those ones. He's got everything to say. He's got an opinion about everything. He's got enough armor for it too. So he's got to try to explain a, a little bit of like a, a jealous, I'd say. And he goes, "How come this guy is the? How did he become the Mandalorian? Uh, it's just he just picked up this metal, and uh, the armor kind of tries to stay balanced, but at the same time." He goes, this guy's eating lunch with the Empire. And she goes, by the way, our secrecy is part of our job. Uh, uh, and he goes, well, once it was numbers, now we got to hide out here. Only one of us, uh, Hubba, gets to go up above ground at a time. Uh, so they do a dance-off uh, because uh, he challenges them. Just a quick one, a more show dance-off. Uh, 
because uh, he said, did you say something about Pop and Lock later? He goes, no, 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 Pop and Fresh. Uh, so then the armor says, cut it out. Uh, there's no empire. We got the steel. And uh, she goes, it's not easy walking the way of the Mandalore. You know, you're uh, you're hiding and you're seeking. And she goes, how can one be? She goes, you know, how, you know, have you ever took your helmet off? No. Anyone else taken it off? No. And no one's ever seen your head? No. That is the way. And everyone goes, oh, that is the way. Uh, so face, there kind of is the faceless people. Um, uh, spoils of purge, our secrecy. I'm just reading over this. He shares tables, showdown, dance off, empire no longer. Uh, never had your helmet off. This is the way, times three. Then she he goes, she goes, uh, wait a minute, your armor, anyway, you, you look awful. He goes, Mudhorn. And she goes, well, that was your signet. He goes, no, it was not a noble, uh, that one was a, not a noble dance-off. Uh, it was helped in, uh, by an enemy. She goes, well, why did your enemy help you? He goes, it did not know it was my enemy. Oh, there's like great industrial sounds too in the background. Uh, she says, "All right, I'm gonna make some whistling birds for you. This is the way, you know, stuff for the found, set aside stuff for the foundlings. This is the way as it should be. Uh, forge flash, what does that say? Oh, flashback. He has some forge flashbacks. Uh, so and then." Uh, uh, well, we see like a lot of high tech metalwork, really cool. Like seeing the different uh, stages. Uh, it, like it looked like there was like a, I mean, there was like a three D projection. There may be three D or m- some sort of a magnetic uh, uh, forging uh, or a three D stamper. Uh, then they put it in some mud or clay to cool it, or maybe uh, whatever you call it, uh, treat it somehow. Uh, so I really like that prize. Oh, we also, during the Forge flashback, see why he probably doesn't like any droids. Uh, then he goes into the, uh, w- oh, then we go into the bar. Mandalorian's not there. He had uh, uh, Reef, uh, Reef, Reef's there. And he says, no more excuses, dust breather, talking to somebody else. Um, uh, then there's that old record-skipping moment in the bar, and the Mandalorian walks in, and he's done up in platinum, a platinum suit. Everybody's like, whoa, whoa, glaring at him. Who does he think he is? Uh, and uh, I love the loud talking. Uh, uh, by, like, it's just great. He goes, oh, Mando, the legend. Uh, and he goes, all these guys had fobs too, but uh, only you could uh, celebrate your success. Okay, so yeah, I'm just watching the scene. This is where he's calling. It's Grief Cargo. Sorry, Grief. Uh, I was calling you Reef. Uh, so he says, hey, sit down. Let's chat. Uh, where else? I'm just watching it and my notes. Uh, he goes, oh, not me. I celebrate your success. That's where I said uh it's my success as well. I got a bunch of steel. I'm rich. Uh, and he says, how can I show my gratitude? Why don't you take a day off? Uh, go to the um, the baths at something or other. Oh, healing baths. Healing baths. He goes, give me a puck, man. 
And he, you know, give me my next job. He says, okay, uh, what about this one? This looks pretty good, huh? All these are far off. Uh, he goes, further the better. Take your pick. Uh, okay, that one's on some dust planet or something. It's a calamari uh, or calamon. And he goes, I'm out. And he, before he leaves, he pauses, though. He, tur- he turns he turns away, then he turns back. He doesn't actually turn back. He says, what are they going to do with it? And Grief says, uh, with what, dude? And he turns around, he says, the kid, he goes, don't you know the guild code? And Manuel Aaron goes, if they're in the empire, what are they doing here? He goes, there's no empire. He goes, just, uh, you know, people doing stuff, uh. And he goes, if it bothers you so much, you could go back to the core and tell on them. So the Mandalorian wasn't some sort of uh, official thing. Uh, and he goes, buy some spice, man. Some pumpkin pie spice. Chill out in your ship. Enjoy it. Uh, yeah. Then the um, Mandalorian goes back uh, to his uh, ship. Uh, goes through, we see the arch again. He gets on board. He uh, flicks four switches and then presses four buttons. Uh, and then he sees the ball, the knob the kid was playing with, and he uh, kind of th- thinks it out. Uh, and he says, you can't hide from the shine of uh, Oso. You know, Oso might need you. I thought we were a pair. So eventually he shuts it. You know, he gets ready to go, shuts it down, turns off. It turns. I don't know if he turned everything off. I mean, Mandalorian could definitely use one of those key fobs that tells when you walk away from your ship um, and locks it up for you. Yeah, so he gets off the ship. Then there's some working music. He goes down the alley, checks the trash. Uh, and I said, somebody needs to talk to these uh, former Empire members because they threw away the bassinet. I mean, that thing had to be worth money somewhere. And so there's no excuse for that. I mean, somebody. Maybe somebody left it was going to go get it after work. I mean, that's the only thing I can imagine is like, uh, you know, A4471 QP, we're going for a drink. Uh, you know, they're doing it in their stormtrooper voice. Uh, you going to join us? Uh, I'll meet you there. I need to walk it off. Thinking about my uh, cutie poo out on uh, Alpha Centauri. And, uh, you know, I, you know, I love to take a stroll by the dumpsters of wherever the heck we are before. You know, so I'll meet you there. At least that's, I mean, that's honestly what I would have done. I said, you want us to throw out a floating bassinet? Uh, it's an order. Well, but we're not in the empire anymore. Well, it's an order for me. I'm your, technically your boss. Okay. No problem, boss. I'll throw it away. Right in the dumpster. I'll put some banana peels on it so nobody can find it. Uh. Uh, because you're right, uh, it should totally trash. I mean, who would want a floating bassinet, uh, or either for parts, for carrying your stuff even, like, uh, like maybe even some stormtroopers would like it, even if they didn't have a baby that they're in charge of, which we technically are, you know, just to carry like our waters or whatever. Okay, go throw it out. That's it. And I say, you're right. I'm on it. Don't worry. And that's why, uh, you know, it wouldn't work out for me. Empire, first order. I'd be in the first disorder. Last 
total disorder if they had that, but you wouldn't join. They'd just say, they said, where's that bassinet? We decided we needed it. Can you go get it back out of the garbage? Oh, boy, they uh, they emptied the trash today. Yeah, but they only they only empty it on whatever, Gloomsday or whatever the friggin' days of the week are here. Yeah, no, but remember there was that uh, that holiday for those uh, where they had that street fair with the whiskers and stuff. Uh, so they couldn't collect trash. So they collected it. it they already came and left. Yeah, really, because my office is right next to the, to the back of the dumpster. And the only thing I heard was rummaging right after work yesterday. Oh, yeah, that's what, it was a new service. Uh, they pick it up, I, okay, uh, and then 44 would say, well, I just looked in there, it's full. Oh, yeah, there's somebody probably dumping stuff in there, probably. No, our cans of beans from lunch Tuesday are still in there. Well, we, we use Tuesday, but we don't use Friday. So, okay, so anyway, back to the actual story. I mean, I, I'll take it. I'll tell you what, I'll go take it. I'll clean it up. I don't even care if it smells uh, because it's like a floating bassinet uh, or whatever crib. Or it seems like it has a lock on it. It seems like it probably ha- like it has airflow. What is it called? A stroller, a pram. I mean, holy man. I mean, I mean, can you imagine walking around like a theme park with that thing? You say, well, okay, like go into the stroller parking. I'll come get you later. Hold my jacket. Don't need a fanny pack anymore. All right. So then the Mandalorian, after he listened to my tangent, uses a thermal listening device. He listens into um, uh, the, the the client and the scientist, and he says, "You better hurry up, man. Get the cuteness." Uh, what are you doing? This is for like our version of Instagram. We gotta go. Uh, so they're debating. Then Mandalorian rolls up on the ring doorbell, uh, takes it out. Stormtroopers come to the door to look around. And this is where the way of the Mandalorian of hide-and-seek begins. Uh, because the Mandalorian starts a game of hide-and-seek. Like, because they're hiding the baby, you know, Oso from him. Uh, so he over- he uses this magic thing, to uh, like a poofer, to open the wall door. Uh, then he does hide it. He's the seeker. So he finds one, two, three, four, five stormtroopers right away, like in different rooms right away. Uh, then finds a hiding med droid and the scientist. Then finds Oso, Oso Yoda. The doctor tried to explain that he wasn't playing hide and seek. He was just trying to help Oso, who was like in this kind of scan- cuteness scanner. Uh... Then he goes seeking with the baby, finds six and seven. There's some action grand music with uh, three exclamation points. Uh, eight, nine, ten. He even uses his armor one time to like hide. Like he's like hiding while somebody changes like a hiding spot. So he finds that person. Uh, then I guess once he hid, I guess the rules did change. So then he's trying to hide, but he goes into like a cafeteria. And then it's kind of like where you're, uh, I don't know if all free stag or something, but he finds four, four stormtroopers find him, but he does away like some for free stag move with his whistling birds. Uh, so that's 14 stormtroopers, uh, 
all frozen by this uh, hide and seek game. Uh, then there's more music. Uh, then the key fobs, like all the fobs. So this was a bit like uh, reminding me of uh, John Wick. Uh, I haven't seen the Latin, the more most recent one, but very Wick esque. Uh, the whole bar, everybody's fobs start beeping. Even Reef, I, I put Reef here, even in my notes, but his name's Grief, by the way. Uh, everyone tries to catch up with the Mandalorian as he's walking. He doesn't have, he, he could definitely could use a floating pram. I don't know why he didn't go get it either. I mean, because obviously at this point, it's like, okay, tracking fob's not in there. It's related to your social security. Like, you you know, it's like you shouldn't have sent in that kid or whatever that your sister gave you for the holidays uh, to know where you came from or whatever. Uh, then a grief says, uh, welcome back, Mando. Uh, put it down. Uh, they were trying to throw that, and he goes, "Could you?" I mean, I said, "Could you go get back? Could somebody before you catch me go get that fro, fro, floating crib? It'd be easier for all of us." Also, Scoots is not going to let it go because, uh, I mean, it really is. It would be like I would paint it red and use it like a wagon. I mean, here, there's a free idea for you, uh, Fearless Flyer. I would put it on there. Is that what it, that one's called? That's what the Trader Joe's thing's called, uh, Radio Flyer. That would be the coolest thing ever. Actually, if you had a lemonade stand, you could, I don't know if you, you probably insulate that and keep your lemonade cool or fill it with ice. Um, so, okay, just a couple more thoughts about that floating pram. Step aside, a great night shots, uh, put it down, put it on the speeder. We see a droid. These droid, there's, so there's like a whole lift a droid thing going, uh, which would be great. Self driving, self driving speeders. They don't exactly, I haven't seen any of these speeders speed. They're more like, uh, I mean, there's not really a good place for them to speed. They move at a reasonable speed. So I would just think about renaming them. Even though speeder sounds cool, you'd say, I mean, I guess no one would say, well, I want to move at a reasonable pace that's good for everybody. They'd say, no, no, I have to go faster than everyone. i say, well, actually, there's like a speed limit, but oh, no. I need the capacity to go faster than everybody. And I'd say, wonder, say, why don't you check out my floating pram? Uh, so he says, I'm your only hope, which is kind of like Star Wars. Uh, like, that comes up a lot in Star Wars, or maybe only once. Uh, you're our only hope, I, I guess it was. But that's what Grief says to Mando. He uh, uh, walks over. He kind of looks down. The baby's eyes are closed. Uh, so he does uh, kind of act like he's going to play along at first. Is This one is very, when you go for the Western, this has kind of got a Western feel. Uh, like a fantasy kind of first half. Uh, he looks down. The baby's eyes are closed. Uh, and then he says, hide and seek, he calls it, and then he hides. He, he manages to find, I don't exactly know the rules of this game, because, again, I'm not from this planet. Don't even know what the planet's called. I mean, it's some sort of tag, hide and seek game. Uh, but he manages to, to, to catch uh, seven people, tells the droid to drive. Uh, grief sh- shuts the driver down. I'm pretty sure he again catches uh, eight or nine more people. 
but it's clearly not enough. Uh, baby's eyes open. They say, oh, mama. Or the baby says something like that. Uh, how's it going? Hide and, I'm not old enough to play hide and seek even though I'm 50. Where's my crib, by the way? Because I left my pacifier in there. My passy. And uh, they, say, they say, okay. And then, uh, oh, mama. Uh, then all of a sudden you say, holy jetpack, all these Mandalorians show up, show up. There's great music, uh, a little late action sequence. His rival's there or whatever, uh, the splainer. He says, get out of here. And then he, Mandalorian says, but we'll have to, I mean, he says it's too late. So it is like kind of a cursory statement. It goes, but we'll have to relocate the covert. Not very covert anymore. You know what I'm saying, Bubby? And the guy goes, why did you just call me Bubby? And the Mandalorian goes, no, no, Scoots put those words in my, he didn't put them in my mouth because my mouth is obstructed by my helm. Uh, but I'll see you later, but will I, will I ever see you again, Bubby? And he goes, I kind of like you call He goes, suddenly I don't feel like your rival anymore. I feel like your friend now that you've called me Bubby. And very sleepy in a sleep bag. What do you call that baby? He goes, oh, so, oh, it's for oh, so cute or oh, so Yoda. It's also a tribute to Raven Simone because we, and, uh, and, uh, uh, Bran. So, oh, so Raven and the three eyed, oh, so, oh, so three eyed Raven. And because, you know, I'm really comfortable with you calling me Bubby, but I do have to question your judgment that you didn't take that. Why didn't you take that crib out of the garbage? Uh, because, well, I was on a mission. I really, I was, I just didn't think it through. If I would have thought through, I would have come back and got it. You're correct in your assessment of that. And he goes, you know, I'm just a character. I'm not a perfect character. And the guy goes, well, I feel perfect now. You've called me Bubby, but we'll relocate the covert. You get out of here. This is the way. And he says, this is the way. Oh, and again, this scene is definitely worth watching for the people watching. I mean, not just for the action, because there's just a great, uh, it's just very cool. I mean, it, to see this many, because I guess during a movie, it's different. I don't know why it's different, but uh, I don't know. I just enjoyed I really got a kick out of a lot of the uh, characters coming to play catch with the Mandalorian. And then if you're a big Boba Fett fan... Or Boba Balls. I mean, I guess if you're a fan of Boba Balls, you should probably hang out with Oso Ray, Oso Yoda. Like, you should give a Boba, maybe not give a Boba Ball. To, you don't give a, a Boba Ball to Yoda yet. Uh, so anyway, uh, he says that is the way. Mandalorian goes back to his ship, but uh, re- gr- grief's hiding in there. Like, he left his doors unlocked. I said, what the heck? How many times you got to learn this lesson? And he goes, don't bring up, don't, don't bring up the crib again. I know I've left my ship unlocked too many times, uh, but I knew I'd have to get on it fast in this case. Uh, and I'd say point taken. This one, I told it totally makes sense that you knew you were going to be rushing back onto the ship. Uh, it's just like anybody could have walked on here other than grief, like somebody that just might have ate your food or something or used your thinking spot or, or your bathroom. Your whole, whatever they call it, uh, the the tube, your back tube. And then we both giggled. And then he said, uh, speaking of my thinking spot, uh, grief, uh, I'm going to not only do I use this for thinking and freezing, I use it for smoking you out. Uh, so he tricks him. 
and uh, smokes Grief out, but Grief's got the steel, so Grief gets kind of caught, tagged, but he says, oh, no, uh, first, first he's no samesies. Uh, but Mandalorian actually doesn't even hear him because Mandalorian takes off. We see the arch again. Uh, two arches, actually. I just saw a smaller arch. Uh, uh, Beskar, Beskar save out. Oh, yeah. Beskar save for, for first. He's no samesies for grief. And you definitely see a Marvel influence here. There's kind of like this. Uh, I mean, I, I don't criticize anything, but I did feel like this was a bit of ridiculous. Uh, my daughter loved it, though. So, uh, you know, I'm definitely wrong. But uh, what was the guy's name? Bubby or whatever. He flies up next to the ship and they give a, a, a salute to one another. I mean, I guess it puts a bit like whatever you call it, put a button on the episode that they're. But do you, I mean, when you call someone Bubby, I don't know if you need to salute them anymore. Because uh, I'm pretty sure I don't even know where Bubby come from. I know it's from somewhere. Some pop culture thing. Uh, but it was very Iron Man-esque. Uh, uh, then my daughter said this uh, during the episode. I, like, And then uh, he said, I got to get one of these. She said it right before him. Uh, then he gives the ball to the to Oso to play with, uh, who's in the front seat because he doesn't have a freaking carrier anymore. And then we're in space, uh, and they're out. Uh, and then uh, there's ten paintings at the end, all worth looking. You know, watch the end so you can see the paintings. Because uh, I don't like, uh, I'm not going to describe them because you should watch it and see the paintings for sure. And I mean, and the music, uh, the different, like the different acts and the end music, uh, it really brings me joy too. I, like. Uh, uh, I wish I could turn off uh, where it says I'm going to skip it because it goes into like the, the last part of the theme music. Uh, but so that was the episode. So let's run through some of the things that came up here that I wanted to look up. Uh, um, hold on, because uh, Mando three. Okay, first thing was plate armor. I looked up. I, I kind of googled like how long does it take to make it. I couldn't find a like a definitive answer. Yeah, but plate armors of iron plates or steel plates, uh, like the iconic suit of armor. Uh, there were early predecessors in the Roman era. It developed in the late Middle Ages uh, in the context of the Hundred Years' War uh, from the coat of plates worn over male suits of mail. It reaches peak in the 15th and 16th centuries of full suit of armor, referred to it as a panel P, P A N O P L Y, ply, P L Y. Uh, it was uh, like uh, thus a feature of the very end of the Middle Ages in the Renaissance period, uh, association with the medieval knight and jousting. Uh, full suits of Gothic plated armor. This is all from Wikipedia. Worn on the battlefields of the Burgund Burgundian and Italian wars, uh, heavily cavalry, uh, Swiss. Uh, it declined in the 17th century, except for nobility. You know, they wore it, you know, so they could strut their stuff. Uh, but yeah, did it get renewed uh, during the Napoleonic Wars a little bit? Uh, it's a really long. Uh, article on it uh, here, but uh, I mean that's what our Mandalorian—that's what Mando's wearing is plate armor. Next up is high chew, H I 
dash c h e w. Because uh, that's what the door, ring doorbell said. I chew out I want a pinky or whatever. Now, this is popular in the Bay Area. I don't know about other places. It's been around since 1975, but re-released in its current shape in 1996. Uh, it's from a Japanese candy company. Uh, it wanted to create an edible chewing gum so you didn't have to take the gum out of your mouth. This is from Wikipedia. Uh, first, it was caramel with flavoring, a chewy caramel with flavoring, and those were called chulets. That was 1931. Uh, they're wrapped in, uh, you, you, I don't know if you've seen them in the United States, that's where, not, every, not that everybody listens in the U.S., but this is a Wikipedia, and this is where my experience with iChews occurred. Uh, there's 14 flavors, watermelon, strawberry, green apple, dragon fruit, mango, grape, peach, banana, melon, cherry, kiwi, acai. And in uh, Hawaii, pineapple and lily koi. Uh, they also have sours and bites. Uh, and they're very popular. I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess like uh, they're a bit like Starburst. If you say Scoots have never had a high chew, which can you compare it to? It's like a bit like Starburst. Uh, they're just cool. I would say they're cooler. Uh, it is not kosher or halal or vegetarian, though, just a heads up. Or maybe that was, uh, it, it. they said it is gluten-free. Um I don't know if that's since 2012 that it's not kosher or uh, halal or vegetarian, but you probably just avoid it, you know. I don't know if the same holds true for, uh, what's that stuff called? Starburst. Uh, okay, I looked up to the victors to go to spoils. I didn't really find anything out. I don't know why I looked up. I guess because he said bye-bye baby to me. I know there's a musical and a movie called Bye Bye Birdie. Never seen it. Uh, a little bit. I uh, just never seen it, I guess. uh is a musical comedy, a stage production and film. Uh, in the movie, stars Dick Van Dyke. His feature film debut, really, 1963. Uh, reprising his Broadway role, Maureen Stapleton, Janet Leigh, Janet Lee, uh, Rosie DeLeon, uh, Paul Lind, uh, Bobby Rydell. Is he the one that founded Rydell High? And Anne Margaret. Uh, it was inspired by the success of Elvis Presley uh, when he was drafted into the army. Why? Wow, I didn't even know anything about the plot of this. This is all from Wikipedia, by the way. But Jesse, P- really, I might see this. Uh, Jesse Pearson plays the role of teen idol, whose character's name is a wordplay on country singer Conway Twitty. A teen pop idol. His manager, Colonel Tom Parker, rejected the idea. Oh, no, that was Presley. It was the first choice, uh, but they said, no, not playing any parodies of Elvis. Uh, Elvis isn't playing a parody of himself. Uh, Ed Sullivan appears. The film's credited with making Anne Margaret a star, leading to her appearance in Viva, Viva Las Vegas. Uh, so that's interesting. I have no idea. It made $13.1 million at the box office in 1963. Uh, it sounds pretty great. It's got, uh, uh, looks like it has uh, 15 musical numbers, and I'm sure some people are big. It's got a Rotten Tomatoes rating of 89%. Uh, so that's Bye Bye Birdie. 
navel whistle. This one, like, there was some whistling at the beginning or, or like, sound effects, and it's called the boatswain's call or the boatswain's whistle. It's a pipe uh, or a non-diaphragm-type whistle used on naval ships. Uh, this is also from Wikipedia. Narrow tube, which directs air over a metal sphere, the buoy, with a hole in the top. Uh, and you could change, you can open and close your hand to change the pitch over the hole. Uh, the rest of the pipe contain, it consists of a keel. Uh, it was used to pass commands to the crew when the voice couldn't be heard because of the sea so loud. It has a very high pitch uh, and could be heard over... Uh, the crew's voices or the weather. It's now used also as in traditional bugle calls, uh, in ceremonies in some modern navies. It's the official badge of the quartermaster, chief boatswain's boat, boatswain's mate. And, uh, let's see. Yeah. So it's just a little bit, uh, I just thought it was interesting. I, I, I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of flourishes in, uh, the Mandalorian that I'm really enjoying. And I do enjoy the sets, the costuming and the sound effects and the music uh, is important to me. Okay. The last thing is, I don't know if we had, I know I saw a lot of ads for this uh, uh, place in when I was a kid. I don't know if they actually had any in Syracuse where I grew up. Uh, and, but I, you know, all those, you, all those of you that grew up on WPIX in New York city area, you know, Lionel Kitty city, uh, which turns a frown upside down. And it's been a while since I talked about it, but, uh, so I looked it up on Wikipedia. It started in the sixties in the eighties. It had 150 stores under the name Lionel Kitty city, Lionel play world and Lionel toy warehouse. That's L I O N E L. Uh, but it was, uh, cut back in the eighties. Then it made a comeback in the, uh, nineties in the nineties is the fourth largest toy retailer. Uh, then it contracted again because it's so hard to deal with the big toys, toy company, which isn't around anymore. Uh, tried to merge with another toy company. Uh, that didn't work. I don't know if it has anything to do with Lionel train. So, I mean, I just remember Lionel Kitty city turns your frown upside down. It looks like one of the logos I saw when I was Googling it was, uh, of, uh, a kangaroo, which I know listeners probably told me the name of the kangaroo. Maybe it was Kanga. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, it was just something that was a big part of when I was watching TV all the time as a child, young adult, uh, or teen, you know, all those times. Uh, so I don't know, just part of my childhood, Lionel Kitty City. Maybe it'd be a part of also Yoda's childhood, uh, depending on where in the timeline uh, Baby Yoda is. And I think that's it. Uh, good night. All right, hey everybody. It's uh, time for me to talk about uh, Chapter 4 of The Mandalorian. This is a man that's going to be boring. And, yes, uh, and I'm finally in a position where I haven't seen the next episode. It, I guess it came out this morning, it looks like. Uh, I knew they came out on Fridays. I didn't realize they came out Friday mornings. But I haven't seen it or heard anything about it, so that's good. Yeah, so now I'm waiting for the uh, fourth episode to download on this iPad here. I can see the na- the 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 teaser just with one sentence about the episode. Really doesn't give out too many info, too much info. And this episode features another ongoing character, which really plays against our expectations in some sense. 
because of like the, the teaser trailers and the art that was released before the series started, you kind of get, at least this is in my opinion, I mean, but Mandalorian does seem like a tale of a lone, you know, person traveling the universe to help people. I mean, also in this case, uh, like the season arc seems to be helping one person in particular. Uh, but, you know, we did it like, I mean, I guess I projected the idea. Oh, Mandalorian's got a backup team, like a backing band with the droid. And then the character, Kara, uh, uh, Kara, you say Kara, I say Kara, Kara Dune, uh, who's featured in this episode. And maybe a per, Ron Perl, the Ron Perlman-esque uh, uh, engineer. But I don't know. So... Oh, I don't know. So, so I guess that's not, I mean, that's a way they've subverted expectations such far, such far, so far. Uh, this episode is also very truly, uh, uh, very, um, episodically modular and, uh, procedural, like a sleep with me episode should be. Uh, so that was great. And now I'm hitting play. It's probably going to play next last time on there. Trying to think if I have any other commentary about this, uh, you know, while we warm up. Showing uh, recaps from the last few episodes. Uh, silver armor, you know, the shiny armor. I didn't think about that. That shiny uh, from, uh, was it from Moana? That song. We're seeing the uh, floating pram. That was the b- biggest mistake of the season. Now you're keeping that floating pram. What did Scooch talk about the most last episode? You know, all the greatest, one of the greatest losses in all Star Wars, not uh, taking the floating pram out of the garbage, even if it wasn't properly working. I mean, here's the thing. I guess they could say, they could say, well, actually, one of the stormtroopers, you know, GP44445, but actually they're not stormtroopers anymore. So they probably, it's like, you you know, Zeke. Uh, like, you know, just wear storm, you know, former stormtrooper or a person who acquired the stormtrooper armor, you know, in a mud pie, a mud pie making dance. Uh, you know, I did, I did take all of the, the electronics out. I didn't just didn't keep the top half of the pram because I have one at home. I just took the electronics for it. You know, I'm going to make one of those mini, you know, you heard of a mini bike, right? Scoots, uh pocket bike remember those were big like for seven years ago we're gonna make one of those okay great so it wouldn't be the episode if i didn't say Werner. Uh, then uh you know we have the all the openings which i talked through then we see like this great shot again where if you don't know anything if you stay spoiler free which i guess if you listen to this uh hopefully you're probably asleep anyway but if you're not you know you you won't be missing much because you get to see it through my eyes. You say, well, if you're going to see, if you're not going to be spoiler free, see it through Scoots' eyes. Because uh, I said, uh, holy uh, 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 movie. I, I thought this was, a, I said, is that a, um, a fancy fish tank? Because uh, we see some like shrimp, brine shrimp like, but they're blue swimming around in some. Stuff. It did look like we were inside of a fish tank. The lights coming from above. Oh, this is a recap. Sorry, I was just looking at my notes for the first time. Recap: Werner, Yoda, uh, armor, uh, grief. What? Crib. Hide and seek. John Wick. Hide and seek. All of them. Uh, all of them. Lucasfilm. Star Wars. Underwater. Fish tank? Question mark. Lots of light. Blue brine type. Uh, sea monkeys. Uh, 
something shrimp, shrimp blue. Kid plays with a frog, takes a village. Uh, it's like a village. Uh, there's actually, it didn't even, there's like a, a, a carrying droid. Uh, let's see, everyone's working. Uh, then we get the old uh, thing from uh, every, everything's picturesque. Holy cow, these people are happy. They're working together. They're working hard, wiping their faces of sweat. Kids are playing wicker soccer, uh, chase a frog, whatever that game was that that character played, the super water fun time or whatever. But then we get the old Jurassic Park uh, water moment with the boom, boom, booming, booming. And everyone splits uh, as they say, oh, boy, here comes the walker. And they said something, like, at first I couldn't understand what they were saying. It was reenactment. I heard stuff like reenactment, and uh, I saw it. I heard, uh, you know, our friend Summer uh, made a movie about this. Uh, but I could have heard them say, like, uh, something LARPers. At first I thought they said Womp Rat, because that's what I thought they say every time. But they were called, like, they, it was two words. So it took me a long time to parse this out. LARPer. Uh, reenact uh, like in his lord 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 larpers uh uh which is just i mean again this is uh, just my interpretation but these were lord of the rings like a live action role player reenactor kind of uh, people and i'll tell you what they weren't in the fellowship uh they were in the puppy ship uh uh, I don't know if they were on Team Sauron. I think they were like original Sauron, 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 whatever, uh, you know, indirectly working for Sauron. At least we get, or maybe they could work for Sauron. And I, I, so anyway, they're Lord of the Rings or LARPers. So Lord, Lord of the Rings, LARP, live action role players. Uh, but they don't. They they play like in a way where they don't ask uh, the other people at the village if they wanted to play. They say we need extras for our lorping, and they just show up. Uh, believe me, don't worry. The Mandalorian will help us parse and sort this out. Oh, that was the other thing I forgot is uh, that uh, um, the great news is that oh, that I was talking about. You know, the Mystery Bard wrote a, uh, like, did a TikTok uh, in a, a song, a day song, uh, Baby Yoda Lullaby. And I'm so busy with the podcast, I don't know how big virally it went, but, it, you know, it's great news for the Mystery Bard. Uh, by the time you hear this, it'll be months later, but I'll try to link to it. You know, let's re, 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 you know, re, re get it going. Um, so where were we? Okay, Lord of the Rings. Uh, Oh, they also think they can, they, they want a shrimp. This is really a stretch, but, uh, LARP, Lord of the Rings LARPers got to eat. That's one of the things the leader says, you know, so they're also taking the shrimp, uh, for like a buffet, which is ridiculous, you know? Uh, so they're particularly focusing on one mother and her daughter. Uh, you know, they're particularly impacted. Uh, by the thing, it's Chapter 4, Sanctuary, uh, Mandalorian. Then we see the ship in space. Then we see Oso. This is Oso. If you want to talk about Oso Cute, uh, and this has gotten a lot of meme treatment, but, you know, for like 80s or radio stations in the car with Dad. Uh, but Oso's pressing buttons. And, again, I guess i got to do another commentary here. 
uh, not to go off the, well, it's my job is going tangents, right? And I could tell you that if I would have known about Baby Oso before the season started, there would have been a part of me that like was like, oh boy, they're going to be in trouble there. Like, how you can't pull, that's going to be tough to pull off. Uh, so I really have to salute everybody involved in the Mandalorian for successfully pulling this off. First of all, for not hyping it. So even, uh, this is one situation where whatever the marketing and creative discussions were, they ended up for the best and it's had a great, much greater impact, but also just how hard it is. You know, just make, like to make something that parents and kids can watch and enjoy together that has something that it actually is cute, like Oso, but uh, that isn't smarmy, I guess. You know what I'm saying? And the main, like the closest parallel I can draw, because you say I haven't seen Mandalorian Scoots, I need more. Uh, and I said, don't worry, I got you covered. Uh, is uh, uh, Olaf, uh, the snowman that likes warm hugs from, from the first Frozen. And I mean, you think about it, like, again, I heard about Olaf before the movie came out and I think it was on a podcast and someone was critical of the idea. And I can't, I can't honestly remember at the time if I was like, huh, I'm interested or I was agreeing and saying, well, boy, sounds like a big mistake. And even the Olaf art might've gotten leaked out ahead of time, maybe on purpose in a marketing way. Anyway, first of all, because I was just thinking about this with, like, Frozen 2 and the holiday season is when I'm recording this, is, like, uh, the idea of a reinvention of a living snow person, uh, whoa, boy, that is, I mean, I realize this is, like, 2014 or whatever, but uh, the idea of doing taking something that's somewhat iconic and plussing it and reinventing it and kind of making its own a man and then perfect casting josh gad uh and then you know great songwriting great writing i don't know but that's the closest thing i could say i guess from someone that makes stuff i see how did they pull olaf off i mean you know before even before they got josh gad you know i mean again you see okay it was all these stages it all worked out great and i'd say the same for Oso. Uh, that just, so I guess that's just my meandering way of saying, well done. Okay. So pressing buttons, he, he says, stop, uh, and then Oso rebels, uh, and he puts Oso in his lap, then he pulls up a map, uh, they're going to play something sorghum. They said, isn't that like something to do with like weed or something? Uh, I said, or bran? Uh, back, backwater. You see the affinity, though. Even though uh, the Mandalorian can be very scooter-esque or Drew-like, uh, cold, uh, distant, uh, he does say he does get cutesy. He says, "You want? We're going to lay low." What do you think that you little womp rat? Uh, no one will find us. Uh, then the ship, uh, Mandalorian ship, goes over our village. Uh, it gets lots of eyes from the villagers. Which, again, as far as, like, the slow reveals or semi-slow in a 40-minute episode, I said, well, what's going to happen next? Uh, I mean, clearly there's, like, this A-team, you know, procedural element, but you say, huh, how's this going to come together? Uh, then uh, we get more oh-so-ness because uh, he says, uh, the Mandalorian, I mean, this is bad. Is to talk about bad ideas, though. He says, why don't you stay behind on the ship, oh-so? 
And uh, everyone that was watching in the world said, what are you thinking, Mandalorian? Obviously, uh, you're not, because uh, he's going to put that ball in his mouth or something. Or, you know, press with so many, you don't have, like, uh, your ship is not childproofed. Uh, but at least uh, this child is so smart, it, it can advocate for itself. Because, I mean, by the way, kids can't, but this is baby happens to be 50, so... Uh, that's why. So the baby says, even though I'm a still, you know, this is my developmental stages are not the same as a human or most mammals. Uh, I'm going to come with you because I can't be trusted on my own. And I say, man, I wish I could eat, like advocate for my needs like that. Uh, and the Mandalorian says, well, I'm glad you spoke to you spoke to your needs. Uh, I, I don't agree. So he sighs. He, 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 oh, that's when he says, don't come with me. Oh, no, then he sighs and says, come on. Then they go walking. They go to like a kebab and noodles bar, uh, which, uh, hello, Disney. You know, I know you got some other shops at your Disney theme parks or whatever, but uh, kebab and noodles bar would be good. You could put this outdoors somewhere even. And, yeah, I guess you could still charge whatever, 8000 for like a bowl of noodles. So it's a kebab. Yeah, but there's wood, wooden dirt floors. We kind of get an idea of uh, uh, not primitive uh, environment, uh, but a basic environment. I don't mean Eleanor basic. I mean, you know, wooden dirt floors. Uh, Oso meets a cat. Then we see a grouchy soldier in the background. And we get a bone broth shout out. Uh, you know, you heard it here first years ago when I talked about sipping broth being a th- becoming a thing. And I even got turned down by a sipping broth sponsor or, you know, I never heard back from them uh, when they said, uh, you know, but, but that's true. Uh, like, uh, they said, you know, I was the one that invented sipping broth, uh, you know, except for the people, you know, 4,000 years ago that did it. Uh, Mando doesn't eat. This also was like, uh, huh, like where you, uh, it's a small way to keep people on the edge of their seat, these different scenes. Or at least to me, they kept me. I said, huh, does Mando eat at all? Like, uh, uh, that are n- not much business. Uh, what does that mean? Not log runner. Uh, but he says, who's that lady back there? Like, looking glum and still like armor. And she, she, she says, uh, there's not much business here. And she says, I don't know. She's not a log runner. And then she says, oh, this is all like, so this is like, I think this is like a Renaissance fair planet, uh, but not our Renaissance fair. Some other version of Renaissance fair, but also real, but real, like, uh, I don't know how to explain it. She says, would you like a flag and a spotchka? Uh, and, uh, he says, keep an eye on the kid. Then he checks the thermal prints. Uh, he can see thermal footprints. He gets tricked by this other soldier and she jumps down. Uh, they have an arm wrestling match, uh, and they're disagreeing mostly about the rules of the arm wrestling match. And then we see baby Oso sipping bone broth, uh, and we get a great joke. Uh, you want some soup? Then uh, she's, you know, we get in halfway through her backstory, so we don't hear too much, you know, because this isn't a sleep podcast. Uh, I mean, the show isn't. Uh, so she says, yada, 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 drop ships, peacekeepers, early retirement. Uh, 
She's talking about you, oh, what's that? Not Hoss, but that other one, Endor. Uh, let's see. She said, I knew you were a guild, thought you had a fob on me. And I said, that was a, like a, one of my favorite uh, Star Wars parody songs that were n- never written uh, about the Mandalorian by, uh, I don't know, t- take a fob on me. You know, just like uh, take a chance on me. You've got a fob on me. Or I guess you could sing it as uh, the Jungle Book. You've you've got a, oh no, that's not the Jungle Book, it's Toy Story. You've got a fob on me. Fits so many places, I think, just because of the way the, um, the syllables fall. And now I'm trying now. Yeah, don't worry. I'm going to move on. I was here first. Uh, and again, I like how clear cut the Mandalorian could be. He goes, oh, well, this planet's taken, kid. Uh, going to have to hit the road. Then he's tuning up his ship and two villagers come on a skiff. If you want to talk about him, like one of the things this TV show glorifies, it's uh, lanterns. You say, when was the last show with this many lanterns uh, that wasn't based around, you know, that like weren't oil land, you know, that wasn't like, uh, you say Hamilton. I say, well, that's a musical one. You say two, like, okay, Mary Poppins two. And you say, well, were those lan- uh, those are were those lamps or lanterns? I'm talking about lanterns, not lamps. You see, this thing has some, you know, if you're into lanterns, uh, or I don't know, maybe like there's somebody like it, they'll, they'll come out like one of those people. They say, well, we can't our kids today. We can't watch this stuff. It's full of lanterns. Uh, and then next thing you know, there's going to be you know moths coming by. You know, when I was a kid, we sat in the dark, and you say, no, actually didn't, because you probably had lanterns then, too. Okay, he says, excuse me, excuse me, raiders, uh, you know, they say, he says, yeah, they call them raiders. Uh, he said, no, no, empire, they, no, they said, uh, Lord of the, Lord of the Larper, Lord, Lord Larpers. And he said, what is that, some sort of dance, Lord Larper? And they go, no, Lord, Lord LARPers are, they're bugging us. Uh, we got money to pay you. Uh, uh, and he says, well, not enough to deal with a Lord LARPer. And they go, no, no, a group, it's a group, not just one person. And the Mandalorian's like, no, no way. You're not going to get me, you don't have enough money in the world to, to pay, pay me to deal with any Lord LARPers. And, uh. He says, how many lulls would a Lord LARPer LARP if a Lord LARPer could LARP LARPs? Uh, and they, he says, they say, well, we like, uh, grow Krill and Bruce Spotchka, man. He goes, not enough. Uh, they said, we'll give you more after the next harvest. Uh, and they say, oh, uh, like, uh, the, 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 one of the actors in this is somebody I really love. Um, uh, Eugene Cordero, uh, and he, but, but, but I have a feeling he'll be a big, big star. Uh, uh, and you, 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 I don't know. I just always enjoy seeing him on the screen. Uh, it, it just has a really nice, uh, especially when he plays this character, where he's a little bit flummoxed. Uh, but he has like this good nature to him. I don't know. He's also very funny. I mean, not in, in this one, he adds a tiny bit of, uh, humor, but not too much, uh, so, I don't know, he's also good at adding, like, subtle humor. So, okay, where was I? Okay, Eugene Cordero. Okay, so they say, we live in the middle of nowhere. He says, you live in the middle of nowhere? Uh, where's that? And they go, you know, in the middle of nowhere, down the road a ways. Uh, and the Mandalorian goes, uh-huh. 
He goes, do you have, do you have a lot of lanterns? And they say, well, we got one right here. Uh, and for he says, okay, you still got that money though. Uh, let's see. He goes, where? And they go, or what do you do? They go on a farm. We're farmers. Weren't you listening? Yeah. He goes, you have lodging again. I love how the language they use for Mandalorian. And at first, oh, they also, I think it was, I don't know if, it, like, it was Eugene or someone else that said, you just took us a whole day to get here. Now we get to go all the way home. Uh, and then, yeah, I loved it. Uh, weren't you listening? We live on a farm. We're farmers. Uh, okay, so he says, good. Uh, come to hell. Okay, something. He goes, okay, let's load up the skiff. One more thing. Give me those credits. Uh and then we see him drop the credits at uh, Cara Dune's uh, uh, thing. He says, I'm going to be, one more thing, give me those credits. I'm watching now. She's just kicking it by against a tree by the fire. And he goes, you ready for round two? And she goes, hmm. Then they're on the skiff. And she goes, then they kind of say, okay, what are we doing? Lorp larder, lore larders or something. She goes, what's a... And he goes, like, they're going to give you a place to stay uh, and will be a deterrent. A pretty good deal. Uh, nothing lives out here. You can handle it. I can handle it. And she goes, Lorp Larders? And he goes, no, Lorp Larders, one of the guys says. And then again, you get this uh, super cuteness. Is there a word like, you know, people used to say H-A-W-T or whatever, hot. Uh, oh, yeah, this is like K-E-W-T-Cute. Uh, let me see what the time frame stamp is. 1327. Uh, Mando kicks back and then uh, Oso kicks back. Uh, super cute. Holy moly. Uh, Mando. Oh, Oso looks at the stars for a second, though. Then they wake up. They're there. Kids come running. They're happy to see everybody. Happy to see us, even one of them says. Uh, in Oso. They love Oso. It's a farm. Uh, then we're in a room uh, where the blinds are getting put up by like a, what is kind of like a, a tease out as a, like a, a romantic interest for the Mandalorian. It's just, it's like, uh, she goes, hello, uh, please come in. Sorry, you got to sleep in the barn. He goes, this one is nice. Uh, he, he also is very robotic again. He says, thank you. That's very kind. Uh, her daughter tries to sneak in and makes Mando a little jumpy. Uh, she says, we don't get a lot of visitors. Says, thank you, and nods. Uh, uh, also at 1520, let me see. Uh, it's coming up in a minute. Uh, she, uh, so she says, yeah, I stack some blankets. That's very kind, old Mando says. Uh, now he's jumpy. Winter's the name of the daughter. Uh, Mando she, she says, oh, this man's here to help us. Uh, uh, like, uh, get rid of those lorp larder, lorp larpers. Uh, uh, yeah, she's protected, protect us from the lorp larders, taking our shrimp and just making us larp with them when we don't even want to. Uh, let's give our guests some room. Mando's standing there. There's some shot I wanted to note. Uh, 1520. Oh, there it is. Oh, boy. No wonder I said noted. Uh, it's actually 1528. It's a shot, overhead shot of the farm. It really is cool. Uh, then, oh yeah, good shot from the sky. Then Mando's getting ready sequence. 
not really a sequence. He's just getting dressed. Knock, knock, come in. We see that Oso has their own crib. Uh, Winter says, can I feed him? He says, sure. Can I play with him? Sure, but a little bit more grouchy. And he, like, this is how I parent. He, she goes to go outside. He goes, I don't think this is a good idea. And then the woman says, uh, it'll be fine. And he says, I don't think it was good. She goes, it'll be fine. She goes, I brought you some food. He goes, that's very thoughtful of you. This is what I'm like, like with all interactions. Like, uh, oh, okay, that's very thoughtful of you. And she says, she goes, I'll leave it here. Oh, then he says, yeah, that's very thoughtful. But she stays for a second, kind of looking after him. She goes, can I ask you something? You ever take that helmet off? Uh, uh, or she goes, when was the last time you took it off? He goes, yesterday. She goes, like, in front of somebody else. He goes, uh, huh, when I was, like, their kid's age. Uh, so we get some more backstory. He goes, this is the way. Uh, she goes, isn't it lonely? Not a... Uh, she goes, I could tell you got it. And she said, if you only knew what kind of face was under that helmet, holy mackerel. It's uh, 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 flawless, I'd say. I mean, no, no offense to Antonio because he's not here, but uh, you'd say, who, who gives Antonio Banderas a run for their money? And I'd say, well, one day if you ever see a helmless uh, Mandalorian, you'll find out. Uh, but she's she's also she's strikingly beautiful too. So they say, holy cow! Uh, and you see that's your like if they did stay together, they'd be like, but that's your child that that green that green green uh, thing that looks like a lorp larder. And they'd say, oh, so used to be cute, and now it's uh, no, that's uh, like a. And they say, scoots. Okay, yeah, you're right. Get back on track here. So, yeah, and then she goes, well, let us know if you eat, need anything. And then Mando kind of eats in the window, which did seem like not a great idea. But I guess he wants to keep, maybe the, there's like a two-way window or something. You see the kids in the Yoda, or kids in Oso. Then they go, Kara uh, and uh, Mando go on a scouting trip, more thermal prints, 15 to 20 Lorp larders. But then they say there's something big uh, and they start looking around, and then they notice it's a ta- it's a print of uh, like a tower. And she goes, "Is that Sauron's tower or Sau- Sauron's tower?" And Mando goes, "I always got those two mixed up." Uh, and he goes, "Was that played by Christopher Guest?" And Cardoon says, "No, not Christopher Guest. Uh, Christopher, not Christopher Walken either." And she goes, the famous actor that Scoots can't think of his name, but neither guest nor walk-in. He goes, Christopher Plummer? She goes, no, not a, no, uh, no, not Christopher Plummer either. And he goes, what do you mean it's a tower? He goes, what do you mean? She goes, it's some sort of movable tower with the eye of, uh, presumably the eye of Sauron. And he goes, well, that's not good. Cause, uh, and she goes, yeah, then we get more. Uh, serious comedy, more than I signed up for. There's music. Uh, and then the Mandalorian has a town meeting. He goes, bad news, you can't live here anymore. And she goes, nice bedside manner. He goes, oh, can you do better? And she goes, yeah, yeah, what, uh, every, everybody's like, you're supposed to help us. What are you doing? Uh, and he goes, just go somewhere else. Big, big, big planet. Uh, and they go, we've been seeding these pods for generations. Uh, and they go, well, there's at least 20 Lorp larders, and, and then the uh, some sort of mobile tower of Sauron, or Sauron. And they go, Sauron, it's the, the eye of Sauron. 
And they go, which one? Because we're all confused here. And they go, you got Lord Blarders and Sauron. And they said Sauron, I guess the eye of Sauron. We're not leaving. And they go, well, I don't know what to do. And then the, the Mandalorian says, unless we show them how. And then you say, okay, this, I learned this from watching the A-Team. It's time for a planning and training sequence. And so we get one with Cara Dune. Uh, he says, he says, Cara Dune here will uh, do, teach you how to do something. I don't know. So they start making pit, mud pits and trees, uh, you know, like barricades. Uh, uh, the mother, the romantic interest of the, the of, uh, uh, um, uh, Omera, uh, she's a good, she's good at, uh, squirt guns, uh, which they're going to use the old ice water and squirt guns. There's nothing the Lorplarder hates more than, Lorplarder, Lorplarder, than cold squirt guns, uh. And then they have a, a pit for the the eye of Sauron to, to put it out. Uh, uh, it's a bit bad news bears to start. Um, you know that's part of a training sequence, though. And then they get better. Uh, they also have a moment alone, which is on screen right now, uh, uh, where it's like, uh, "What's ha- what's going to happen here?" And he goes, "We got to go out in the woods now." Also, Cara Dune rolls by. When uh, the Mandalorian and Omera are having the moment. Uh, then we got some wood sneaking. Another thing about Lord Blarders is they drink a lot. In this case, they're drinking glow cube drinks uh, with black light into the cup, uh, which I've never seen before. And I think they're drinking, they must be drinking Spotchka, uh, maybe. Uh, because uh, then we see they go into a tent, uh, Karen, uh, Mando, we see vats of maybe Spotchka, and then it's on, and these, these, it wasn't, they do apple bobbing in Spotchka is the way the Lorplarders compete with one another. So, oh boy, does it get crazy because, uh, they've never, you know, you can't like with a, like a drink, you like, it's one thing in water or something, but this is, has alcohol in it. So things get crazy. Uh, and then, but the man, Mando and, uh, Kara end up on, you know, they end up winning, but there's a lot of apples being thrown. Then somebody hops in this eye of Sauron, uh, walking tower. They put Eye of Sauron Bot 2000, and the chase is on. Uh, we see Oso and the kids hiding out in the mist. We see pa- the ponds, uh, and uh, the, like, it was, like then the LARPers show up. Uh, they say, ready. Then, of course, this giant Tower of Sauron shows up with a glowing eye and everything. It's very intimidating. And it moves. It stops right at the begin, like the beginning of the pit, but isn't in the fall. It doesn't fall in the pit. Uh, shines a spotlight, uh, like out of its eye. You know, just like in the movie. But I mean, more. I mean, that was a movie. This is real for the characters, at least. And the Lord of the, they, then the Lord of the Rings uh, LARPers they show up, like throwing apples and saying Spotchka. Then I think he says to Cara Dune, new plan, full circle. Maybe she says, she says something, but it basically is like, uh, he gives her, her, his, like, uh, trusty, like a pole, uh, thing in the lightning pole and, uh, cooler out your mind. Come on. But, but like, uh, 
like, what she does is part of his, like, faith, uh, I believe. And she, uh, so I don't know. I thought that was a cool little moment that it's like, huh, there's not going to be any callbacks to this, or is there? I mean, because these two definitely have a good working relationship. But so he trusts her with his, like, most prized possession other than Oso. And Kara jumps in the water. He says, you got this. He's very, they say, now or never. Uh, then she says, take the bait, you uh, big eye of Sauron, you hunk of junk. Uh, uh, then it gets stuck in the, in the mud, and they splash the water, put the eye of Sauron out. And they say, we don't even need one ring to rule you all. And eventually they get victory over these lore blarders who will go running home. Uh, to their mamas, probably, and say, you know, geez, we were throwing apples at these other kids, and uh, they turned the tables on us with ice-cold squirt gun water. There's cheers. Uh, see, was that the plan? Something like that. Uh, then we see Oso and the frog, like, playing with the frog. The kids are like, that's gross. Uh, so I think Oso has Oso's first experience with... Uh, Humor was going in like the like the first stage performance. Uh, Rosso says, "Oh, the kids liked it when I put a frog in my mouth and then spat it back out, or did they not like it? Uh, it's tough to tell." But Oso liked it, which is almost so. Oso may become a stand-up comedian or a sleep podcaster. Uh, it makes kids laugh. Thirty, thirty-three. This was a nice scene because. Uh, so a couple of weeks have gone by, according to the um, dialogue, and Kara and Mando are just kicking it. Uh, like, literally, this is at 3033. Uh, they are kicking it at the doors of uh, one of their cabins. Uh, like, Kara's sitting down, Mando's standing up, leaning, uh, like, uh, against the wall, which, you know, he does so well. Uh, and then um, Omera shows up. Uh, let's follow the dialogue here. Right now I'm at where uh, baby Oso is the frog. The kids are laughing. Oh, even Oso smiled, and the frog was happy. Uh, Omera brings Kara uh, a drink. She goes, you want something? And Mandalorian goes, maybe later. She smiles, and is like, oh, your, your son's so happy. He goes, yeah, he is. She just fits right in. And the Mandalorian watched her walk off. Caradun does the eyebrow thing. And she goes, well, what happens if you take your helmet off? Uh, you get in trouble? He goes, no, you just can never put it back on again. And she kind of looks at him like, are you saying figuratively or metaphorically? And she goes, that's it? Uh, and she goes, you could just take off the helmet and settle down here with your kid. Drink spotchka. You know, makes you know maybe, but like she goes, I have a feeling you're as handsome as, as she, you know, you're both handsome people. When it's a compliment, and she goes, "What are you thinking, dude?" Uh, and uh, she just has this great performative amusement, uh, like a best friend. I mean, she she's like, uh, and he goes, "We really raised some heck here a couple of weeks ago with those lore blarders. Uh, they might have gotten on one of their newsletters or something." And he goes, "We better move on." We, and she goes, well, I wouldn't want to tell your kid the bad news. And they're playing catch the, catch the brine shrimp. Uh, and he goes, I'm leaving him here. And she goes, she gives him a side eye. He goes, me and with me, it's no life for a kid. And he goes, he's safe here. Better chance at a life. Uh, 
And she goes, well, he's not going to be happy about it because he, lo- he loves you're his papa. And he goes, we'll get over it. We all do. And she goes, that sounds like something. She goes, that doesn't sound like something a modern generation would say. It sounds something old school. Yeah, yeah, big Kira, Kira smile. If I've been calling her something else, Kara Kara Dune, or Kira Dune, maybe. Uh, let's see, she's softball at the very end. Then we see this elephant-type, uh, you know, member of the guild. And uh, then the Mandalorian rolls up on Omera. He says, excuse, actually, she has on um, rubber, whatever those things are called, waders, uh, he says, can I have a moment to speak with you? She goes, sure. Uh, and let's see what he says. Uh, he says, it's very nice here. She goes, yeah, I've lived here my whole life. Uh, and he goes, I think it's clear he's happy here. She says, what about you? And he goes, me? No, I'll never be. She goes, are you happy here? And he just he doesn't even say anything. She goes, well, it would be nice if you stayed. The community likes you. Because you could pack your armor away, yeah, you know, maybe kiss someone. You and your boy could have a good life. He could be a kid for a while. I mean, that one cuts deep, you know. She goes, wouldn't that be nice? Uh, really well done. He goes, it would. So you could, I mean, I don't know, in the fifth watch, this is why I do these shows. It really stood up. Then she holds his helmet like she's going to take it off. Uh, pack way, good life. Uh, uh, then. He says, I don't belong here. And she goes, uh, he goes, he does, though. And she goes, I understand. And she says, I could look after him like he's one of my own. Uh, then we hear the beeping. We see the member of the guild, uh, uh, like their tile fob and everything. But then we see Kira, 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 Kira Dune. Uh, she deals with this member of the guild, says, go back, uh, you know, fobless. Uh, tracking, and they say, who is he tracking? You are the kid or me? He goes, the kid. Uh, and then Oso's looking on as they start packing up uh, to go away. Uh, so this is kind of, because uh, they say, yeah, they, they must have uh, the kids tiled. Uh, there's nothing we can do. So then we have Oso making an Oso cute face. Uh, Mandalorian's packing up a skiff, uh, packing it twice, a- autopilot skiff, I guess. Kara says, you don't want an escort? He goes, nah. Uh, I, I goes, we're going to just head right to the, my uh, my ship, the Razor Crest. Must be the name of his ship. They do a hand, fi- hand five until our paths cross again. Uh, uh, um, the kids are pretty upset to see Oso go. Winter is going to miss Oso. Mandalorian says goodbye to O'Mara. She, she goes, thanks. Uh, he just nods his head, uh, and she kind of smiles at him. Also gets a big hug. He says some cute stuff uh, to the kid. I mean, who knows what he's saying. Maybe he's saying stuff in some sort of forced language, too. I mean, he is 50 years old, so if they were playing any games, he would have a distinct advantage. Even catch the brine shrimp. Uh, Mando uh, sets everything up in the skiff. Actually, we have like a pretty, pretty long, like five or ten second sequence of him, everybody just watching and looking on. A lot of nodding. I wonder if uh, Pedro Pascal like has to do neck exercises. He must. Then we get a close up of Oso's face. It's awful but sad. 
and inquisitive and cute. Oh, so cute. And it ends. Uh, we get the wonderful surprise. This episode was directed by Bryce Dallas Howard. I mean, what, well, this one I didn't, I knew she directed an episode this season. And I don't know, I, I was having trouble counting the paintings. So I don't know if there's nine or 10 paintings at the end, but definitely worth watching. And then let's look, look up a couple of things quick from this episode here. Uh, let's see. Still came up Lionel Kitty City. So Bryce Dallas Howard, we, we don't, I'll put that in the show notes. Uh, obviously a great director, uh, but also a great performer. And, you know, because we're uh, you know, big fans of uh, uh, St- Stephen and Jurassic World, Jurassic Park, uh, you know, awesome on Jurassic World. So wouldn't it be nice uh, it gets said? And that's it, like, I, I talked about this on the podcast before, like, uh, for me, one of my pinnacle moments of uh, consuming uh, film was uh, the first time I saw the movie Roger and Me, and maybe like uh, the second time or third time I saw it too. And then, uh, what's uh, Hamper? Ben Hamper, I think, is saying about talking about the song, Wouldn't It Be Nice? Uh, but Wouldn't Be Nice is a song written by Brian Wilson, Tony Asher, and Mike Love for the Beach Boys. Came out on Pet Sounds in 1966. This is from Wikipedia. Uh, it was put out as a, as a single two months before the album's release. With God only knows as the B side. Whoa, boy, what a what a record! Uh, and in some countries, it wouldn't it be nice with the B side. The B side wins again and again, as Chuck D used to sing. Uh, let's see. Wilson did the uh, orchestral. A uh, wall of sound arrangement using a variety of instruments not normally heard in popular music, including accordions and 12-string guitar and a lot of other classical stuff. Uh, Love was not originally listed, listed as a co-writer, but received his credit after uh, having to get having to make, uh, advocate for Mike's love self. It was very, the happy sounding music, according to this Wikipedia, uh, was influential in uh, future pop, power pop. Uh, Tony Asher credits the idea of the song to Brian Wilson. The innocence of the situation, uh, like, uh, seemed immensely appealing to him. Uh, lyrics were written almost entirely by Asher over the course of one or two days. Uh, Mike loved it and, and the, um, yeah, ending couplet. Uh, it celebrated adolescence fun and teenage love, uh, but subverts this connect- convention uh, with uh, the, the saying. But I mean, for me, it, it, like it is removed from those meanings of the song uh, from Ben Hamper. Let me just see if I can find that in the um, like references. Uh, there's cover versions. It's got to be mentioned in here somewhere. Maybe it's not. Wouldn't it be nice if we think of it like a, I don't know. That's just for me what I always think of when I think of this song. Uh, unless it's like another song. But I, I think it's like, uh, wouldn't it be nice if we think of hope and pray it might come true. And we could be happy. Is that another song? Uh, no, wouldn't it be nice? Uh, another thing that came up was like uh, the Oso's relationship with the frog. Uh, it reminded me of the film The Princess and the Frog, which was uh, uh, 2009. Wow, it came out 2009, a Disney film. It was the 49th uh, Disney animated feature film. 
loosely based on the novel The Frog Princess by E.D. Baker, uh, which is based on the grim fairy tale The Frog Prince. It was written by uh, John Musker and Ron Clements. Uh, let's see. I like to always see. Okay, so it came out in 2009 for the holiday season, 97 minutes. It cost $105 million, brought in about $271 million. Uh, it takes place in New Orleans, uh, stars Tiana, uh, and uh, like I don't want to, I don't know, talk about the plot because uh, since uh, probably on Disney Plus too, uh, but yeah, I always love uh, stuff that's based on it. Uh, let's see, Disney had once announced this is early development. The Home on the Range would be their last uh, traditionally animated film. Uh, then, two thousand six, they acquired Pixar. And many animators had been laid off uh, from traditional animation units, but they got rehired back onto the project. Uh, they also brought back Clements and Musker, who had worked on The Great Mouse Detective, The Little Mermaid, Aladdin, Hercules, and Treasure Planet. Uh, and uh, they started everything. Uh, and yeah, it's uh, it's a definitely a beloved, beloved uh, Disney film. Uh, Cara Dune made me think of Dune, uh, the novel, which this was interesting. So I guess I thought I'd talked about, you know, maybe I've talked about Dune, the movie, uh, but I don't think I ever looked up this Wikipedia article about Dune, a 1965 science fiction novel originally published as two separate serials. I had no idea about that. It was a first installment of the Dune saga, which I think I've read a few of these books, but my brain is not, uh, like uh, retained very much uh and uh you know very popular books a popular movie i think there's a was it coming out or was there already a mini series let's look that up uh i mean it really like uh, a david lynch movie was it who made the first uh, film uh, let's see there's adaptations there's early stalled attempts then there was the 1984 film by david lynch uh, 2000 miniseries by John Harrison that came out on the Sci-Fi Channel, and then a couple of oh, there's a 2020 film coming out. Uh, uh, yeah, so that'll be interesting. So it's about to come out uh, at some point, uh, uh, not that far from now. I mean, who knows uh, when you're hearing this? So that'll be something I, you know I'll check out too. Uh, yeah, you think that's it. There's other stuff that'll be in the research if you want to look it up. Uh, but yeah, thank you so much uh, for listening and uh, good night. Uh, all right, Mandalorian fans, it's time for episode five, The Gunslinger, chapter five, excuse me. And the recap has, is heavy on the Cargus, uh, Reef Cargus, or whatever his proper name is, Guild Code, previously on The Mandalorian, uh, Mando, they all dislike you strongly. Sorgan, uh, no population. Uh, and then, you know, Mando says no life for a kid. And then his robotic, yes, yes. And then the uh, opening of the show or the intro uh, with the Lucas for, for, for Lucasfilm and the uh, Star Wars. And then we have a black screen with some sound effects, which sound like lasers to me. And we get what I believe is our first space battle. It's a brief one, uh, but it is, uh, uh, you, you see, this, so this is technically a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. 
So remember that because uh, the, the, what happens in the space battle, like two spaceships battling, you know, like a drag racing, I mean. And there's a dude in a blackbird-like ship, and he's got a, he kind of does look like a Top Gun pilot. He doesn't have a full, I mean, I guess he should have a climate-controlled ship anyway. Yeah, but he has, he does, yeah, he looks like a Top Gun pilot. He does a lot of spinning. One of the engines on the Mandalorian ship goes out uh, at one thirty. If you if you're looking to pause, you know, if you're looking to pause this episode a few times or one fifty three, uh, I don't have the ability, you know, and I don't. I'm 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 on embargo still. No reading of any Mandalorian stuff. Uh, period. I mean, I did see accidentally a couple. Uh, headlines but you know i said that's clickbait you know even if it wasn't it was baiting me to click it but so baby oso is in a um a question mark i said is that a, a suitcase is it a like what is baby does is baby oso wearing baby oso's belt uh but whatever baby oso sitting in it has four buttons what the yellow one or the orange one is lit uh and it's not in Roy G. Biv order because it goes red. Let me see my notes here. Red, green, blue, and then the yellow one is lit. Uh, so he's in something. He does. He is holding on, but the ship is, you know, going around. And they say, well, do you need it? I guess you don't need it. Like, you just need something to hold, keep you in your seat. Uh, I don't know. Uh, then we see like the kind of old school Star Wars uh, readouts, uh, computer readouts, uh, and uh, I think this was interesting. Oh, mo- I did ask about momentum in space, and there's a Top Gun moment, uh, which is funny because Mandalorian doesn't say anything, but if Tom Cruise was there, he'd say that's my move because uh, uh, he hits the brakes, they fly right by, and the Mandalorian says that's my line because um. The other pilot stole his line. Then the ship is, uh, uh, like, the engines are shut down. It's drifting in space as the theme music, uh, the opening, and the opening placard go up. Uh, the gunslinger, uh, Mandalorian, uh, kind of resets the ship. I wasn't sure. He does a lot of button pressing, and uh, he says, you know, we're losing. He's pressing buttons at first. He says, we're losing fuel. Then he does a reset or goes to backup power. I don't know which one. Uh, and then I thought about it that I couldn't, I, like, I guess it could never fly in space because, uh, I mean, I guess it could, well, I, could, I couldn't be a cadet or anything because I don't do well with authority. So I couldn't be a member of, like, Starfleet or whatever. Even the Rebel Alliance, I'd say, you got too many rules. So, oh boy. I'd say, so this is an alliance. Do you have, like, a st- like do I have to make my bed? And they see us require, I say, okay, well. Nice knowing you. I guess it could be like, uh, and then for this, like being independent, I couldn't, um, I wouldn't be able to figure all that out. I mean, I can reset stuff, but I wouldn't, like, it looks like you actually have to have some knowledge. Uh, then he calls in, he gets the ship restarted. He, uh, he calls in to, uh, uh, Moss Isley Tower. They say land at 3 5, uh, landing strip, uh, Mandalorian lands his ship, uh, puts Baby Oso away. Which, I mean, this one, you say, dude, like, what, like, come on, man. 
Like, Mandalorian? Like, you're just going to put the baby in it, like, put baby, like, haven't you learned your lesson yet? And there's some gas station droids. So he puts Oso, like, Oso is asleep, though. And he puts him in, like, one of those things, like, uh, one of those things. I mean, Oso's a little kid, and there was plenty. I mean, it was a perfectly good environment uh, uh, for the time being, but not to get off the ship. Uh, but, again, I mean, the Mandalorian is in a tough spot because he's got to keep it all secret. But he gets off. We see gas station droids. He says, no droids. And then we hear a hey, hey. And we said, I I mean, I said, holy Sedaris, like, you got to be kidding me. Yeah. At first, I actually didn't say holy Sedaris. It took me a few minutes. I just said, like, whoever this is they casted is absolutely amazing. Then I realized who it was. Uh, It's Amy Sedaris. Uh, So she's delightful in this episode. I mean, I don't even know how, what else to say other than, uh, Probably beyond delightful, maybe. Uh, so, hey, hey, holy Sedaris, strangers with candy, so good. Uh, he, he has five hundred credits. He could give her. She goes, oh, that's good for like uh, the 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 you know landing pad. And she goes, what do you think? She asks the droids. Uh, she spent too much time with these droids. They think she'd be the first to admit it. And he says, I'll get your money. And she goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. No droids. Yeah. And then as he walks off, she goes, oh, you're, you're a real womp rat. Uh, then there's great continuity because Mando exits Hangar 3-5. He heads into town. There's ominous music. Uh, there's a pan up. Uh, and we see uh, the, some stuff from this teaser trailer. Uh, then we hear, then, oh, uh uh, I, I guess, uh, I don't know what the character's name is, but Amy Sedaris is playing poker with the droids. And then there's noises from the ship. She goes, uh, stay in there or something. And we see baby Oso comes out of the ship. Uh, and she goes, now, now. And she tells the droid, how do I know what it is? Uh, she goes, are you hungry? And then she goes, here's the plan. I'll look after you, and then I'll charge, uh, you know, that Mandalorian for babysitting. A ton of dough and tip. Uh, she calls him Bright Eyes, which I liked a lot. Uh, so, very, very nice scene. And also, I think, like, uh, I, don't, I mean, I, they couldn't have known what the audience reaction was going to be to this uh, show or the season or Baby Oso. Uh, but she definitely represents the audience. I mean, I feel like the the overall re- reaction to Baby Oso in some sense, in everybody's dream, to snuggle, to babysit Baby Oso. So, yeah, she says, oh, bright eyes. Uh, then we switch to Mando going through town. It's a mess. Uh, and, yeah, there's a lot of, uh, like, the one headline I said said something, something fan service. Uh, and I said, I wish I didn't read that, but uh, I, I don't even, like, it, it, there's a lot of familiar locations and, and stuff. Uh, so, I mean, you say, oh, cool, this guy kind of recognized this, or I kind of recognize that. It looks like they use propane at uh, the cantina. So he goes into the cantina, I think the original one. He says, hey, droid. And the droid goes, uh, hey, hey is for horses. Uh, 
And he says, hey, ho- hey, droid. And he goes, hey, is for horse. Like, he goes, I'm not a hey, droid. You know, my father figure was a hey, droid. Uh, I'm a barkeep droid. If you want a hey, droid, go to the stables. And he says, what in the heck? Uh, and then he goes, but he goes, I need work. And the dude goes, guild cannot operate on uh, Tatooine. And he goes, I'm not in the guild. He goes, it does not improve your situation. And then we see a stranger uh, holding a coin. Uh, and at first he's, you know, bathed in kind of shadow. He's kicking his feet up uh, like Han Solo asks. Uh, and he says, think again, Tin Can. And he goes, you're looking for work? Have a seat, my friend. And uh, this is at 843. And I honestly didn't know this, but I did. My first reaction when he was bathed in shadow was uh, Holy Cannavale. Uh, uh, probably not pronouncing that, but I thought it was Bobby Cannavale, uh, like, uh, who's um, like kind of uh, done a little bit of everything in the past uh, 15 to 20 years. And it's pretty much always a bright spot or an interesting spot, you know, an interesting character or just a bright spot. And, you know, most people. I mean, I think his brightest moment was in the station agent. Uh, uh, but so, I mean, just as far as, I mean, just as far as like bright human brightness. Uh, uh, so then he like, uh, then Mandalorian goes over and it's not Bobby Cannavale. It may be his son. I mean, no, I'm not positive. It's son. I'm just playing like I looked it up, but his name's Toro Callahan, Toro, Toro Callahan. And he goes, I picked up a bounty puck mid-rim, and Fennec Shand, uh, going to go get her out by, beyond the Dune Sea. And the Mandalorian says, well, good luck with that. I'll see you later, because Fennec Shand, because uh, he, he thinks it's going to be easy. And the Mandalorian says, it ain't going to be easy. And he goes, well, I thought you needed work. He goes, uh, well, how long have you been with the guild? He goes, uh don't worry about it. He goes, well, you, you know, Fennec Shan's, you know, total, you know, she's, she's tougher than tough and not possible. And then he goes to leave. And I don't know if he feels bad for the kid because the kid says, so listen, man, this is my first job. And, uh, you could keep all the money. Maybe it's just that he can keep all the money. He goes, but I need this job to get into the guild. He says, I can't do it alone. And the Mandalorian says, all right, meet me in hangar three, five and a half hour with two speeder bikes and give me a tracking fob. Uh, but obviously there's no trust there because, uh, so this brings up two questions. I mean, one of which I think is like a, a little bit of fan fiction. One is like one, how much they get paid that this kid could go get two speeder bikes and still get a return on, you know, that it makes sense. I mean, the other thing is that this kid is like a, a Bountafarian or whatever, trust a Bountafarian, like trust a Farian was someone that toured with bands if but had a trust fund. That was a term. And this kid does seem like a, a trust a Bountafarian uh, because uh, everything he's got is new and it just seemed like he had money to spend. Uh, so it'd be interesting. I mean, his backstory would be mildly interesting. The Mandalorian goes back to his ship, no baby Oso, so he kind of flips. Uh, oh, there was also a walking, one of those two-legged droids that always looks lost. Uh, he goes, oh, no, I left my Oso alone. 
again. Hey. And then uh, um, Amy Sedaris says, you you woke it up, dude. And he goes, well, she goes, not so fast. You got an awful lot to learn about raising a young one. And then there's a couple of looks exchanged. And she goes, anyway, almost got your ship, you know, working on the ship without droids. Uh, you got any money? Mandalorian grabs a backpack of all things, uh, like kind of an old school one. Uh, like a, what do you call that? Uh, what's the material called? Canvas, a tan canvas one. And he goes, then, but then of course he says, thank you. Then he goes out to the speeder bikes, uh, and, uh, the, the dude goes, not too shabby, huh, Mando? Mando, like, tests out the, he, Mando was getting a chopper speeder bike, so a chopper bike, a chopper speeder. Uh, so Mando tests out the bike, uh, he goes, would you expect this is in Corellia? And he goes, ma'am, uh, the, uh, the, the, the kid. Uh, oh boy, I got to pause it to tell you that 1238 uh, is like a place to pause. Uh, there's just this beautiful 1234, this music starts, and then there's these great desert shots. There's an overhead shot now and later that are just simple shots, but I really thought they were just breathtaking in their simpleness. Uh, I don't know, just the lines and stuff. Uh, then they stop, and the Mandalorian says, uh, Oh, heads up. Uh, he goes, what is it? He goes, Tuscan Raiders. And he goes, there's a, then they go back and forth. The Mandalorian goes, these are the locals. Uh, and he goes, well, I'm not worried about it. And he goes, well, why don't you tell them yourself? And the Tuscan Raiders are there. Mando says, relax. He kind of talks to them. They communicate by like uh, like a sign language. So they go back and forth. He goes, yeah, I'm working on getting us a uh, passage across the, their land. Uh, and he exchanges the kids' binoculars. Uh, he goes, they were brand new yesterday. And the Mandalorian goes, they were. And then we have another nice shot. That's, like I said, an overhead shot of them on bikes in the sand and the, and the dunes going downhill. Uh, then they stop again. The Mandalorian says, geez, get down, man. He goes, what? Uh, he goes, tell me what you see. He goes, a do back. And he goes, yeah, let's go down there and check it out. Uh, not sure if it's Fennec Shand or somebody else. It's another bounty hunter and ends up. Then uh, they talk about kind of scavenging that. Uh, and then uh, we realize that Fennec Shand's a distance off, and she's got like this uh, spitball thing with lasers. So she starts hitting them with spitballs, uh, you know, with the Mandalorian's armor. He says, that's not cool. Like, because she has like them, like, like, uh, don't do this, anybody that's listening. But uh, there are spitballs that dipped in uh, food dye or some kind of dye. He says, this is messing my look up. Uh, so he goes, good thing you hit my best car because, you know, he goes, it could look. Uh, and the kid goes, I don't even wear any Beskar. And Mandalorian goes, nope. He goes, we'll have to wait till dark. I'm going to rest. Take, you take first watch. Uh, then we see Fennec Shand uh, watching. Uh, the kid, he, he goes, he goes, it's time to ride, Mando. And Mandalorian is faking being asleep. He goes, uh, sleep on the job, old man. And he kind of tries to be like Han Solo smooth. Uh, and Mandalorian goes, are you done? And then they learn that, or we learn that Fennec Shand has like a thermal scope. So they use these flares to try to get it. We got a chance. Uh, 
into uh, during that Mandalorian's bike gets hit by a, well, you wouldn't think this, but a chopper is very vulnerable to spitballs. Uh, so the Mandalorian loses his bike. Uh, they make a bunch of quick moves, uh, and then there's a dance off between the kid and Fennec Shand, or however you spell it. Uh, and uh, he's not very good. He says, ow. And then the Mandalorian shows up. So he goes, great distraction with your dancing. And he goes, uh, we're taking you in, Fennec. Find your blaster, kid. And she goes, oh, a Mandalorian. Been a long time since I've ever seen one of you. Anybody you hear about what's going down on Navarro? Uh, sounds like that Mandalorian got off easy. And then the kid says, you're my ticket into the guild, so quit talking. Then they go back down, and they realize they can't get across the desert. They only have one bike. Uh, so Mandalorian has to go get the do back because they, they don't, there's a little bit of lack of trust still. Uh, so the kid says, oh, I'll watch her. And he sits on his bike, and he kind of watches Fennec Shan. The dawn comes, uh, and uh, she wakes up and kind of groans. Uh, she goes, it's been a while. Suns are coming up. Uh, and she goes, if you could just give me a ride to Moss Espa. So remember, there's Moss Isley. I can't even remember Moss Espa, too. I don't, you know. Uh, and she goes, it could pay you double. He goes, I don't care. Uh, she goes, well, it seems like you're not the boss. He goes, oh, I'm only because I let him be the boss. Uh, I just want to get into the guild. I don't care about the money. And she goes, you already have something uh, uh, they care about more than money. Uh, that, oh, this is when I put the whole Tristafarian thing in, because he is very well-dressed and new clothes and everything. I mean, it might not be a trust. He might have got, like, whatever, 30,000 credits. They say, well, you're going to go to school? Like, this is how much money we have set aside for you. Like, kind of like a prodigal, prodigal child. I mean, maybe in this world his dad is, like, a Bobby Cannavale of, uh, I don't know, Corellia or something. This is a beloved... Uh, multi-talented uh, performer and he says pop i, I want to be a man you know I'm, you know i'm into i gotta go out on my own and the father says well you're a bit of a um adult no offense kid uh but i can't you know i can't stop you so let's see mandalorian uh she goes, geez, you could get that armor, they, you know, and the Mandalorian. They'd welcome you with open arms. It's legendary. And he says, uh, I don't know. And she goes, well, they said that the Mandalorian had a child with him. And the kid goes, huh? And uh, she goes, fear not, I can help you. Uh, you know, make a deal for yourself. Uh, and then they go kind of uh, face to face. And the kid goes, that was some good advice. Who wouldn't want to be a legend? Uh, Thanks for the tip. And then he spitballs Fennec Shand. Uh, then the next thing we see is Mando on a do-back. Uh, he gets out there some Western music. He finds Shand, uh, like, uh, spitballed. She's, you know, she's been spitballed, to- totally spitballed. So he goes back to town. You know, it takes a while. They skip that part, obviously. It's nighttime. Mando returns. There's good music. Uh, doors open to three five, and the speeder bike's parked there. Everything's empty. The droids are hiding, 
And uh, Toro says, it took you long enough. Uh, I'm calling the shots now, huh, Mando? And he goes, raise him. And then he has uh, um, uh, Amy Sedaris, she goes, cuff him. Uh, You're a guild traitor. Uh, But the Mandalorian has another flare up his sleeve. Literally, he's got got a flare up my sleeve. Uh, He goes, this is going to make me legendary. But it it doesn't make him legendary. It ends up that he is adult because Mando outmaneuvers him, spitballs him. Uh, right in his, he goes, these are my fancy clothes, my fancy bounty hunter clothes. But Amy Sedaris is more concerned with ba- where Baby Oso is. She goes, got to get it. Where is it? Uh, and uh, Baby Oso is hiding behind some baskets. She goes, there you are. Are you hiding from us? And then she goes, look at you. Oh, it's so loud for your big, big little ears. And then the... Um, the Mandalorian must have grabbed, like, I think he grabs, like, a, I guess I'll watch it here, but uh, he uh, grabs something out of the kid's pockets, which I couldn't tell if they were shells or um, uh, funds. Uh, and he uses that to pay off Amy Sedaris because uh, she goes, take it, take it, you didn't get paid. Uh, and then he goes, well, will this cover me? And she goes, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, I couldn't tell if it was like, oh, yeah. Because uh, just sometimes things are a little dark, uh, or I just don't know what I'm looking at. I'm going to try to watch it again, but it's pretty light in where I'm watching this, too. You know, so I can attempt to read my handwriting. Yeah, but then she go. then there's, like, the outro music. She tells the droids to bring uh, the kid, to, spitball kid, to Beggar's Canyon. Then there's the out music uh, as the Mandalorian ship takes off. Uh, but then we start to hear that famous space static sound and spurs. And then we hear, like, who? But I'm going to wait for the um, episode to catch up. She's picking up Yoda now, or baby Oso, who is reaching out to her. Uh, it says, Child Coos in the, uh, what is the subtitles? That was really loud for your big ears. Okay, so he opens his pocket. I think it's his wallet he pulls out. Now he walks over. And uh, takes the baby, and he's going to go pay her here. So I just want to see if it was money or shells. So, so I take it he didn't get paid. He goes, yeah, this kid had trust. Uh, and he took all the money out in his ATM. Oh, yeah, it looks like it's various kinds of money. So then, yeah, Mandalorian and Yo also take off. Uh, and after they take off, we hear the space sound effects in the spurs. And then we just see a figure checking out Fennec Shand uh, in the desert uh, at night. We hear spurs, but I don't see the person ha- that I don't see that they necessarily have spurs. Uh, I wonder if this is uh, Grief Cargus, because the person has boots and a, a cape on. We never see anything more than that. And the episode ends with uh, 10. Uh, ends up with 10 paintings at the end, just like uh, the other episodes, except for the one where I was like, does it 9 or 10? So it must always end with 10. So that was the episode. Then let's see. Some of this, there's a lot that came up here. So let's start with uh, let's start with Blackbird, the Beatles song. Because it looked like the spaceship was a Blackbird, uh, SR or whatever. Uh, Paul, written by Paul McCartney, credited to Lennon and McCartney. 
although McCartney's the only Beatle who appears on the track, uh, he says the lyrics uh, were inspired by him hearing the call of a blackbird in India and also uh, the 60s uh, culturally in the United States. Uh, uh, let's see. It was inspired by Bach's uh, Bori in E minor, a well-known lute piece, uh, often played on the classical guitar. Uh, let's see what else here. Uh, uh, he played it at home for his uh, future wife, uh, Linda. Finger-breaking technique was taught to him by the folk singer Donovan. Uh, it kind of it seems like it has uh, different meanings and contradictory statements about its inspiration and meaning, which I, I can understand. Uh, uh, legacy, uh, let's see, it was a number five of the white, like some people say it's the fifth best song on the white album's 30 tracks, uh, uh, very popular, remade probably a lot of different times, uh, yeah, there's, and there's a whole Wikipedia article about it, uh, and it's, you know, it's a song a lot of people know. What about an actual Blackbird? Or the ship. Let's see. The Wikipedia says there's uh, there's a lot of groups uh, that could be considered blackbirds. Uh, there's Old World, uh, Chinese, a common, gray-winged, Indian, Somali thrush, uh, Tibetan, and white-collared. Oh, there's two groups. It says Old World blackbirds and New World blackbirds. Uh, so, and then there's a lot of stuff, uh, film, theater, TV. What about the um, places consuming? Oh, air, the SR-71 uh, was a long-range, high-altitude Mach 3 aircraft uh, made by Lockheed and Skunk Works. Uh, uh, Clarence Kelly Johnson was responsible for made many of the innovative concepts. Uh, introduced in uh, 1966, retired in 1999. So I had a 33-year run. Uh, took over for the U-2. Uh, let's see. Yeah, so a little bit. You know, it was one of those things that flew butterfly in the sky that could fly twice as high. But it did look a lot like the ship the person was flying, uh, at least to, to me. And uh, and it was kind of supposed to be stealthy. So, that, I don't know, that's a little bit about the black. Speaking of uh, flying, oh, we'll do that next. Oh, well, this is flying in space. This is from Khan Academy. You know, I Googled, is there momentum in space? Uh, and this came up. Uh, you know, momentum is a word we hear colloquially and in, colloquially and in everyday life. Uh, momentum is a measurement of mass and motion and how much mass uh, is in how much motion, usually given the symbol P. And, you know, link to this because uh, I don't have the exact... Uh, so there's impulse. Uh, this talks about a lot about calculating it. Momentum in space. So many people are familiar with astronauts in orbit. They appear to effortlessly push around objects. Uh, because uh, astronauts and objects are both in free fall, they don't have to contend with gravity. However, uh, they still possess the same momentum they do on Earth. It can just be difficult to change a momentum. So uh, if uh, 
uh, I don't know. Then there's a mass problem that I'm not going to be able to. Uh, so, so I guess there is a momentum in space. It's just a, uh, a harder to change the momentum. So I don't know what that means for keeping Baby Oso in Baby Oso's seat. Uh, that was my main thing. Movie Top Gun, I talked about in an episode not that long ago. It came out in 1986. Uh, I think there's a new one coming out at some point. Uh, oh, yeah, June 26, 2020. Uh, yeah, it has uh, Tom Cruise, Kelly McGillis, uh, Val Kilmer, Anthony Edwards, Tom Skerritt, uh, and many more. Uh, it is a popular movie. I mean, I talked about it in an episode, but it just had a little, uh, there was a little nod to it in this one. Now, I know a lot of listeners are big uh, Stephen King fans, and a lot of them have read uh, this uh, The Dark Tower series. And I think the first book is called uh, The Gunslinger. So I looked that up on Wikipedia, and it says it's a fantasy novella by Stephen King. Originally published in 1982 in the magazine of fantasy and science fiction. Oh, no, in 78. Uh, then it was collected with four other stories uh, uh, as The Dark Tower, The Gunslinger. Uh, then it became the first uh, chapter of the book and was revised uh, for the inclusion. And it also takes place in the desert uh, and has a raven. Uh, so I don't know. Uh, it's been a while since I read it, and a lot of listeners say you read the whole series. Uh, I know there was a movie that wasn't super successful, but that really doesn't mean anything about the book. Uh, so I don't know. Maybe at some point I will commit myself to reading the whole uh Gunslinger, the Dark Tower series. Uh, but yeah, so that's just a little bit about that. I'll link to that. Uh, how about the show Strangers with Candy? That's like a Amy Sedaris, uh, uh, an Amy Sedaris property. It was produced by Comedy Central, 1999 to 2000, three seasons. Uh, considered a cult, one of Considered one of the top uh, cult shows, a prequel is released in 2005. Uh, it tells the story of uh, Amy Sedaris's character, uh, Jerry, uh, returning to high school as a freshman at age 46 uh, to Flat Point High School. And Amy had lived a very full life. Uh, it was at first envisioned uh, Stephen Colbert, uh, Paul Danello, Mitch Rouse, uh, and Amy Sedaris, uh, kind of based on some other stuff they saw in after-school specials and teen series, and eventually worked it into this material. So uh, maybe something you've seen before. Uh, uh, let's see. It looks like maybe. I don't know if there's another movie in um, in development right now. Uh, but definitely something worth checking out. I mean, uh, you know, if you're unfamiliar with the real brilliant uh, work of Amy Sedaris, uh, I mean, kind of pretty much everywhere, TV, uh, stage, uh, voiceover, film, uh, Alpha in the holiday season. Uh, she's written a lot of stuff, uh, playwright. So, uh, uh, Amy even had a, 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 according to Wikipedia, a cupcake and cheese ball business, uh, Dusty Food Cupcakes. Uh, so, I don't know. Just, just again, someone that I've always admired and looked up to and say, man, like, uh, I, I don't know. That's just someone that's, uh, it really impresses me. 
You know, someone I haven't heard of in a while, but it, that's probably my fault. It's Bright Eyes, uh, Connor, or, 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 I can't say it, Connor, or, 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 uh, Connor, or, or, I can't ever say it's the last name, uh, uh, but Bright Eyes was a band with Connor, uh, uh, who I think played everything. Maybe on tour they had other ones, uh, from Omaha, Nebraska. Uh, this was like kind of like nineties uh, in indie rock. Uh, I guess I can't believe it's nineties indie rock. Uh, uh, I'm wide awake. It's morning. No, okay. So I guess that was in two thousand four. Uh, so I'm trying to just think of like uh, what what is like uh, or what what's going on now. People's Key. So still recording two thousand eight, two thousand eleven. Uh, usually it's, uh, Mike Mugus, uh, Connor and then Nate Walcott, you know, kind of like a, like a indie singer songwriter vibe, uh, I guess is my memory. And, uh, let's see what Connor's doing. What else? Like I'll click over there. Uh, uh, singer songwriter, uh, yeah, a bunch of other bands, uh, currently better oblivion community center and uh, playing solo so uh counter or 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 orbs i think it's o-b-e-r-s-t but i I always think it's like it's not oberst's i don't think uh but yeah that's what bright eyes made me think of Uh, then speaking of music i think uh, actually amy sedaris told baby yoda now now so I, i said well let me look that up that's a song by uh Radiohead, right? now it's there, there. And it's actually one of the songs I really like. It was on 2003's Hail to the Thief. Uh, it was also, uh, they performed an early version uh, during a webcast in 2000. Uh, before the album, uh, it's a rock song with layered percussion building to a loud climax. Uh, influenced by Sushi and the Banj- Van- Vanshees and Pixies. Uh, York said the song was supposed to be comforting. It's all right. You're just imagining it. Uh, so, yeah, they're there. The whole idea is saying, hey, I'm here to put you to sleep. They're there. Uh, so, and actually on the uh, single, it looks like there was a song there where bluebirds fly or something. Okay, another thing was Bobby Cannavale, but what really made me think of, like, it made me think of the movie The Station Agent, which is if if it's a movie, if you haven't seen this movie, you do yourself a favor and track it down. Uh, I got to see it in the theater. It's a 2003 uh, comedy drama. Tom McCarthy uh, wrote and directed it. Peter Dinklage is the star of the film. I mean, without a doubt, uh, it takes place in. It takes place when uh, Peter Dinklage's character, who kind of like is a bit like Scoots in real life, says, geez, I'd like to be alone and, uh, you know, just mind my own business. So he moves into a, an abandoned train station. He purchases it. And there's also like this uh, niche thing. I mean, this was before the Internet was super huge, but uh, uh, because he's like a train chaser, I think, uh, like or somebody who likes to take videos of trains and share them on the Internet. I mean, I guess it was the Internet was a thing, but uh, Patricia Clarkson, Michelle Williams and Bobby Cannavale and John Slattery are also all in the movie. It only costs, five, I mean, independent film, 500000 to make. Uh, 
It, uh, Finbar McBride is a character, uh, uh, that Peter Dinklage uh, uh, plays. Uh, then he meets, like, it's just great. You just got to see the movie. I guess I don't want to describe it anymore, but uh, Bobby Cannavale, there's a little bit of surrealism, too, at least with Bobby Bobby Cannavale's character, Joe. And, I mean, it is like one of those movies that will make you, uh, take you on multiple emotional journeys, uh, really make you feel, I mean, uh, really make you feel a lot. Uh, so yeah, do yourself a favor. Uh, yeah, let's see what Robert Ebert always said. Oh, and Elvis Mitchell. Wow. Two of my favorites. Uh, Elvis Mitchell said, Tom McCarthy has such an appreciation for quiet that it occupies the same space as a character in this film, a delicate, thoughtful, and awful, and often hilarious take on loneliness. It's the kind of appetizing movie you want to share with others. This is all from the Wikipedia page, by the way. And then Roger Roger Ebert said, uh, this is a comedy, but it's also sad. And it's simply a story about trying to figure out what you love to do and then trying to figure out how to do it. It's a great relief. Uh, the station agent is not one of those movies in which the problem is that the characters uh, have not slept with each other and the solution is that they do. It's more about the enormous unrealized fears and angers that throb beneath the surfaces of their lives. So definitely a movie worth checking out. You say, Scoots, I don't know who Bobby Cannavale is. I said, whoa, 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 really? And I will say that sometimes he is like too handsome and charming, and I do get jealous of him in certain uh, roles. And I say, I've had enough of you, Cannavale, uh, with, you know, with your jawline and your smile and your kind eyes. Uh, but he really is a delight, I mean, without a doubt, especially if you, the station agent, I think, uh, uh, was a big breakthrough, in my opinion. Uh, but he's been on movies, uh, TV, uh, I mean, he's even in Marvel movies, so he's kind of everywhere. Uh, Mr. Robot, you know, I know, I mean, I'm a fan of that show, but uh, not, I mean, probably a lot of listeners are. Uh, there's even some shows I haven't seen him in, which were famous. Will and Grace, uh, Nurse Jackie, Modern Family. He does uh, voiceover work uh, and a lot of other stuff. I mean, it just seems like an absolute wonder. And then it, it, it turns out his uh, son was in this episode. Okay, next up is Chopper. This we'll finish up with... Uh, a chopper is a style. Okay, so it's not. It is a motorcycle. I always am like, is it a motorcycle or not? It's a custom motorcycle that emerged in California in the 1950s. Uh, it's the most extreme of, uh, or perhaps the most extreme, according to Wikipedia, of custom styles, uh, using radically modified steering angles and lengthened forks for a stretched-out appearance. It can be built from an original motorcycle, which is then modified, chopped, or built up from scratch. Uh, they have long front ends with extended forks, uh, coupled with an increased rate angle, hardtail frames, frames without rear suspension, uh, or like different kinds of handlebars. And uh, there was like, uh, like in the movie Easy Rider, uh, Peter Fonda rode one. Uh, so it's a little bit about choppers. And then I actually have somebody that uh, wants to come on the show really fast. They haven't, literally haven't been on the podcast in like, uh, I think like five or six years. Probably six, it's been like six years. 
Hey, everybody. My name is Wendy Marstrap, and you may have never heard of me. I was on the podcast in its first year, and Scooter just never had me back. I think maybe he had me back one time for uh, uh, May the 4th Be With You Day, and then he kind of forgot about me. But that's fine, because I have a best friend who's a do-back, Dewey the do-back, who's here with me. Curled up at my feet, I'm patting Dewey's head right now. And the reason Scooter had me on was because I actually am, I am from the world of Star Wars. And I am a big fan of, uh, I have a dream of having a travel show for Star Wars and telling people about all the great places they could go. And Scooter's had even forgot about me. I mean, you know, he's busy with his show and everything. And then he said he, when he saw the Dewback, he thought of Dewey. And he forgot my name, he said, up until I said, he said, so how are you going to open the show? How are you going to introduce yourself? And I said, Scooter, did you forget my name? It's Wendy Marstrap, and this is Dewey, my Dewback. And he said, well, I remember Dewey. And so I'm going to come on the program occasionally and tell you about places in Star Wars because Scooter doesn't want to look anything up. Uh, and we'll probably be using, I'll be honest, I'll be in your world. Uh, you know, I, I travel by the fan fiction fantasy machine so I could travel between worlds. Don't worry about that at all. Uh, so tonight I'm going to tell you about Corellia. And uh, yeah, we'll be using uh, the uh, Star Wars Wikia probably for a lot of this in my own knowledge. Uh, now, Corellia is a, one of the core worlds. It's a temperate climate, and that's what I wanted to tell you about first. Uh, come here uh, for a temperate climate, forests, jungles, and cities. You're really going to like it, but if you love industry, and you now they, they say there's a lot of these adventurers on like those, at, whatever that atlet, global atlas or whatever that site is, uh, that puts people's pictures up of them adventuring. I don't know what it's called, but it's something like that, Scooter said. You could come to some of the abandoned uh, shipyards on Corellia, where uh, TIE fighters were built, star destroyers, and all sorts of ships. Now, our planet is also very diverse. You know, we have uh, our, our native uh, residents and fauna and flora, and then we have, uh, you know, stuff that's been introduced to planets over the history of the world. It's actually not my planet. I'm from the planet in this episode. But anyway, not important at all. Now, the Corellian people were known for their wanderlust, but they were really a big part of uh, the original uh, Old Republic and of course uh, the empire and so some people might not met, remember us in the most uh, remember them in the most uh, positive of ways and you might say what's our most uh, favorite you know what's the most famous resident of uh, Corellia and everyone might argue but i would say it's probably han solo uh, even though there's probably other uh, you know other famous uh, people that have been there and so if you have a chance, you know, don't go on, don't go on star tours, you know, take a trip to Corellia. I mean, if it's possible, which it probably isn't for most of you, but you could picture, you could close your eyes now and picture Dewey, my dewback, breathing calmly, just like any other dog would. The breath rising and falling. 
And maybe we're all resting somewhere on Corellia. Maybe it's in a nice uh, hotel overlooking the shipyards. Uh, maybe we'll go on a tour there later. Maybe we'll go out to the forest uh, and relax and enjoy our time. Then we'll go on a historical tour. You know, there's a talk of having an artist district where we could be repurposing imperial uh, things. So it's exciting times here in Corellia. So come visit soon. I'm Wendy Marstrap. I'll talk to you soon. Good night. All right, everybody. We're back with our Mandalorian coverage. Chapter 6, The Prisoner. And it's just starting up with the Lucasfilm Limited thing. Uh, preview. Let me see the preview coverage. So let me pause here. Uh, uh, come with me. Lots of uh, 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 squirt guns. The kid. Yes. Uh, okay. Then the episode opens. And this episode is a little bit different. And, and it shows the potential of a kind of serial and uh, episodic uh, series. Uh, and I, I don't know. I particularly enjoyed this. I watched it a lot. And maybe it was the casting, maybe it was just because it was so much different than all the other episodes, uh, and it was uh, contained. But we see the opening, we hear the flute-type sounds, and we see the Razor Crest landing in a hangar. There's drums. Uh, also, like how it kind of already, st- it's, it's the beginning of the episode, but it kind of already started. And Mando's walking around to some sort of uh, hangar, some sort of base, uh, looking around. There's other people there, other beings. So some of them stare at him. Uh, everybody seems to be working. Uh, and a couple of people. And then some dude says, Mando, that you? Uh, he goes under that bucket. Uh, Ran is that guy's name. He goes, I don't think I'd ever see you again. This guy looks like he probably plays slide guitar on the weekends or just sits around uh, uh, drinking cans of stuff and smoking. But uh, he's like, oh, geez, stuff with the guild is not working out, huh? And Mando says, don't worry about it. Uh, And Rand says, well, you know the policy. No questions asked around here, old buddy. Uh, And then, let's see, no questions. What's the job, Mando says. Oh, he says, you're welcome back anytime. What's the job? The guy says, okay, well, we got a, one of our buddies is a, got busted, got nabbed, and we got a crew to spring him. It's five-person per, person job. I got four. And then he says, all you need is a ride, though, and you bought, brought it. Uh, it's already been brought, in, as uh, someone once said. And he goes, what about me, man? I got Beskar armor. He goes, you only care about my ship? Uh, it wasn't part of the deal. And he goes, well, that's the only reason I let you in here was your ship. Uh, he, and he goes, come on, man. Don't you know anything about gratitude? Aren't you grateful to me? Uh, it's funny, though. I guess it's a little bit of uh, exposition about the ship through the episode. Uh, they, you could tell they know each other pretty well. Because he gives Mando a hard time. Then we meet Mayfeld, played by Bill Burr. He looks like a little bit like somebody out of a G.I. Joe comic. Uh, he's got some swagger. They talk about Mando's past a long time ago. Remember what you once said one time, Mando? Like, uh, maybe not Mando's greatest uh, moments. 
They had some crazy days, him and Ran. He says, yeah, that was a long time ago. And he goes, well, I don't leave the house, Ran says. So so uh, Mayfield's going to be the point man on this job. And if he says that it's coming from me, and kind of like a little alpha off here, Mayfeld says, you you know, but Mayfeld's not really alpha. So he says, you know, oh, are you going to listen to me or not? Uh, the guy says, well, things changed around. He goes, Mayfeld, he goes, he's really good. Uh, don't worry about it. Uh, he used to work in the Empire. Amanda goes, well, that's not saying much. Uh, he goes, well, I wasn't a stormtrooper. I don't know if this is the first time we learn about that the ship is called the Razor Crest or not. Uh, I know I put down slot machine, but uh, Mayfeld's not impressed with the Razor Crest. Oh, Canto bite slot machine, he says. Uh, then we meet Berg, uh, who is uh, played by Clancy Brown. Uh, though it takes a lot of looking. Berg's interesting. He's the muscle. Uh, Goes, oh, so this is a Mandalorian. Not impressed. Uh, thought he'd be bigger. Uh, then we meet a droid named Zero. Now, we've seen droids this, like, uh, type on uh, Navarro. And the Mandalorian says, what, droids? And he says, There's, I thought you said you had four. And then it says, like, his, one of his axes. Also, the droid is uh, uh, voiced by someone famous. Uh, from the it crowd. Uh, so his ex or something, she says, hello, Mando. Uh, Shihan, I think, is, uh, she goes, I missed you. And she goes, this is shiny. You wear it well. Talking about his Beskar. Uh, Shihan is uh, a little heartbroken, uh, you know, Mando, from Mando. And they say, okay, we don't got much time. We got to get to work here. We get going. Oh, she, somebody also says, learn from the best. Uh, uh, also, the um, Berg calls Mando Tiny. Then the, it opens. Then we see the title card, and it says, the prisoner. Uh, then we have Zero on the comms doing a check. Uh, hyperdrive. Uh, Landing gear. Uh, gets, he sees Grief Cargus uh, trying to get a message through. Uh, deliver the quarry. And goes, oh, well, that's interesting. Then they go over the plan. Fortified transport. Uh, limited window. On and off. Uh, New Republic. Max tram- transport. Ma- Amanda goes, oh boy, no way. I think uh, he goes, this is uh, serious business. Uh, they go, job is a job, man. Don't mess it up. Uh, it'll be fine, Mando. Plus, it's a droid run ship. Uh, then Zero says, you know, your ship's really not that nice. It's kind of a mess. Uh, but at least it goes off the grid. And can jam codes. Uh, it's only six, 67.3 percent a ship efficient. Uh, oh, Rand says, yeah, it's an off the grid ship. It doesn't exist, and it can jam the code. Uh, but it's got uh, you know tricky flying. Mando goes, I don't know if I could pull that off. They go, oh yeah, that's why Zero's flying his ship. Uh, he's quicker and smarter. 
He's the best. Uh, Mando, of course, doesn't trust droids. Uh, I think he says, I don't trust anybody. And Rand says, just like the good old days, don't worry. Uh, then let's see. What was, uh, just like the good old days, he's the best. Uh, don't worry, Mando. Oh, Mando says, I don't trust a droid. Rand says, I don't trust anybody. Maybe, I don't know. They get on the ship, they depart. Uh, uh, gate goes up, uh, uh, then, uh, Mando and, uh, Zero, I think, are in the, um, Ran kind of does it like, hey, see you, buddy. Yeah, thingamajig. They head into hyperspace eventually. So, so we see that it's kind of like a space, not a, what do they call that, a spaceport or something, or a satellite. Oh, we get a view of, uh, Berg pacing. Mayfeld and his Shihan uh, chilling. Everybody getting each other's nerves. Uh, is it Mando watching Zeros fly the ship? He says, you could go below, man. I'm going to go into uh, hyperspace. I got it from here. Uh, let's see. Oh, then down below, Berg opens Mando's safe and laughs. Uh, Mando appears down there and closes the door. He says, that's not your, uh, enough for you to be going through, man. Oh, actually, he just jumped down. He didn't appear down there. He uses his remote control to close it. Berg doesn't like that. Like, we get it. It's your personal space. Then they start kind of uh, messing around. Uh... They go, why do we even need this suit? I think Berg says that. They go, yeah, well, don't worry. We'll get it done. Uh, they say, oh, you're so great. They're, like, talking about Mando and his presence. Uh, they go, oh, they're all laughing at him right now. And then uh, talking about him like he's not there. Gee, Shihan, is he good? She goes, well, what about Elzak 3? Mando goes, uh, you know, I did what I had to do. She goes, you liked it, though. She goes, I know who you really are. And he, he, they go, well, what about the helmet? Uh, so then they try to get him to take, uh, this is the way. And they go, well, we want to see your face. We don't necessarily trust you. And so then we have a little dance off. Uh, and then uh, Oso gets revealed in Oso's hiding spot. Uh, uh, they go, what is this, a pet or something? Man, he goes, yeah, something like that. It's a pet. Uh, go, hey, you're really odd, man. Uh, also, Mayfeld has Berg do his work for him. Uh, and they go, Jesus, you, he goes, what's this code of yours? Certainly is interesting. Uh, Mayfeld doesn't, says he doesn't have patience uh, for a pet. Uh, Jeez, I can't believe you'd have a, ba- a pet. Uh, maybe that code of yours has made you soft. Oh, Shion says that. Uh, yeah, I don't have the temperament for pets, Mayfield says. Uh, and then he kind of he picks up Baby Oso. Because maybe I'll try again. Mando, try some balance. Uh, not being, because, uh, uh, you know, not being overprotective. Uh, so they don't know how much he values Oso. Uh, but then they arrive, they're dropping out of hyperspace, uh, commencing final approach. they got to do some wild moves in the ship, which seems to have some gravity because uh, everybody gets tossed around. 
Oso gets put away, and they land on the ship. Uh, and they say, "Okay, whoa, whoa zero minutes commence extraction." Like, we didn't even get a proper countdown. And they go, "Geez, are we ready?" He goes, "Oh yeah, it's scrambling our signature." And I hacked in the computer. Zero says. And we got a job to. Then Mando has to hack into the the door or whatever, pick the lock, uh, which everyone does. Uh, but everyone's making eyes while he's doing it. Uh, we're also a little bit jumpy. And then Mayfeld has to go first. After you, we see some Daleks. Uh, so it's very. This it did have a Doctor Who feel to this episode a couple times. Uh, and then the nod, kind of with the Dalek type robots. I did wonder about the handheld communicators that are still like the lip balm things. Uh, but, you know, what are you going to do? They say, get a sick control room zero, uh, sub-level three. Oh, then Mando looks after Oso, then jumps down. Uh, and he says, I know the drill, bio-trackers uh, are on. Uh, you know, watch out for the droids. Uh, so they start moving. We see uh, Zero's watching them. They start going down these hallways. All are kind of these white hallways. We see some forest friends uh, that are all uh, like it's a ship's like a little bit like a hostel. Everybody's uh, sleeping there uh, in their bunks from all different worlds. Also, somebody says, I don't like this, which reminded me of a paranoid android. Or maybe, oh, yeah. Oh, no. Someone, oh, they call, they say, oh, geez, are you paranoid, um, Mando? Uh, left at the next juncture. And they see one of those little rolling bots. Uh, and Berg doesn't like it. He says, oh, little puppy. And, of course, he chases after it, which sets off, sends the droids in to check on them. Uh, there's a showdown, and Mando's not there. And he slides up behind them. Uh, like, he does, like, it's a, like a little bit like, a, there's, like, a, interesting, because I didn't point this out earlier, but everybody's on ice skates. I forgot that part. And so now there's like ice skating and everybody's trying to skate. It's like, uh, like it's a combination of hockey and, uh, figure skating. And Mando comes up behind and does like three triple sow cows, uh, and a Lutz, a triple Lutz and it's over. Uh, everybody's impressed, uh. Uh, but they, they're impressed, but then they're not, they try to act like they're not and they walk away. They go, oh, clean up your mess. They don't treat them with any respect. Uh, but again, we get a, a hint of, uh, Mando's capabilities. Uh, and then Zero goes, okay, you've been detected. Uh, also, I think I see an order gigantic signature somewhere or something comes up. Uh, then there's a standoff, uh. Oh, where they have the organic signature, which is like a, like a person, because they thought they're only going to be figure skating with droids. And they realized that this is, they thought maybe it'd be like, it's a human judge. So they try to say, well, geez, if you're going to be judging these rest of our figure skating, 
you can't, they say, are you sure you're not? And they say, well, I'm representing the droids. I'm at like, uh, just like in the height of the Cold War with figure skating. They say, well, how are you a judge if you're on the side of the droids? You're supposed to be judging fairly. And this judge uh, just says, no, 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 I'm for uh, Republic droids, period. Uh, so this is, a bit, and they say, you know what, I'm going to call in uh, the IOC or whatever. So he hits an alarm. They say, easy, egghead, nice shoes. Mando tries to take over, asks the judge, this is, well, let's not tick off the judge. Because uh, this was before they dropped the top and the lowest score. He says, what's your name, Davin or something, Davin? Uh, Meanwhile, they find out where the person they're trying to catch, get out is. uh, Why don't you both be quiet? There's blinking, zero to Mayfeld. You got 20 minutes. Uh, They say, fine, we only need five. Uh, We see Mando run uh, on on skates, which is interesting. Uh, uh, Berg tosses the Daleks. He does like this Dalek, uh, hammer throw. Uh, then they open up, they get the guy they're rescuing, Quinn, I think is his name. And he goes, geez, here he is, the man who left me behind. Uh, my one time tr- skate, skating training partner. Uh, left me behind, you know, at this, you know, in 96 Olympics or something. I mean, this is in another world, so I'm just kind of translating. And they say, Mando, you're going to have to stay. You get a timeout. Uh, you have to stay in this uh, skating thinking room. Uh, like, uh, we're going to go get flowers and teddy bears tossed to us uh, and get out of here. And deliver the uh, quarry. So then they call Zero because they're like, how do we even get out of here? Uh, and he says, oh, I'll get you out of here. Don't worry. Uh, uh, just follow my uh, directions. He goes, by the way, I found some info on the Mandalorian's ship. Uh, and they go, who cares right now? And the thing was for the Mandalorian, he's put in one of one of those things like a, like a penalty box, I guess, is it like, like exactly what he's in. They just call it something different. He needs he actually uses actual elbow grease uh, to get out. Uh, then Zero notices this. We see Zero at the controls, uh, and then Mando goes into the control room, like where the judges watch, because they don't watch. They watch all of these video screens. Uh, and he starts pressing buttons, like shutting down, releasing Zambonis, uh, all that stuff. They say, Zero says, Geez, you have a potential problem. Uh, he goes, uh. Then Mando shuts, it turns out the like uh, fluorescent lights, turns on these red lights, uh, which make things way more moody. Uh, kind of like a night vision mode, uh, which is cool. Uh, then, uh, so Mando's like kind of split up all, so the team has to split up uh, while Mando just kind of watches. Uh, and they say, Zero, do you copy? And then he's like, I can't seem uh, to get a hold of you. Let's see. Here's where they're splitting up the the, the red blader on. Say, come on, come on, let's go. Mando's watching, shutting doors, splitting up Zambonis. Uh, 
And they say, yeah, yeah, you go that way, we'll go this way. That's when Zero says, so let's see what Zero's going to say. Zero says, yeah, do you copy? Uh, I can't get a hold of you. Uh, weird, let me press some buttons here. Comms are no far longer functioning. You can't hear me, obviously. Uh, you're on your own. Uh, then we hear Oso, and Zero sees Oso and says, huh, curious. Uh, then they back on the ship, they say, fine, Mando. Then we go back to Zero and Oso making contact. They decide to play hide-and-seek on the ship. Uh, and I think he says, do you have a name? Uh, Mayfeld calls, he, oh, no, oh, no, that's the dude. This kind of guy reminded me a little bit of, like, that he could have been played by David Bowie, this uh, other character that they rescued. Uh, he goes, oh, do you have a name? Mayfeld says, yeah, that's a, he's obviously, like, from a fam, rich family. Cause he says, do you even have a name? He goes, Mayfeld. He goes, well, you're going to get me off the ship, Mayfeld. He goes, what about your sister? Is Shihan is his sister? He goes, I don't go, just get me off the ship, man. I don't really care about that stuff. Uh, Mando's still watching. He thinks about the beacon that called in the uh, IOC, uh, Red Halls. Uh, they talk about Mando disliking the droid. Mayfeld keep call, keeps calling zero, but he calls him ZZZ. Yeah, yeah, let's see. So he picks up the beacon. Says, huh, I don't need no IOC coming here to reevaluate everything. And we got the hallways, Mayfeld and the um, the Bowie-esque dude. I don't know why. I said, huh, reminds me of David Bowie. Not exactly sure why. Yeah, yeah, Mayfeld's calling ZZ. Can't get a hold of anything. He's frustrated. The guy goes, hey, hey, whatever Rand promised, I'll give you triple. Uh, just get me out of here, buddy. Oh, you no, know, he says, yeah, I'm going to get out of here. You go get uh, Mando. Uh, see, uh, Quinn is his name. I forgot. I forgot. how. I don't know. How I forgot that. Uh, so he sends Mayfeld off after Mando. Then we have this really cool sequence. Uh, everybody looking for Mando. Uh, there's great music, uh, and also, uh, the, like, Zero, Zero and Oso are playing hide-and-seek. Uh, but Oso says, I don't know if Zero's gonna play fair. Uh, then we have the, the, um, Ran, this was like a Bond, like a, a brief, like it was a sequence from a Bond movie, I felt like, in a good way. Because uh, he says, Rand says, well, I'm going to play the hockey version of this figure skating hockey game and not the figure skating version. And so he uses a lot of hockey moves on Mando, who's not quite ready for it. Uh, and also Mando uses these all these James Bond-esque gadgets, uh, which don't work. Uh, and also he uh, Ran is in, interested in seeing, or not Ran. Berg is interested in seeing Mando's face. Uh, but then he sees, they, they do like a thing where he, Mando says, look through door number one. And then he says, look through door number two. And uh, Mando gets away. Uh, then Shihan uh, uh, is looking for Mando. We see Zero looking for Oso. Uh, we get the idea that I think Mando outskated uh, Shihan. 
then Mayfeld, there's like this 80s type music uh, playing that goes to an industrial type music. Really, really good again in these moments. And Mando goes in like, uh, I don't know what, I, I mean, I don't know. Like he has like, like it reminds me of like a Rudy Galindo moment because like uh, there's like strobe lighting and it's just an overpowering mo- moment uh, where he skates on where Mayfeld can't even get his bearings because of the strobe lighting and the music and stuff. And, uh, so he can't, he, he's like, so jumpy, uh, then zero, uh, also has a new hiding spot. Zero's trying to find it. Quinn is, uh, waiting. He's about to get on the ship and the Mando's there. He goes, yeah, I out, I out skated everybody. They got what they deserved. Uh, then I think Quinn, maybe, I don't know, understand the money situation. Uh, but, uh. Uh, I, I don't know. I don't know why. Because I put a money symbol. Because you think basically Quinn says, I'll pay you to bring me back anyway. Uh, all the money Ram promised and more. Be reasonable. You were hired to do a job. Isn't that your code? You're a man of honor. Like, uh, let's put the skating aside. Uh, and we see zero. Uh, it's about to find Oso, and then Oso's about to do the magic hands, but then uh, Mando appears and says, uh, oh, no, 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 you're staying in the, uh, on the um, ice skating ship without everybody. And Oso goes, oh, Papa, hello, oh, Papa. And then they're out. They go back to the space station. Uh, we see the radar. Uh, they land. Uh, uh, Mando, Razorcrest. First, we just see Ran. He's all smiles. I guess he didn't know what to expect. Uh, then he sees the door open. He laughs because uh, he's like uh, he's thinking that Mando didn't come back. You know, he thinks that uh, it's just going to be Quinn and his crew. And I think let's see who gets off first again. There's where Oso, I'm watching Oso says, oh, Papa, hello, Papa. Uh, coos or whatever. Googly, googly, goo. That's what, that's what Oso says a lot of times. Uh, Razor Crest takes off. I guess it, like uh, the, the way the beacon works for the IOC is different for everybody. Uh, so then they go, you know, and they see the Razor Crest jump, and now it's going into the space station. Mando's pushing buttons, uh, checking his radar. Rand's looking. It lands. He's standing there. And he's pretty pleased. He says, okay, well, I'm, uh, oh, and then we see Mando and Quinn. He goes, huh. Oh, boy. It didn't calculate this one. Quinn doesn't look, he looks happy to be free, but, uh, they laugh. Uh, they have a big hug. Where's everybody else? Uh, everything went fine, Mando? Where's all the others? Uh, he goes, no questions asked. That's the policy. He goes, yeah, here's, that's the policy. Mando goes, pay it up, sucker. So Quinn reaches in, throws him some stacks. Mando says, just like the good old days, uh, 
and he goes him out, all right? Uh, they look after him, uh, and then they frown as soon as he turns his back. Uh, they, you know, they don't like Mando, really. Closes the door. Quinn's making a, he's Squinn's got a muscle shirt on, and he has muscles to back it up. Mando's taken off. Uh, Ran waves at him, and he kind of reverses out of the ship. Uh, and they say, all right, let's take Mando and make him go bye-bye. We're going to high OC doping convention type thing. Uh, but we quickly realize, you know, that uh, this won't happen. Uh, Mando's too smooth for that. Uh, we hear a little beeping. And they say, wait a second, what's that beeping noise? Uh, Quinn, Mando planted it on Quinn. He says, what's this thing? He goes, that's the IOC button, man. That's it. To we're toast. Oh, dear. Not good. And then we see three X-Wings jump in. Somehow they miss Mando. Mando takes off. Uh, and the, the, the three pilots say, okay, we got a link on the beacon. Probably trouble. Oh, looks like they're launching some sort of ship. Uh, Let's just take them all and, uh, uh, you know, by, say go bye-bye. And so that's the end of them. Uh, they, you know, they're like uh, Mando 1, uh, J-U-R-K-S is a zero. And the Mando jumps uh, the ship uh, into space, going through hyperspace. uh Kind of is tired. We see Baby Oso. He gives Baby Oso his ball to play with. Uh, he goes, here, buddy, play with the ball. That was a bad idea, but I guess we got paid. And look, growl, growl, something. I don't know what that is. Uh, oh, there it is. Uh, it's uh, the three of them, Mayfeld. We get a little post uh, thing of Mayfeld, Shian, and Berg. Uh, and they're in the penalty box. Uh, he growls, growls. Uh, it's like they all have headaches. That's what it was. They're all holding their heads. At least uh, Mayfeld and Berg are. And then we have the wrap. I counted 12 paintings, uh, but, it, you know, I've probably been wrong on it every time I've counted. Uh, but with that episode comes to a close. So let's see what came up on this episode I wrote about here. Or researched uh, slot machine was the first thing. So let's go to Wikipedia and look up slot machine. Uh, slot machine known as a fruit machine, a puggy, uh, the slots, poker pokies, uh, or simply slot is a casino machine game of chance. Uh, also known by their uh, ma- large mechanical levers attached to the side of early mechanical machines. Uh, it has three, usually has three or more reels that spin when the game is activated. Uh, some still use uh, the lever, but more as a design trait, uh, uh, because now they've been superseded by random number generators, uh, and are operated with push buttons or touch screens. Uh, they usually include uh, some way to do validate payment, coin, cash, voucher, token. 
Uh, but yeah, let's look at the history. The first one was developed in, by uh, Stipman and Pitt in Brooklyn, 1891. It uh, had uh, five drums with a total of 50 uh, card faces based on poker. It was popular. Many bars in the city had them. They were a nickel. And they'd be hoping for, a good, there was no direct payment, payment mechanism, but uh, a pair of kings might get a free beer. Uh, Royal Flush would pay out cigars or drinks. Uh, oh, so it's interesting. It was kind of like, uh, yeah, I don't know what you call it, but uh, do the vast number of possible wins. Uh, it proved uh, practically impossible to come up with a way to make the machine capable of making an automatic payment for all combinations. But somewhere between 1887 and 1895, Charles Fay of San Francisco devised a simpler automatic mechanism. Uh, with three reels and five symbols, horseshoes, diamonds, spades, hearts, and the Liberty Bell. The bell gave the machine its name. Uh, three reels instead of five drums, the complexity was reduced uh, and allowed Faye to devise an automatic payment me- payout mechanism. Uh, three bells in a row would pay ten nickels, uh, and it was a huge success, Liberty Bell. And it went on from there, I guess. Uh, yeah, I mean, until uh, entire industries. and uh, So there's a lot more about it, uh, the article on Wikipedia. And what about uh, the it crowd? Holy cow. We got a little bit of uh, and a taste of it uh, here for Zero, uh, which if I don't know if you've seen it. It's a British sitcom uh, broadcast by Channel 4. Uh, it's set in uh, uh, a fictional office uh, and it revolves around the members of the IT staff, uh, Maurice, uh, Roy, and Jen. And kind of uh, how, uh, I guess you don't want to ruin the show too much, uh, but uh, you, 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 got, you kind of got to see it. Uh, it premiered all the way back in 2006, uh, and it ran for four series of six episodes each. each uh, the six was commissioned but not produced. Uh, there was a special in 2013. Uh, what else do you mean? I mean, it's kind of a show you should see. I don't know where, I'm sure you could screen, uh, uh, what do you call it? Stream it somewhere. Uh, it was internationally syndicated on ABC in Australia, UK TV, uh, GTV, Comedy Central in Germany, in Poland, uh, uh, HBO in Czech Republic, uh, so, yeah, and the uh, IFC, it's also on Netflix, Tubi TV, and Hulu, it says here. And while fifth season was uh, created or uh, commissioned in 2011, uh, and they did start pre-production, uh, they were going to do it as a goodbye, but uh, I don't know if it, I guess it just didn't work out. Uh just couldn't make it work with the schedules of people's uh, work schedules and stuff like that. Uh, but it's definitely a show you should check out. I mean, a delightful, delightful performances and stuff. Also, You Wear It Well was said in this episode uh, about uh, the Beskar Armor, which is a Rod Stewart song. Uh, 
written by Rod Stewart and Martin uh, Quittenton. Uh, kind of sounds very similar to Maggie May. It was uh, came out in 72, Never a Dull Moment. Uh, international hit, number one on the UK singles chart. In the US, it hit 13. Uh, Stewart performed it on top of the pops uh, with the full lineup of faces. Uh, and uh, also a 2013 performance. Uh, not much more about it. Uh, but uh, just I don't know. When I Googled You Wear It Well, that was the first thing that came up. Uh, another show that came up was, uh, or they, like uh, I've talked about on the podcast before, is The Prisoner, which is a 1967 British uh, science fiction TV series, uh, which is very out there. Very uh, 60s, 70s TV, British TV. It has a little bit of spy, a little bit of science fiction. And it's very different. Uh, it was a single season of 17 episodes, uh, 1966 to 1968. Uh, let's see. It was first broadcast in Canada, then the UK, then in the U.S. Uh, um, what else we got here? It kind of had that 60s countercultural feel, sur- surrealistic uh, fantasy. I guess it was a remake on AMC in 2009. And I'm trying to think of what we could talk about. Like, it, it follows this uh, uh, unnamed person who uh, uh, suddenly finds himself in uh, a mysterious village uh, in the mountains. Uh, and uh, he meets people, starts to walk around. No, everyone has names and not numbers. Uh, but it's like obviously he he's he gets number six, uh, the main character. And obviously there's a number one he that does it like, and then there's number two who he's in contact with, uh, trying to figure stuff out. And I don't know, it's a show you definitely should check out because it's very different. Uh, and I'm not sure, I'm sure it's available somewhere. I thought about doing it for the podcast, but it's just not as why I don't know if uh, maybe one day or maybe as a bonus or something. Uh, uh, oh, home media. Oh, there was a, uh, there was a book, uh, there was comics, there was DVDs. Uh, and I'm sure it's like, uh, yeah, that 40 DVD box set, Blu-ray. So definitely something, another thing you could check out. Uh, what about Paranoid Android? Uh, that's a song uh, from OK Computer from uh, Radiohead, 1997. It was written, it's uh, six minutes long, four sections. It's uh, named after Marvin the Paranoid Android from Hitchhiker's Guide. Uh, it made it to number three on the UK singles chart. Uh, it's re- regularly considered one of their great songs. Uh, uh, the first version was 14 minutes long, very uh, Pink Floyd-esque, I guess. It says here on Wikipedia, kind of got deep purpley. And they did put it out on uh, one of their compilations. Uh, but then they shortened it down. Uh, it replaced a big organ solo with a guitar solo. I guess it was recorded uh, uh, near Bath, uh, Bath, uh, 
it's kind of has parts from three different songs, uh, a little bit of Beatles, a little bit of Pixies, and a little bit of the uh, Queen. Uh, let's see, because uh, Paranoid Android is described as alternative rock or art rock or progressive rock, uh, G minor, 84 beats per minute, uh, release and reception, music video, uh, packaging. I'm just trying to read through anything. Cover versions, uh, a lot of cover versions on here. And yeah, I mean, I don't know. You link to it. You read more about it here. What about? Don't forget about Clancy Brown, the great actor. One of the great actors. Plays a lot of non-good guys. Uh, even though he seems like a good guy, uh, he's been in the movie. Uh, uh, let's see, he's been in the Highlander, Shawshank, Carnival. Uh, he's in the most recent Thor movie, Earth 2. Yeah, he's been on every, almost everything. ER, uh, The Riches, The Deep End, Leverage, Dukes of Hazard, The Flash, uh, Daredevil. Uh, does a ton of voiceover, holy cow, in Marvel and DC. Oh, he's in Buckaroo Bonsai. Let's see what else he was in here. Uh, Blue Steel, uh, Starship. Uh, wow, uh, let's see what else we got here. Cowboys and Aliens. Uh, what else do we got Hail Caesar. And then television. He's been on TV since 1983. I'm pretty sure, wasn't he in Lost? Yeah, 2006. He was like a classic character briefly on Lost. I remember them talking about it on the Lost podcast, how much they wanted to work with him. Uh, Oh, Little Mermaid. The Little Mermaid TV show, though. Hercules, the TV show. So, I don't know, just another nice thing, Clancy Brown. And, you know, let's finish up with elbow grease. Uh, elbow grease is an idiom, according to Wikipedia, for working hard. Uh, figure speech uh, in, in, humorously indicating nothing but hard work is needed. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't know. I just, like, thought, thought it was interesting because that's how the Mandalorian gets out. It's actual using the elbow grease from a droid. Uh, so that's the end of the episode discussion. I'm just going to turn it over here really quick uh, uh, to uh, uh, to Wind- Windy Marshtrap. Oh, thanks, Scooter. Hey, this is Windy Marshtrap here with your uh, few minutes in uh, visiting Star Wars Galaxies. I wanted to tell you, if you can, uh, in, don't worry, I'm here with Dewey, Dewey, my do-back, and... Uh, Wanted to tell you if you if you're ever in the area, visit Sorgan. That's S O R G A N. Sorgan. It's a beautifully a remote planet. Forests. If you if you if you like uh, your your uh, if you you know I know that people listening, they they may have interests uh, like walking in the woods. You could do that on Sorgan. Uh, if you like swimming, oh boy, Sorgan is like a land of lakes, lakes and ponds and rivers everywhere. Very, very uh, lush but temperate. 
If you're a fan of, uh, uh, now I know everybody, particularly Scooter, doesn't eat shellfish, but if you do enjoy krill, uh, which is a bit like shrimp, I may be, uh, but I don't know, but uh, you'll love sorghum. And then also, oh, so many villages with handcrafted goods. And then, of course, sorghum is best known uh, for for its liquors. Uh, it's the home of uh, many glowing li- liquors, uh, uh, which people really, really like to drink. Uh, so you could come there. If you wanted to have a drink that glows, uh, come to Sorgan. Sorgan, the home of drinks that glow. This is uh, Wendy Marstrap and Dewey the Dewback uh, saying, visit Sorgan for the forests, for the people, and for the glowing drinks. Uh, good nights. All right, everybody, we're talking about the last episode of the Mandalorian and the latest episode, not the last one. Second to last, actually, of the Mandalorian. It starts with a recap. Code, IG unit, uh, be in my crew. Nope, thanks, peace out. Kara, client, large bounty, small package. Okay, Werner, Werner, keep it to yourself. uh, also playing ball hide and seek. Uh, and then the episode opens. Uh, that's my, you know, my quick, quick recap. Uh, let me make sure my, uh, subtitles are on here so I can capture some of the dialogue while we go through this, uh, against the guild code here. Mando's looking at the ball hide and seek with the uh, Troopers of Storms, oh so wrapped up, oh so cute wrapped up. And now the title screens are playing. Uh, and then the episode eventually will open here in space. Uh, Mando's ship, the Razor Crest, as we, as we, you know, I should know, but I always forget. Uh, also, I, you know, I'm not doing this research, but I said, is it the brand of the ship? Is it, ra- oh, that's Razor Crest brand. The ship that can't be detected, Razorcrest, uh, or is it the name of the ship? Uh, old Razorcrest is named after Old Razorcrest, that salty space pirate uh, whose uh, crest on his head was so, uh, you know, like you could you could shave on it. That's why we called him Old Razorcrest. Also, was very young. They looked old. He was one of those beings. Uh, a bit like Oso, but different. Uh, but it opens in space. Oso's sleeping cute in a new bassinet, or uh, I guess it's not a bassinet. I'd like to listen to a podcast. I guess this is a, this podcast, a podcast of stuff Oso sleeps in. He gets a message from Grief Cargus. I guess these are one-way messages, uh, like a late-delivered voicemail. Like a like a video, a FaceTime, but they don't. They're not two way. I mean, here's one thing that would, I just thought of. It would get on my nerves. If you if you had to send somebody a message, you got to stand up every time because Grief Cargus is standing up. Uh, he'd say, "Oh man, I got to send Mando a message. I just don't. I'm sitting here on the couch. I know I got to get up and stand in front of the camera." I wish I wish I had that camera brought droid. You know, I got that droid that can do it for me. Especially one with that ring that makes everybody look good, ring light. Uh, 
But he says, hey, surprise. He goes, son, have I got a little story to tell? What you thought was the leader of your uh, your guild is, uh, is still kicking it. You must be, too, if you're watching this. Uh, a lot has happened. You got We got some despotic rule going on. And really messing stuff up, and we can't get close to him. It's that Werner. And I got one last commission for you, buddy. Worth your while. You know, you've been successful so far. And in return, you know, you and the child will get to do whatever you want. Here's my proposition. But B-A-I-T, though. We got some loyal guild members ready to help out. Men of honor, or man of oh no, maybe he says you're a man of honor. He says go to the, go there, check it out. Uh, you and the child uh, will be cleared. Oh, for a man of honor, should may not be forced to live in exile. Await your arrival with optimism. Uh, look at he looks at the sleeping Oso. He's thinking. He looks over his shoulder. Oh, he's so cute and sleepy with his orange button. And he thinks for a while, turns his head again, clicks some buttons, makes, you know, makes a decision clearly. And the ship starts moving. Space, uh, title, oh, the title, then we get the title after the Razor Crest goes by in space, uh, The Reckoning, Chapter 7. And this is kind of what we've been waiting for. This uh, next, like, a t- five to ten minute sequence, we see a swamp planet, Razor Crest. Uh, uh, then we cut to the kebab and noodle bar, and uh, Cara Dune is having this ribbon. There's a, there must be this new competition. It's like a ribbon dance. You know what ribbon dancing is? It's when you dance with ribbons. Usually, they're attached by a stick. Uh, and it's a form of dance. Uh, actually, I think it's even in the Olympics as a part of uh, gymnastics. Now, this one takes place in a kebab and noodle bar, so a little bit more gritty, gritty noodle. N- n- not no- actually, maybe it was noodle dance. Oh, ribbon noodles. Uh, so it's not just ribbon dancing. It's a ribbon noodle dancing dance-off uh, where they use the ribbons uh in a competitive way. So she's doing that against a dude who looks a bit like an Ankylosaurus. Uh, his crest like a dino. That's what I put originally. Mando and Oso roll in like uh, two, two, swag, like two swaggerers. Uh, they say, G- give us a couple glow drinks. Uh, g- heavy on the glow cu- cubes, light on the booze. And they say, what up, Dune? And she says, what up with it? And uh, they she says, I'm laying low here. And then the guy she had the ribbon noodle dance off with, she says, come back soon. Uh, and he goes, I got this big reward thing. Uh, yeah, you want to work with me? She goes, no, I can't. I'm on, everybody's on the lookout for me. And uh, you can't do it. Uh, you got to stay low, just like you said, uh, you know. Uh, I got a history. He goes, a handsome reward about a handsome reward. And I don't mean money, you know, hubba hubba. She goes, what? I'm not in the mood, dude. Get to the point. Uh, and I also don't need to deal with any local warlords. He goes, oh, no, it's imperial. And she says, I'm in. And then we see a map. Uh, 
Does this say contact? No, let me. Oh, so she's talking. Karen, she goes, you, Is your contact need to vet me? Amanda goes, No, doesn't know you're coming. She goes, That's going to be a problem. He goes, Well, his problem, not mine. Oso likes that line. Then they go down to the workstation. He goes, Take your pick. Uh, uh, pick one. She goes, Is he up all right up there alone, like a baby that's always getting into stuff? Uh, he says, oh, yeah. Then she says, uh, hey, will you trust your contact? And he, he goes, no. Then at 712, do yourself a gigantic favor and use these time codes because at 712, you're in for a surprise. Uh, right around 712. Now it's, oh, 705, actually. Oh, wow. It goes on for a while. They zoom in. At first, at 705, it's in the background. Oso pops Oso's head down to check on the adults and like, and then starts trying to drive the car. Uh, so before misbehaving, Oso knows enough to check. Uh, so then Oso's trying to drive the ship. Uh, and Kara says, do I need to state the obvious? We need somebody to watch him. Uh, you know anyone you trust? He goes, huh, yeah. Actually, we just happen to be on our way there anyway. And then we see a kind of a desert Badlands planet. Music's playing. We see our favorite beasts of burden. And I'm not talking about the stones. I'm talking about those creatures. Who's, you know, I'll remember their names in a minute. You see our favorite windmill spinning around like a pinwheel. You look at that windmill and then you know you found the right farm, the right outpost. Uh, Again, they say, what up? Uh, and old Nolte says, come on in. Uh, now fla- flailing bin. Uh, what is that? I don't know what that means. See, let's see, there's, I think it says in it, something, a flashing bin. Uh, but they go in his house. He says, geez, that thing hasn't grown much. Uh, and Amanda goes, so it might be a strand cast. He goes, no, 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 not engineered. Uh, it's evolved. It's too ugly. He goes, what Kara doing, though? She could be from the side of caves of someplace, Nor- Nor- Norva or something. Uh, and he goes, uh, she was a dropper. And he goes, oh, yeah, I was on the other side. Sorry, but I was conscripted. So uh, I had to pay my client's debt. Uh, now I serve no one but myself. And then we have our old favorite IG unit. It says, T anyone? And everyone gets freaked. Uh, like, what the heck? Uh, Mando says, no, 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 this thing's out. And he goes, no, no, I reprogrammed it. Uh, don't worry. And then we have this very poetic like uh, thing. And let me read some of it because it's a flashback. Uh, and he says, geez, in the wake of your visit, uh, it was left behind. And we see, I mean, there's a lot of scavenging to do. Holy moly, you'd make millions. I don't know where those uh, Jawas are right now. Uh, But he says, I found it laying where it fell. Uh, He kind of cradles it. He says, devoid of all uh, non-big farm. And he goes, I recovered the floatsome and staked it as my own. Really uh, poetic. I really like that. and they starts working on it. Uh, goes a little remained of its neural harness. Sorry, the, the reconstruction was quite difficult. 
but not impossible. Then there's a sequence of the IG unit learning everything from scratch. Uh, uh, something that cannot be taught with a twist of a spanner. Uh, patience, repetition. I wish I had someone to train me like this. Uh, trying to feed the blurgs. So that's what they're called, the blurgs. Uh, day after day, reinforcing its development. I guess this is foreshadowing. Patience and affirmation. So what a good parent. Uh, it developed personality as his experiences grew. And eventually he could pour dinner uh, oatmeal for the blurg. Uh, and move boxes. Uh, and uh, stuff like that, which was great. And now, then, now, serve tea. Yeah, so they, then they have a stare down. Because it's still, he goes, no, it's a protector now. Not a, not a looking for people stuff. Uh, Mando and the IG unit stare each other down. And it's silence. And then the IG unit says, T, anyone? Anyone? Yeah, then we have an outside sequence with the Mando. And Mando goes, geez, I, I got a situation. The guy goes, well, why else would you come out here? And, uh, and Mando goes, I want to hire you. He goes, I'm retired. And he goes, I can pay you handsomely. Ugh, not. And he goes, by the way, I got a name. It's Qu- Quill, I think. Uh, like Almost like Quill, but Quill. He goes, uh, I'm not a babysitter. He goes, I'll reprogram the IG unit for babysitting. And he goes, why don't you like droids anyway? Uh, and he goes, because he goes, he goes, they're not good or bad. They just are natural, neutral reflections of those who imprint them. Mando goes, I don't believe that. Uh, he goes, well, do you trust me? He goes, yeah, I guess so. He goes, then you will trust my work. And he goes, hey, I, oh, this one, he says, IG and I will do it. We'll do it for free because uh, we want to keep it. We like that kid. And he says, none will be free until the old ways are gone forever. So he would join the Khaleesi, man. He's down for breaking the wheel, even though that didn't work out. Uh, he goes, also, blurgs are coming. And Mando goes, you got to be kidding me. He goes, yep, I've spoken. Uh, then they're in space, and I guess they decide to feed the blurgs while they're on autopilot and have an arm wrestling match between uh, Cara Dune and Mando uh, while Quill's working. It looks like he's smoking some kind of pipe or something. It, uh, like he's pulling tubes, so he could literally pull in tubes at uh, about 1350. But Baby Oso does not like the arm wrestling and lets Cara Dune know about it with mystical hand stuff. Uh, Amanda goes, what are you doing? No, no, no. She's a friend. We were just playing arm wrestling. Uh, uh, he goes, Cara's my friend. And she goes, that's not okay. And then uh, Quill goes, curious. And she goes, curious. Uh, and he goes, this stuff with the mud horn. Now it makes it all make sense. He goes, I've heard about this. He goes, uh, she goes, what, in the Empire? He goes, no, 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 no. He goes, well, when I was, yeah, when I was put in the Empire, uh, oh, no, he goes, yeah, I'm free because I worked my way to freedom. Maybe you would know what that is. Uh, he goes, I worked a th- three human lifetimes. NIG rolls up silently. doesn't seem to like Kara's tone. I don't know. I, I was trying to count how many eyes IG unit has. A lot, uh. Amanda goes, how about a nice crib for this baby? Let's change the subject. Could you pad this floating shipping container I have? Uh, 
And he goes, I'll fabricate a, fabricate a better one with my hands, uh, with the skill of one's hands. So he gets you send that, uh, uh, let's see. Then, uh, Karen Mandor flying. They say, we're going to Navarro. Have you ever been there? Nope. Uh, not a great place. So the city's dug in deep, uh, no cover. And empire held it till the end of the war. Uh, Mando goes, yeah, this same, this dude is, uh, no insignia, but he's like, uh, he's some sort of, you know, imperial warlord. Oh, like former officer. Then the IG unit comes, second meal, do you want to hear below? Mando goes, not hungry, dude. I guess he speaks for the royal because Kara doesn't get to eat. Maybe she bailed, though. And he goes, this thing can't go off the ship. He goes, she goes, geez, uh. It's rewired, and he goes, yeah, I don't know. I don't care how much wiring it replaced. It's its nature. And she goes, it's not going to take long. This is going to be easy, uh, easy easy, and quick. I'm going to go eat with the IG unit, by the way. Bye. Mando sits there solo, thinking. Uh, then we, let's see, not hungry. Then we see it's uh, the planet. We land. Grief standing there with three guild members. Uh, one, the I think one of the dudes with the big helmets. Uh, uh, the, the Blurgs get off with the three of them on it, which is impressive. Uh, that, that leaves Grief and his crew speechless. Uh, uh, I mean, if you see, Amanda says, "This is the first Blurg you saw." I'm a Blurg rider now. On a gray blurg, I ride. Uh, and by the way, you know, we are kind of wanted. Uh, and Grief says, I walk these dirts. Uh, he goes, anyway, sorry, man. Sorry about everything getting so complicated. Uh, and he goes, introductions are in order, I guess. I thought you were coming by yourself. Uh, he goes, but we all got security now. Uh, and Grief says, uh, the... Uh, Maybe the guild troopers should stay back uh, since she's got tattoos, uh, anti-empire tattoos, and they look at their hackles up. And Amanda says, not a choice, dude. So, uh, uh, Grief says, oh, man, fine, fine. Cover it up, though. And he goes, where's the baby? You want to say hi? Baby loves me. And Mando actually introduces grief to Oso with a floating, new fro, new floating Bram. NFP, new floating Bram. And he goes, holy cow, this kid is cute. Oh, so cute. Wow, now I see what the fuss is about. Precious little creature, he says. Uh, arms open, quiet, fine. Little one, all the fuss. Uh, glad we'll put this uh, matter to rest. The sun drops fast on Navarro, by the way. So let's get through this lava and walk, blurg walk over uh, to our campsite. And they wrote, they used the lava to 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 keep their fire warm, which is very intelligent. Uh, and a lot of staring down. Uh, babies, Oso's getting fed. And let's see what else. Uh, we see some of the other, we see this is a, you know, the countryside of this planet has beings on it. 
I'm surprised they would have such a big dinner, like to have a giant, like it's like they're celebrating even though they're not. Uh, but they're all gathered around working. Uh, feed Oso, like I said, they're kicked back. Actually, uh, Grief's in parlay position at uh, at 2020, 2012. Uh, goes that little biker. Goes he goes that must be for some highfalutin menagerie. And man, goes what's the plan again? He goes go in, show him the baby, and get out. So that's it. A B C. Amanda goes, how many? He goes, oh, X Empire, four. You know, they're just paid workers. They'll take off. And what if they don't? Well, he goes, I'm their best bet for a new employment. So hopefully they're smart. Uh, no more than four, trust me. And then we have these birds come. And it turns out that uh, Blurg and birds don't get along, which we didn't know. And a couple of the guild members, they have a, a bird objection. Uh, so two Bulbergs go out. Uh, Mando almost went out. Oso ends up fine. Grief ends up. Uh, he got like a like a, a, something in his eye, and he says, "I don't know, man." And Oso rolls up. First, Kara tries to fix it. Then he, she's like, "I don't got the you know I don't got enough uh, light or whatever." So then baby also rolls up and says, well, boozity, boozity, boo. And, uh, I fixed it just for you. But at first there's a little comic relief because grief says he's trying to eat me. Uh, but he uses the old ET touch. Uh, also I saw an old iPod there. Uh, I don't know if it was on Oso's bassinet or on grief. Uh, then also has to rest. Uh, and everyone's like, oh, that didn't go good. Uh, then the next morning comes, uh, and we do some walking and talking. After all that, uh, Grief's like, can you believe it? There was something in my eye, and that kid did a googly, googly goo, and it came out uh, all the way out. And let's see, slow walking, one blur, got a three left. Still got the floating pram, though. They say, I don't know what's going on. Mando says, keep eyes on it, Kara. Uh, walking, talking, second thoughts. So that's what Mando says, uh, or she says. They walk to the edge, overlooking the town. And Grief says, "I guess this is it." And it's a double cross time, but now it's triple cross. Because uh, uh, Grief triple crosses the, the uh, double crossers. I don't know where Blur the Blurg is in uh, uh, Quill. And he goes, "You got a new plan. We were going to double cross you. I uh, realized that." Uh, you know, but uh, I triple crossed, so I'm back on your side. And so he goes, cover up your stripes. Uh, we'll still go into town. We still got to deal with this. They go, geez, no, no, we should get out of here. And then uh, Quill says, no, let him speak. He goes, you bring the kid in. We still do this plan. You know, you'll be free. Otherwise, you're going to be getting tracked down by the Empire the whole time. You got to deal with this now. Uh, so there's a face down. Oso's watching. Uh, and he goes, okay, yeah, just pretend you caught me. Karis works for you. And uh, he goes, uh, we'll do a little fake Rooney. 
so he, he says, hey, yeah, let's, uh, let's pretend we caught you and the child. Uh, but Mando says, he goes, no, we got to bring the kid. Mando goes, no way. I got a plan. He goes, Quill, you take the kid, seal yourself in the ship, engage ground, engage ground security protocols. Nothing can get in. And here's the comm link, you know, it's still chapstick thing. And he says, let's do this thing. Uh, he says, goodbye. And they get ready, a little couple of prep shots, everybody getting ready, holding the baby. And they head off, he pats the baby's back. We've got an empty crib, but it's, it's sealed up, which is hilarious. Uh, we watch Oso, watch them go bye-bye. And then we go into town. We see the arch th- that we've seen before. Then we see some speeder bike troopers. Uh, and they're kind of bossy. They demand uh, Grief's chain code. It took two scans to get it to work. He goes, how about that helmet? And the grief goes, no, going on, going on my wall, on your wall, Mando says. Uh, he says, okay. Then we see, uh, we also see uh, grief riding, or uh, uh, Quill riding back to the ship. Uh, let's see, right now they're scanning his chain code. They had to scan it twice to get it to work. Uh, he goes, this scanner's not... Uh, Quite up to date, uh, but uh, he says, "Yeah." Now he's handing his chain code back to him. They start rolling out again. They got to go through town with floating pram. Yeah, getting lots of looks from everybody. And Kara says, "What about?" I tell you, said there'd be four people here. And he goes, "Yeah, with inside, and I didn't mean outside." He goes, "This is you know." And she goes, slip him, slip Mando's stuff. He goes, maybe later. And she's kind of glaring at him. Uh, Mando looks at the bram. And now we see uh, the blurred again, Quail and Oso riding back to the ship. And then they roll into the uh, Werner's office. We see the four troopers, uh, which grief brags on. Four troopers, see? And Werner stands, oh, great, good to see you, new armor, eh? Uh, Groove's like, as promised, I got this dude here. Uh, and, you know, Werner says, nice craftsmanship on this uh, armor of yours. Beautiful Beskar, forged by ancestral artisans and uh, elaborate use of alliteration twice, uh, excellent alliteration. He goes, how about a libation, man? Old grief. And he goes, hit me, boss. Uh, So then they go and sit down. uh, And then they say, okay, then more troops come in. And then we get a speech uh, from the old warlord, old Werner. Goes, man, don't you realize the empire is so great? Uh, Improves every system by every metric. Wealth of wealthy people. Prosperity of prosperous trade with trading people opportunities uh, for the people that have the opportunities uh, clean houses for those with cleaning crews because uh, isn't that better than this revolution thing he goes isn't it, it's cleaner because uh, look at all this dust even on these stormtroopers they're not shiny 
And then we, this part was so hilarious, but it was so hilarious that you could lean into it. He goes, let me see the baby. Grief goes, he's asleep. And then I think it was just this one line made it work. Uh, he goes, I'd like to see the baby. Grief goes, he's asleep, dude. And he goes, oh, we'll be quiet. Uh, it was just cry. It's a really, and then he goes, oh boy. And he says, open the plant pram, by the way, I'm not a, a sucker. And he just happens to get a call right then, which really works out. Uh, so he gets a call, goes, uh, excuse me. Let me see what he says. Uh, I don't mean to be rude. I got to take this call though. It's my boss. Uh, then Mando gets ready for his move. There's actually a salt and pepper shaker on the bar. I think a grinder. Grief goes, you got one chance. And Kara says, there's way more troopers than we expected. He goes, what can I tell you? Nothing's, nobody's perfect, right? Yeah, let's see. Currently sleeping. Oh, they, they, then the boss who, you know, we see, I don't want to spoil it for anybody. Get Moff Gideon. Says, where's the baby? He goes, currently sleeping, I think. Uh, then we see this one thing that... Uh, it was strange, I guess, when you think about the value. But, I mean, maybe they had some precision, something going on. And they take out a, a Werner and his crew. Moff Gideon does the Empire. Uh, like a total bust or something. And But he leaves care of grief in uh, Mando and the baby. And so they get ready. They say, what just happened? Uh was that a double cross? I mean, that's what I thought at first. And we see these uh, stormtroopers in black. I don't know exactly what you call those uh, uh, serious troopers. Uh, then a transport pulls up with a ton more stormtroopers. Uh, they get off. Uh, they ha- they're clean. They have shiny. They're like, uh, Kara's like, you got to be kidding me. Uh, so then all of them are gathered. So it's like a, no, ch- like so outnumbered, like 80 to 1. Maybe even a well, maybe like sixty to one. And then Mando, classic mistake. He calls. He goes, "Quill, you at your ship? Uh, you taking that slow moving blurg there? Uh, get out of here. Get on the ship and go." Of course, they have the phones tapped. Uh, so the speeder bike troopers hop on their bikes and take off. Uh, and then we have a t- ticking clock. A quick one, quickly ticking. So we have the showdown, we have them cornered and trying to figure out what's next. Then we have a, a X or not an X-Wing TIE fighter come in and it does some fancy landing moves. Oh boy, is it fancy, the landing moves. Uh, uh, then we have the race to the ship. Uh, oh, the wings fold on it. That's what I mean, the fancy landing wings. Uh uh, even kicks up so much dirt, grief carcass, coughs. Uh, then we have uh, Blurg and Quill trying to get back to the ship. They're almost there, of course. Oh, of course. And then we have the roof of the TIE fighter opening slowly. Oh, that's when you say, holy, loco. And uh, he's got kind of like a Vader outfit going. I don't know if that's what all moths wear. And a cloak and a glare that we haven't seen since, what, season five. Uh, he goes, you have something I want. And they go, who is this guy? And you might have think you know what you're doing, but you don't. Uh, you, you know, you don't even know who you're messing with. Uh, 
And Amanda goes, are you back at the ship? Uh, they're on to us. Uh, then we see another sequence of the of the chase going on. And he goes, I already got you. He goes, uh, the baby is going to be mine. Uh, then we have another chase uh, chase segment. He says, is he going to make it? Very attention. Mando calling. Uh, the door going down. And he says, this means more to me than you'll ever know. This baby oh so. Mando gives one more quick thing back, and then we realize it didn't. Well, at first you think maybe there's one other thing, but if you really watch like five or six times, you realize uh, the speeder bikers ended up catching up and uh, saying, hey, don't you want to ride on a speeder bike oh so? We have, and then Oso says, I guess I'll try it. Uh, and Quill and the Blurg, they decide to take a break. Uh, and, uh, they say, well, we'll go visit the big farm because we want to see those other two blurgs that went with the birds, to the big farm. And you'll, uh, you'll, you'll ever know. Uh, yeah, quill out. Then there's mist. Uh, then there's, uh, what does that say? Cliffhanger. Oh, the episodes, I said, what's a cliffhanger? Uh, but yeah, it was a cliffhanger of an episode. Then there was about, I think there's either 13 or 14 paintings at the end. Uh, so there was that and, uh, you know, let's look, let's go ahead and look up some stuff that came up in the episode. All right. So a couple of things came up. Uh, one thing was at the beginning, uh, I think your grief carcass is, uh, yeah, I'm still, I'm still not at the big farm in the sky. Uh, which reminded me of the Pearl Jam song, I'm Still Not at the Big Farm in the Sky, also known as Alive, uh, which I guess, I don't know if that's, old, like, if, I don't know if that's considered oldies or not. I'm not being, I'm not kidding either, uh, but uh, it was a song by the American band Pearl Jam on their debut album 10, which came out in 1991. So I guess it's not 20, was that 2001? Oh, it's not quite 30 years ago, but holy. Uh, Alive uh, is a, it was originally an instrumental called The Dollar Short. was on a demo tape where they were looking for a lead singer. Eddie Vedder got a copy of the tape, wrote, wrote lyrics uh, that kind of described a fictionalized account uh, of his childhood and his relationship with his father. Uh, it charted at number 16 in the UK and number 9 in Australia. It was the only uh, Pearl Jam song to receive a certification from the British phonographic industry, going silver, 200,000 copies, top 20 in Belgium, Ireland, Netherlands, and New Zealand. The single was only available through import in the U.S., so it didn't chart in the U.S. Uh, uh, Remixed versions. So Stone Gossard wrote the music for the song while he was still a member of Mother Love Bone. And uh, he said uh, Andrew Wood sang it uh, for a little while. And then Gossard and Jeff Ament uh, started working with Michael McCready. They were trying to form a new band, and that was one of five uh, uh, tracks on their demo tape. Uh, Eddie, Vetti, Eddie, Eddie Vedder started listening. He was uh, working as a petroleum guy for a petroleum company in San Diego. And he said he listened to it and they went surfing and then saw the lyrics, recorded it, sent it back. Uh, Then they invited him to join the band. Uh, Then at first they were called Mookie Blaylock was the name of the band. Uh, 
and they recorded it live during a demo session at London Bridge Studio. Uh, it would later appear on their debut album, 10, and the promotional live EP. Uh, it's in A minor. Uh, let's see what else. Uh, it's a trilogy of songs like a, about a Vetter, uh, mini opera, uh, Alive Once in Footsteps. Uh, about uh, complicated stuff. Uh, and uh, let's see. It uh, even came out in a Coca-Cola pop music sampler in 1991. And, yeah, so, and there was a video directed by John Taft. Uh, it's a black and white video of a performance uh, from Seattle. Uh, so uh, some of it's even, the drumming is actually the clip from the video rather than from the record version. Uh, which didn't even include their current drummer or the drummer at the time the song was recorded. And yeah, it's, it's a little bit about a link to it. It just made me think, uh, cause he says, I'm still alive. Uh, also, uh, he says a man of honor, which made me think of the game of Thrones episode, a man without honor. And I said, what was that in season one, season two? I looked it up as season. Oh, it was season two. Holy dyslexia. I thought it said, so I looked it up. I said, what was that, in season two, season three? So here's a little insight into my life. I've been, for the past couple hours, I was so confused because uh, I looked it up, but then I, what do you call it, transposing numbers. So I thought it was episode seven, season two. And I said, really, that's it? How many, episodes, how many seasons were there at Game of Thrones? I thought there was only seven or eight. There must be like ten. Uh, because, you know, this is the early season. And I was like, wait, Talissa, Rob, uh, Rose, uh, or Agreet, uh, 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 and Mom, uh, everybody's in this episode, like Tywin. So I was really mixed up. So I guess it's not a relief because then I said, wow, I must have forgot a lot about those first seasons. Uh, that'll be great when I rewatch it. But now... So a little bit of a relief and a letdown. So second season, the seventh episode of the second season, which makes sense because it leads up to uh, the conclusion. It causes the conclusion of the second season. Uh, but it, the name of the episode comes from Caitlin Stark uh, saying, you're a man without honor uh, to Jamie. As written by Benioff and Weiss, directed by David Nutter, came out before the podcast existed, Sleep With Me, at least, uh, May 13, 2012. Uh, so it was at the conclusion of this season that I thought about starting to record the podcast based on this uh, series, this season, but I didn't do it. But what month was it? So it was like a late uh, spring. So it takes place in a couple of different places. King's Landing, Sansa's uh, living like married to Joffrey. So that's not great. Uh, oh, no, no, wait. She's not married to Joffrey yet, but she's engaged to Joffrey, I guess. Uh, uh, Stannis' fleet is headed towards King's Landing. Uh, John's beyond the wall. He's hanging with a great... Uh, uh, and... Uh, uh, then they uh, get caught by the wildlings at Harrenhal. Uh, Arya's undercover with Tywin. Uh, Sir Gregor's uh, still Sir Gregor. 
uh, in the West. Uh, Jamie's been caught by Rob. Uh, Jamie gets out, gets recaught. Uh, I think, I guess at some point, Caitlin uh, lets him go. I think maybe not in this episode, though. Uh, Danny's in Karst. Uh, uh, let's see. Sir Jorah. Uh, oh, this is when they have to deal with the, uh, like, the wizards. Uh, uh, and there's a lot of, and it's, hey, yeah, yeah, there's like a, a whole thing. Uh, Danny overcomes the wizards, basically, and then they get out of there. In Winterfell, Osha, Bran, Rickon, and Hodor, H- Hordor, H- H- Hordor, uh, they take off, uh, and they ditch Theon, uh, who's really embarrassed, uh, and Theon even fakes that, uh, he fakes that they didn't lose them. It was watched by 3.69 American households when it first came out. And then about a, almost a million in the UK on Sky Atlantic. It was second uh, highest rated broadcast in the UK that week. Oh, that channel, Sky Atlantic, uh, is a 92% on uh, Rotten Tomato. Uh, and, uh, yeah, so this is a good episode. I just remember, I like that title, Man Without Honor. Now, this episode is called Reckoning, which reminded me of, a, this definitely is an oldies, I guess, at this point, an REM album called Reckoning. They came out in 84. They probably didn't get into it, like, listening to it, maybe not even until the aughts. Uh, really, it has some really good songs on it, uh. It was the second album by R.E.M. Uh, let's see. It was recorded in uh, North Carolina. It tried to capture the sound of R.E.M.'s live performances. Uh, used binaural, binaural recording on some tracks. Let's see. It was after their debut album was critically acclaimed. They started working on their second album. Uh, they were writing a lot. Uh, we're going through a streak. Peter Buck said they're writing like two good songs a week. Uh, uh, but the recording sessions were difficult for a lead singer who was worn out by the tour, previous tour. So they were having trouble getting usable vocal tracks. Uh, but yeah, a couple of songs. Let's look at the songs because uh, oh, those are review scores. End of Reckoning. I guess they made a movie about it. I was just trying to see if I could see packaging. So I'll link to this article from Wikipedia. But side side one has, uh, there's a a South Central Rain, but then I love these two songs. I love uh, Pretty Persuasion and Don't Go Back to Rockville. I really like both those songs a lot, just in case you're wondering. Uh, those are like two REM songs, and I know they had way more popular and probably better written songs. Uh, but those are two songs uh, that I really can listen to. Uh, that one, and then what's the one? Boxcars are turning. That has another title, but uh, those are three songs: British Persuasion, Don't Go Back to Rockville. Uh, so definitely listen to those. Check check those out. Okay, how about Ankylosaurus? This is from LiveScience.com. Article from May 10th, uh, 2017 by Joseph Castro. Five facts about the Ankylosaurus. Uh, so let's get these five facts. Are they buried in the article? 
Well, Ankylosaurus lived on low-lying plants. Uh, it uh, it had a big tail. It could have had. It might have been flat and triangular, but it, it particularly in movies is like a club-like, and it was armored. Uh, massive knobs and plates known as ostroderms uh, could only go uh, six miles an hour. Uh, let's see. So yeah, let's see. I think a couple other things. Uh, it uh, it's called that just because it had it was like a tank. Uh, it means fused lizard in Greek because its uh, bones and skulls and other parts were fused, making it extremely rugged. Lived in the late Cretaceous period, sixty five point five million to sixty six point eight million, and roamed the western United States and Alberta, Canada. Uh, they did downsize it a bit as they've been analyzing uh, uh, stuff. The largest one was 25.5 feet uh, long and 5.6 feet wide. And it could have weighed up to four metric tons covered in armor. So that was another one. Here's another thing to check out. I'll just it's Custer State Park. That's It's on the edge of the Badlands. And I'll just r- r- link to it. It does have 1,500 free-roaming bison, uh, and then it's near uh, Wind Cave, Mount Rushmore, Jewel Cave, uh, uh, Crazy Horse National Monument, and Badlands National Park. Uh, so, and that's a, but it's a South, uh, South Dakota State Park. It, if you're looking for a great uh, combination, like two days. Uh, if you're especially if you're driving, that area is just amazing. Or longer, you know. Okay, how about some words for the SAT for those students? Devoid, D-E-V-O-I-D, devoid. Uh, it's from the obsolete, uh, and it means uh, empty, having none of, completely without. That's an adjective. Uh, as a verb, uh, to empty out or remove, devoid. Uh, oh, wow, anagrams they have in here. Vadi, voided, devoid and voided uh, are anagrams. That's uh, good to know. I'll never remember that. Uh, that's devoid. Floatsome, floatsome actually comes up as floatsome and jetsum. Floatsome, though, spelled F-O-L, no, F-L-O-T-S-A-M, flotsam. It's the remains of a, a ship floating. Or stuff that's been discharged from a boat on the ocean or the sea. In space, it could be, you know, anything, I guess. A collection of items or fragments of little importance or considered to be of little worth. Uh, dregs, I guess, is a synonym, according to that. Uh, so that's floatsum and jetsum. Uh, then Star-Lord, I'll just link to that because his name is Peter Quill, not Quail. Quail. Uh, but that's a fictional superhero in Marvel Comics. Uh, first appeared uh, Marvel Preview uh, number four in 1976. Uh, he becomes a, like an interplanetary uh, policeman, according to this, uh, Mantle of Star-Lord. And, you know, is uh, famous now uh, because uh, of Guardians of the Galaxy and portrayed by Chris Pratt. Uh, so definitely worth uh, checking out. But, yeah, been around since the 70s. Uh, maybe that's why he likes the music in the movies. Uh, 
let's see, his abilities, he's a human Sparto, Spartoi hybrid, enhanced strength, durability, longevity, he also has an advanced suit, he's a master tactician and commander, except in the movies, uh, good at hand-to-hand combat, martial artist, uh, use of technology, flight via jet boots, and a helmet uh, that, uh, you know, does a lot of stuff. So that's Peter Quill, not Quail, Quill, Quail, I think. Uh, and then finally, Hackles, that's another word you might be able to use, H-A-C-K-L-E-S, Hackles. Uh, according to Wikipedia, the reptile plumage in the hair or hair in the neck area of some birds and mammals, the hackles. Uh, so the hair on the back of your neck, that's a hackle. And they stand up uh, when you're having a you know, response. Uh, so uh, raised hackles, you've raised my hackles. Uh, okay, and then uh, I'm going to turn it over really quick to Wendy Marshtrap. Hey, everybody, this is Wendy Marshtrap. I'm here with my Dewey Dewback, uh, my Dewback Dewey. Sorry about that. And I wanted to talk to you tonight just about ice planets. Uh, this season opened on an ice planet, and Hoth is another uh, famous ice planet. And I just wanted to give you a couple facts from Wikipedia about ice planets. In case you're planning on visiting one in the future, I don't know why you would, unless you have a lot of stuff. Uh, Ice planets are a theoretical exoplanet with uh, an icy surface of volatiles, water, ammonia, or methane. That planets consist of a global cryosphere and it could be small icy worlds of a solar system or moons or Europa, Triton, a dwarf planets like Pluto or Eris or smaller solar system bodies. Uh, they usually are... Uh, uh, composed of, oh, we said that well, it could be carbon monoxide or other volatiles, depending on the surface temperature. Ice planets would have surface temperatures below 260 degree, degrees Kelvin, negative 13 degrees uh, Celsius if composed of water, uh, 180 degrees Kelvin if uh, CO2, and ammonia would be 80 degrees Kelvin, which is a negative 193 degrees Celsius. Uh, Oh, if methane. Uh, on the surface, uh, they don't seem very hospitable uh, like to life on Earth because they're cold. And uh, But a lot of them have subsurface oceans. It could be warmed by internal heat or tidal forces from another nearby body that could be habitable. Uh, and then, you know, you could, you know, humans could bring stuff like on Hoth or the beginning of this episode. Or on your earthly poles. Oh, let's just look here. Ice planets and science fiction. Uh, there's been the Hoth in The Empire Strikes Back. Uh, Gethin in The Left Hand of Darkness. Uh, Fikina in Star Fikina in Star Fox. Uh, the Ancient Mesa in F Zero. And uh, let's see what else. Uh, oh, then there's also lava planets. Uh, which we've seen in the uh, oh Mustafar, but also uh, Navarro, uh, Solar and Star Fox, Firefield and F Zero, Pyronite and Ben Ten, uh, Excalibia uh, and Star Trek, um, 
And those are silicon beings. There's ocean planets. There's a lot of stuff. Ocean planets. We saw an ocean planet. Oh, no, that was a moon. That was Endor. Oh, no, that was a moon of Endor. Correct? Uh, well, anyway, folks, this is Wendy Marstrap saying, if you bring, if you visit a nice planet, bring a coat, please. And a lot more than that. Uh, from Dewey and I, good night. All right, everybody, Scoot's here, and we're talking about the last episode of Season 1, Chapter 8. Not Episode 8, it's Chapter 8, but, 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 but because I, I was going to say Episode 8. I was also going to say Buddy, but then I realized I was talking to myself, and it's probably not appropriate to call myself Buddy. So we're talking about Chapter 8. We'll get to the title of it. It starts with the pre- uh, previously on The Mandalorian. And we got a little grief. We got a little Varner. We got some uh, Cara Dune. I thought it was a sand dune at first because I just put Dune. We got the Covert. We got the Grouchy Mandalorian, Mandalorians and then the Grouchy one. A little showdown, relocation. This is the way. Which either either someone said it or it reminded me of So Shall We All. But it's really so say we all uh, after I Googled it. They said, so the whole series, they weren't saying so shall we all. They probably knew it at the time, but we'll talk about that maybe later. Crew sequence, you know, gathering the crew, that droid. Uh, client, Werner out, and the cliffhanger. And old uh, uh, whoever, Moff Gideon, saying it will be mine, which reminded me of Be Mine, um, which reminded me of Candy Hearts, uh, Speeder Bike Chase, uh, Post Comedy Chat. That doesn't make any sense. Oh, except it does. So there's really this dialogue uh, is really good. Uh, The Moff, Gideon. Is it what is that thing anyway? So real, I don't, I don't, I don't even know who who was doing the voices, uh, but some amazing writing. A uh, little, you know, like uh, slow it down. Uh, I don't know, just 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 really funny, well written dialogue. I guess I don't know what else I'm trying to say. And actually, body language and acting. Uh, can I see it? Do you get the point? Uh, not, not good. Also, uh, oh, neither one of them has good, uh, like, neither one of these uh, are top, uh, would be top in their class at Speeder Bike Academy because uh, they they don't, they can't, uh, they can't aim. They're tossing, they're doing spitballs. Also, there's a spray paint ball sound effect I liked. I love the body language, how much they're moving around. They say, oh, it could take a while. Don't worry. I just want to see it. Uh, serves you right. Uh, then we have the sound of the IG unit. Old nurse droid, uh, uh, new nurse droid, I guess, uh, IG unit making two steps. Uh, step one, step two, I'm on screen. And the IG unit says some stuff. I guess I have closed captioning turned off here. Let's Let's, let's fix that. Let's remedy that. Holy. Uh, in closed captioning, they're uh, Trooper 1 and Trooper 2. They're not in the Koopa Troopas, though. They're no, they're no Koopa Troopers, I'll tell you that much, uh, even though they are in shells. So they say, well, actually, Scoots, we're in shells. Uh, we're not really much like Koopa Troopers. Uh, we're not incredibly effective. 
And I say, okay, well, things I didn't realize, uh, how much the two of you are like Koopa Troopers. Uh, Also, Scoots, I don't think they're called Koopa Troopers. And I'd say, so shall we all make mistakes just like a human does. So it's just buying time as we wait for the IG unit to, uh, oh, there's also a fish quote, stuff it in my sack, uh, they say. I think they said something a little bit different, but I said, oh, that's like a fish song. Get out of here. Oh, then uh, the IG unit takes over because they, they say, get out of here. And they say, the IG unit says, are you re- re- refusing my request uh, to take over the baby? You know, I'm going to take the baby with me. It's my charge. Uh, and then the IG unit says, because the IG unit has to um, send the troopers back to school. So it says to baby, oh, so sorry you had to see that. And, uh, um, yeah, one speeder bike remains. So so then the IG unit gets on a speeder bike, and the OSO and the uh, IG unit are out. That was unpleasant. Sorry you had to see that. And then we have the title card, Chapter 8 of the Redemption. Uh, Then, like, uh, there's a showdown. Uh, like a slow rising camera behind Gideon. There's lots of shots, a series of shots, as I like to say, of faces and zooms on Gideon. Uh, so we get everybody's face so we know, okay, wait, we still got Mando, Cara Dune, Grief, Grief Cargus, or Reef Cargus, whatever Scoots is going to call him. I don't know about, a lot about how the sun works on this planet, but the sun, it, it feels like it must be winter because of the way the sunlight is. Uh, talk about the sewers. Yeah, sewers are good. Who wouldn't agree? What are they waiting for? I think that was my note. Uh, and then I guess we realized what it is in a minute. Uh, there were some confusing things, but we don't know Moff Gideon's full... We don't know everything about motivations, so. Okay, let's get out of here. They try to get into the sewer. That doesn't work. They're setting up an e-web, which is like an e-cam. They say, let's get the sewer sewer vent. They're trying to boot up this e-cam call recorder. That's a call recorder, e-cam call recorder. Some podcasters use that for interviews. And they say, we're going to record all your calls. Uh, you got to put on a podcast or you could come uh, join the um, Moff Gideon, give up. And they say, neither. We're going to try to get out of here. But they can't get the sewer grate open. And then we have some good dialogue. You're astute panic. Uh, uh, I love that term. Astute panic suggests you understand your situation. Uh, you know, I'd rather not do this. So I encourage a moment of consideration. And they says, you got this ECAM call recorder, Kara Cynthia. Kara Cynthia. The Kara's with a C, the Cynthia's with an S. Kara uh, Cynthia Dune of Alderaan, who knows our old model. And is Din Djarin. D-I-N-D-J-A-R-I-N, or Mandalorian, who was familiar with the Thousand Tears. 
and distressed magistrate. Really good vocabulary words. Grief cargus, uh, uh, unceremonious, uh, search the wisdom of your years, uh, something about unceremonious. So let's see, come outside and, uh, you know, work for me or you'll have to make a podcast, uh, or we'll figure something else out. Oh yeah. Unceremonious end. And we get some great, uh, action from grief. He says, what do you propose? And they say, negotiation. Parents went away on a week's vacation. What assurance do you offer? And he says, you can't trust me. I'm motivated by my own self-interest. I'll act in my self-interest. Give you till nightfall. They said, why are they waiting? And he says, for your entertainment scoots, believe it or not. Uh, he said, well, that's polite of them. Uh, they also don't get, so there's a lot. I don't know if these are all tucked in here as like, uh, uh, nods and inside jokes, but I think they are. Well, one, they use a, a term, uh, mind player, uh, but with, and I said, isn't that what it was called at, uh, the, the Otter Things, the podcast, uh, about Emmett Otter, uh, that took place in the eighties, uh, from the Duffer brothers. Uh, so they use that term, but I said, maybe that's an old Star Wars term. I don't know. And then uh, Mandalorian says, I know who he is, Moff Gideon. Knew him as a lad uh, or something. They say, he's he's no good. Everybody says that. Uh, he knew my name. And then Grief doesn't know that Mandalorian's like a way of life, not a, uh, it's a creed. Not, I wasn't born on Mandalore. Uh, it's a creed. Then we get a flashback, uh, droids or bots. Uh, that, that was something I didn't look at, but I said, okay, there's droids and there's bots. But it reminded me of that TV show Battle Bots. Uh, uh, then uh, the hideout, a lot of maroon to wine-colored robes, Mandalorian rescue. That Mandalorian has an antenna. Uh, uses the take my hand motion uh, to uh, Dinjarin. Din Almost everybody had a jetpack. And then the Mandalorian comes back, and that's how I know him. And he goes, But this is the thing. The child must have got away because why? why he answers my question from earlier. Why are they waiting around? A child got away. Grief does a shot of Spotchka. Because uh, you can tell it's Spotchka when it has glow cubes, blue glow cubes. Uh, then the phone rings. It's Oso. They're not recording the call. Uh, then IG88 says Quill's out. Mando's not happy about that. And he says, I got to follow my base function. And Mando goes, what? He goes, to nurse and protect. Which reminded me of RoboCop, whose m primary function was to serve and protect. Uh, then we get some action going. If also, Grief has more Spotchka. Uh, there's building music as uh, IG heads into town, uh, really doing some work. Uh, jumps off his bike at some point. It's on. The IG unit says it's on to the break of dawn or to dusk in this case. And he says, let's dance. We're not making any podcasts here with the Ecamm call recorder. And they say, are you sure it's not the EK? And I said, I don't know. E-Web, according to officially. Kara hides out. Uh, Mando's outside with the IG unit. He gets the E-Web, the E-Cam. 
Moff Gideon takes out the E-Web uh, call recorder. Also, Mandalorian, he takes out. And Mandalorian gets a timeout. Uh, they go back in. They go, Jesus is our only way out. Kara's cradling Mando. Uh, try to remove the great. Uh, uh, grief says, I love IG units because the IG unit uh, has uh, like a, what is that thing called? Uh, what is that called? Like where you cut metal uh, thingamajig with a uh, heat. Uh, and uh, so he gets on that. Uh, let's see. Move the grade. I love IG units. But Mando's bell was rung. Uh, he says, go bye-bye without me. And Kara says, let's take your helmet off, get you some air. He goes, no, no, no. And then as they're trying to figure it out, uh, this is when everything goes wild. A special trooper comes in, you know, former stormtrooper uh, with stripes. And it's a skunk trooper, which we've never seen in all my days of Star Wars. I never associated, would have never thought, but you, the brilliance of uh, whoever ran the Empire. Uh, or Moff Gideon, it's a skunk trooper, like, and just like you think, I said, holy Pepe Le Pew, that is not a cat, it's a skunk trooper, a trooper with a skunk-based uh, uh, distributor, and they say, well, this is it, and Mando says, just get out of here, uh, this is the way, leave me behind, I'll deal with the stinky trooper. And what happens is uh, they, they, the, the skunk trooper tries to do some skunking, like lay down the old skunk spray. And oh, baby Oso says, you think you, uh, and, you know, we've never seen that baby Oso wears a diaper. Also 50 years old. I'm not sure. Baby Oso looks like, uh, we don't know. We don't know. And baby Oso says, in this case, I don't know if it was baby Oso's diaper, but baby Oso says, I have a stinky diaper. And it throws the diaper at the, the skunk trooper into the skunk spray, which rebounds with the diaper on the skunk trooper. And much like when Koa got uh, skunked, it made it like, a, you know, that's when dogs run away. They don't like it. Who uh, else doesn't like it? Their owners. Uh, then Oso has to lie down to rest, of course, because that's like overwhelming. Uh, and then the great, the IG on it gets is great, gets the grate open, the sewer grates. And uh, Mando says, go without me, leave me behind. They say, no, no, no. He says, take the baby. Uh, I'll stay, take Oso, do it, uh, do what? Uh, oh, that's not yet. So he finally convinces Cara Dune and Grief Cargus to go without him. The IG says, don't worry about it. I'll take care of uh, Mandalorian. Uh, but the Mandalorian actually doesn't like skunk smell. So he's kind of like beside himself. Uh, and this is like a, a couple heartfelt moments. I mean, again, there's a level of writing is just uh, oof, dialogue writing here. I mean, everything came together, uh, in my opinion. So he says, uh, like, he, he says, do it. Uh, and and Igena says, do what? He says, just full skunk me, man. Leave me in behind, and I'll be a stinkeroony. And the Igena says, no, 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 I'm a nurse droid. I'm not a hunter or a, you know, stinker. You know, I'm not a, like, a leave, leave time smoker, you know. 
whatever that, you know, I, like I'm not a lover on the run. I'm a nurse droid. And he says, I got to take off your helmet though. Cause you can't have, I got, because you got to put this mix on you. It's like, uh, whatever I did when Koa got sprayed, maybe I can't remember. I looked it up on the internet, but maybe some sort of soap and, uh, hydrogen peroxide mixed together. Uh, but don't take my word for it. This is an IG unit. And he says, this will get the skunk smell right off you. It's back to spray. Kind of like AAA ointment in this thing. Obi says, I got to take your helmet off. And Mandalorian says, you can't do it. Uh, that's uh, not the way. And he says, IG unit says, I'm not a living thing. And then he says, hello, handsome. He takes off that helmet. Whoa. And then he, he does the... um. The thing for the AAA spray for the skunk smell. Uh, and he talks about a central processing unit. He's sick. I make a joke. I made a joke. They go down the halls below in the sewer. And the IG unit, like everybody's like, is Mando coming? And he comes. He's got his headlamp on. Uh, then they're lost. Uh, they say, where are we going? And Mando goes, I don't know. I usually come in through the bazaar. I have no idea where we are. And Grief says, let's follow the river. And Mando says, we need the Mandalorians. They'll escort us out of here. And I'll just try to find their tracks. He see, you know, he does the old uh, thermal imaging thing. Oh, they're close. Uh, but then we find that they left all their armor behind. And he says, oh, dear. Mando goes down to his knees. Oh, no. And they say, let's go. He goes, I can't leave. Uh, then he gets mad. These are very typical reactions. He's mad at grief. Did you do this? Uh, no. He goes, no. Mando goes, are you sure about this? Uh, made Mandalorians take off their helmets. Uh, and then the armorer, she appears. She says, it's not his fault. Uh, and she goes, actually, no offense. But uh, she goes, we revealed ourselves. And then, the, you know, the Imperials uh, had to deal with it. And the man in Mandalorian says, oh, no. And she goes, I have to salvage what remains. That's a really nice term. Salvage what remains. Uh, then, oh, come with us. Oh, no, they say, he's, they say, come with us. She says, no, I have to salvage what remains. They go into the armor temple. She's melting down armor. Then we have another great small moment. She says, show me the one, you know, that caused all this uh, hassle poo. Uh, you actually got to read this dialogue. It's so good to you. Uh, mercenaries, covert, this is what resulted. And just getting caught up here. Show me the one who deemed, you know, this, whose safety, you know, had this uh, fallout. And then she sees, oh, so cute. She says, oh, boy. And she goes, this is the one that you saved? And he goes, yeah, the one that saved me as well. From the mud horn, eh? Yep, 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 siree. She goes, yeah, it doesn't look... Uh... He goes, yeah, it's not helpless, I'll tell you that much. It can move objects with its mind. And uh, Armour says, I know of such things. Uh, Mandalore the Great dealt with these wizards uh, named a Jedi. Or sorcerers named Jedi. Uh, and he goes, it's an enemy? She goes, no, 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 this one isn't an enemy. It's a foundling. It's in your care. And she says, basically, you got to reunite it with its own kind. This, Mandalorian goes, no. She goes, this is the way, uh, buddy. 
So that's your job. And he goes, huh, really interesting. But she's working on something the whole time. So it's not, uh, uh, he goes, what if it's a bunch of wizards uh, that don't like me? She goes, it's the way, don't, you know, deal with it. As uh, that, uh, that gymnast would say, deal with it, dude. And they say, what about a plan to get out of here? They go, she goes, underground descending tunnel, underground river, downstream to the lava flats. And they go, she goes, you must go. Uh, Foundling is in your care uh, by creed. So this is a few different times. And the, the links get even deeper. She goes, by creed, until it's united with its own kind or it becomes of age, it's in your care. You're, you're its father. Cara Dune makes a face at that. So does Oso. Papa. And that's when she says, this is a way. And she goes, by the way, congrats, you got your signet. Uh, let me put it on you here. Uh, because I just made it. And uh, that's what kind of craftsperson I am. I can do three things at once. And she goes, you're a clan of two. Congrats. Uh, Mandalorian says, thank you. I'll wear this with honor. Uh, then we hear, you know, people coming. Uh, IG, I think she sends an IG unit to deal with it. Uh, stormtroopers, uh, they say, we got to get out of here. Oh, scouting party. Uh, and then uh, the IG unit says, Kara, watch the baby. I'll go deal with the, them. Then she says, one more uh, gift for you, Mandalorian, Rising Phoenix. You know it? And he goes, yeah, I tried it as a kid. And she goes, this will make you complete. It's a jetpack. He says, thank you. She goes, when you healed, start your drills. Uh, but don't, you know, don't go flying right away. And he goes, okay, I understand. This will make you complete the drills. Uh, and then they go, why don't you come with us? She goes, my place is here. Uh, but more are coming. Then she says, Din, Din Jaren, restock your, your munitions. Uh, uh, or maybe she says, IG unit, carry this backpack. Uh, and, uh, and then hit the road. Uh, and they say, thank you. Then there's great music. Holy moly. And uh, then the armor, we get a great scene with the armor dealing with some stormtroopers. Really great moves. Uh, then we have a lava river in a skiff with a fairy droid who's not functioning currently, but some cool lava. lava. Uh, so the thing is kind of stuck, uh, and Cara Dune has to do it. Oh, I but I put 33 minutes here, so let's see what this is. There must be something else of significance. Maybe another Creed joke, probably. Oh, because uh, um, there's just more than one link to Creed from the um, Apollo Creed and then the movie's Creed. Okay, they're trying to get the boat moving. Push it. Come on. Mandalorian kicks it. Cardoon is uses her brain first to, to get it loose. And then she says, common sense, guys. What the heck? She goes, it's lava. You just got to remelt it or knock it loose. Uh, so good job. Oh, watch your feet. It's molten lava, by the way. Oh, she goes, no kidding. That's what I think that's what it was, that joke. Uh, droid wakes up. It's a R2 unit. Uh, 
Molten lava, no kidding. Uh, get to work, droid, moving us. Uh, uh, first, they have trouble, I think, community. Anyone here speak droid? A little more comedy. Uh, and then, oh, uh, Grief Cargus raises his voice instead of saying, oh, I speak droid. He just talks louder. And he says, take us down river. Uh, then they go down. We also see these lava otters that have their otters with red eyes, like a river otter, but a lava otter. And then they say, oh, boy, we're free. And they say, come on, Grief, give me a break, man. Don't you know anything about uh, structure of stories? You're not free yet. You know, we got two, two more challenges to, to in the next eight minutes. Uh, the main lord goes, no, there's a bunch of them waiting for us down there, a platoon. Then they say, stop the boat. They just said it would float down there. And they say, droid, Kara loses her temper. She says, droid, stop the boat. I'm talking to you. And, and Grief says, you got to raise your voice and talk really loud. Still moving. Unacceptable. Uh, uh, looks like we'll have to deal with them. Too many. Uh, IG unit says, this is an un- unacceptable outcome. Uh, I'll deal with it and you can get away. Mandalorian says, not possible. And IG unit says, not my objective. Uh, uh, security pro- pro- protocols uh, for my manufacturer, remember? It can't be compromised. And Mandalorian kind of says, no. And then IG unit says, yeah, this is the only choice. Uh, I can no longer carry this for you. So your, your jetpack, uh, nor watch over the child. Mandalorian says, isn't that your job? Your base command supersedes your protocols. And IG says, yeah, but, uh, you just have to give me permission that you're going to watch the kid. That's now your child, uh, baby. Oso. And then I can save the day. A child, well, he says, we need you. And, and, and Mandal- or the Igena says, victory through combat is impossible. Uh, wisdom, of, uh, wisdom of droids. Uh, just tell me you're going to watch over the child and uh, I can do it. Uh, the child will be sa- tell me the child will be safe in your care. And... <laughs> Again, at a pinnacle moment, just enough comedy. He says, uh, there's nothing to be sad about. Uh, uh, I've never been alive. I mean, really touching. This is the not comedy part. That was the touching part. That's at 35.55. And the Mandalorian says, I'm not sad. He goes, and then IG says, yes, you are. I'm a nurse droid. Uh, uh, just, just to write him out. I don't know how they, like... Uh, then he walks through lava, uh, heads out, tells some um, uh, stormtroopers, "Hey, by the way, my manufacturer's protocol make makes you all go bye bye." And they're all out. Then the skiff comes out of the thing, and uh, Grief's cargo says, "Once again, too old, too soon." Grief. Uh, that was his nickname. That's why they call him Grief Cargus. Uh, because they said every time he thinks things are going good, uh, you know, then they're not. Because uh, he says, we're good, hooray. And then a TIE fighter comes with Gideon. Uh, then uh, we see uh, uh, Gideon misses on his first pass. Then at 3750, 
again, I, like he says, uh, hey, let's make the baby do the magic hand. This is my dog. I mean, uh, cracked up too. But he says, make the baby do the magic same, same hand thing. Hey, baby, do the magic hand thing. Then uh, Kara has a look, uh, and then the baby does something funny. And they say, geez, I'm out of ideas. Uh, and the Mandalorian says, I'm not. Uh, he says, I got a jetpack. So then he tags along with the Mandalorian. Uh, he says uh, he holds on to the ship. Uh, he uses his restocked munitions to say bye-bye, uh, uh, Gideon and your TIE fighter. Uh, then the Mandalorian lands uh, on uh, with his jetpack. He's pretty good. He's like a natural uh, jetpacker. Must have had good drills as a kid. And then we get some more good dialogue that I wanted to mention. Uh, impressive, Mando. Very impressive. That's what Grief says. Your guild rates are up. Uh, sun's going down now. Uh, Kara says, I think we clean this place up. I, I'm going to stay around, though. Oso's not so sure. And they say, why are we going to stay here? And Grief says, Navarro's a great planet. No more scum and villainy. They're very respectable. You know, just some typical Star Wars humor in a good way. Because some of my favorite people are bounty hunters. Uh, maybe Kara will join my ranks. She goes, I got to get my chain coat cleaned up. And he goes, if you work with me, no doubt about it. I'll clean that up. Clerical concerns are the least of your worries. Uh, Mando, you're welcome back with open arms. Uh, Oso's watching this. He said, go, have a good time. Uh, and then you'll have your pick of quarries. And Mando goes, he picks up his baby, uh, Oso, the child. He says, yeah, I got more pressing matters at hand. Uh, and care, everybody wants to touch Oso's ears, which uh, she does. Take care of the little one. Uh, then grief touches uh, Mando's ear. I mean, uh, not Mando's ears. Uh, and they say, all right, take care, man. Mando walks off, and not into the sunset. Then he flies off uh, with Oso, who looks after grief and uh, Kara, who look after him. More pressing matters. Music on you. Uh, Mando jets out. Oso eyes. Uh, then we say goodbye to Quill. Uh, goodbye. Sun's getting even lower. Then we're back on the ship. Mando puts Oso in a basket. His basket. By the way, there's a whole. No there's another. Uh, if you're looking for another, a second floating pram, it's in Werner Herzog's office. Uh, another one, even better made. Uh, then uh, he notices uh, Oso sucking on his uh, his Mandalorian necklace. Uh, it's in his mouth and around his neck. He says, hang on to that, kid. The music is just so good. We will talk about that. Uh, uh, they take off. Then we see Karen Grief walking. We see the ship in the sky. Old whatever ship it was called that I forgot. Uh, forgot the name of the ship. I, I was hoping I would jog it out of my brain. But, yeah, not coming. Yeah, then we get a, a wait a second thing. Yeah, because as we see as the camera pans to the left, we see the TIE fighter. There's Jawas on it, but it's still somewhat intact. Uh, that's uh, Moff Gideon's. Uh, 
And then we see like this laser uh, knife, uh, like not a lightsaber, but something similar. And it glows. He gets out of his ship holding this sword, laser saber, I'd call it. He climbs up high, looks around like pride. Also, he does a lot of glaring. And the episode ends, I believe it ended with 13 to 12 to 14 paintings, but, you know, somewhere between 12 and 14, but I could be wrong. And so that was the episode. Now let's do some quick coverage here of uh, some stuff from the episode. Am I right or am I right? Okay, so the most important thing is, you know, I don't read anything about the critical response because... uh, or critical opinions of the show, just because I don't want to mix myself up. Uh, but I can imagine uh, that um, the music has been getting accolades. Uh, and Ludwig Göransson is, uh, the, and I may be pronouncing that incorrectly, uh, is a Swedish composer, conductor, and record producer. You may have heard of him before uh, because uh, he's got a, quite a body of work, but really. I mean, I don't even know what to say about, uh, like, I mean, I'd love to watch some extras about uh, the music on this series because I don't think I can say enough about I don't, the use of music and sound effects, uh, uh, but by reading. Uh, so if you've seen any Ryan Coogler movies, uh, uh, so Fruitvale Station, uh, Black Panther, uh, Creed, and Creed Two. So just talk about a small world, uh, like, it's just funny. Uh, Donald Glover or Childish Gambino, uh, Kendrick Lamar, uh, Chance the Rapper, uh, Community, uh, uh, Happy Endings, New Girl. Uh, so co- collaborated with Childish Gambino, uh, produced uh, This Is America, uh, originally from uh, uh, Sweden, uh, film and TV, TV composer. Uh, Work with a fellow USC graduate, uh, Ryan Coogler, who's uh, from Oaktown on Fruitvale Station, uh, then signed a deal with uh, Jay-Z's Rock Nation as a composer, uh, worked on the movie Worth Millers, uh, then worked on Creed, uh, then worked on Black Panther. I'm sure in between tons and tons of stuff, uh, I'm just running through what I have here in front of me. Also, Trolls World Tour, so maybe even has worked with uh, the, uh, in some sense, uh, the 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 Goof Boys. Uh, so you know, who knows? Uh, which would then just circle back to Lynn. Uh, uh, you got community. You worked on Community uh, with Donald Glover. So the uh, links to Dan Harmon. So just like uh, talk about cool. Wow, I mean. But all that aside, holy moly, the music on this show. Uh, I, I mean, you should just, like you say, well, what? Do, what do you, I mean, it's a huge part of Star Wars and most things, but this was not John Williams' music, uh, even in stylistically. Uh, I don't want to, I guess you can't say, oh, better, or, or, or you know, you don't compare it that way, but... Uh, it was just brilliant. I mean, I, I can't say enough about it. 
Okay, let's get some SAT words. Covert, C-O-V-E-R-T. Uh, not openly practiced, avowed, or engaged in, accumulated, or shown. Covered over, sheltered. That was the case in this episode. Uh, or a covered place, a hideout, a thick underbrush. Uh, uh, that's covert. Uh, also concealed, you know. So that, that's one word. Make them up. Uh, <laughs> how about so, so shall we all? It's actually so say we all. And uh, that was... Uh, 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 on your own, like a, a phrase in the TV show Battlestar Galactica. Uh, but it's also the name of the unofficial, complete uncensored oral history of Battlestar Galactica. So I found this review of the book on Tor.com by Ryan Britt uh, from August 21st, 2018. Uh, you know, a lot of it, this is paraphrasing, uh, that a lot of behind the scenes books, you know, show the flashy sides. Uh, or, you know, about the, you know, like the stuff behind the scenes. Uh, but Ed Gross and Mark A. Altman uh, turned their journalistic sensibilities into the real story behind Battlestar Galactica. And guess what? Turns out most of the people who worked with one another liked each other a lot. It's easy to take one huge takeaway from So Say We, so say we All. Uh, uh, it's that the struggles of both versions of Battlestar Galactica mirrored the premises of both series. Uh, the actors and writers face more adversity from without than within uh, because of other things outside forces trying to shut it down. And so, uh, so say we show. So, it's a book if you're a Battlestar Galactica fan, sci fi TV show fan, check out that book. So, say, say we all. Okay, aerosol paint, a.k.a. spray paint, uh, you looked that up because they said, what about that thing in the spray paint can? It's a type of paint, according to Wikipedia, sealed pressurized container, aerosol spray by depressing a valve. Uh, leaves a smooth, evenly coated surface unless Scoots is doing it. Sometimes you use primer. Uh, History-wise, 1949, Edward Seymour of Sycamore, Illinois, added paint to existing spray can technology at his wife Bonnie's suggestion. So it should be Bonnie who gets the credit, uh, by the way. Got a patent for that in uh, 1951. Uh, many aerosol paints have a marble, metal, glass, or plastic ball called a P, P-E-A, inside the can used to mix the paint. Uh, yeah, this is very good for the paint to be transferred from one thing to another. I don't understand that. Uh, it's got a valve, you know, you know, it gets used everywhere, but uh, also unmistakable sound, that sound of that the P metal thing in the can. Okay, here's another word for you uh, students out there. Astute, A-S-T-U-T-E, astute. Uh, as an adjective, it means quickly or critically discerning or shrewd or crafty. This is according to Wikidictionary. And I guess that's it, uh, anagrams, uh, I can't find, oh, statue, so there's another one, if you're a statue astute, and then here's another one, magistrate, uh, M-A-G-I-S-T-R-A-T-E, magistrate, uh, 
I mean, these aren't going to win you the uh, Scripps spelling bee or, you know, the five, you know, get you a whatever, 2000 on the SAT. So it'll help, you know. Yeah, that's all I'm looking to do. Magistrate is a judicial officer with limited authority to administer and enforce the laws. Uh, a high official, a comparable official, or someone with a master's degree. Um, so nothing great. Uh, anagram is sterigamata. Uh, let's just look up that word. Uh, S-T. E R I G M A T A Sterigmata Sterigmata which is a plural of uh, sterigmatum which is uh, is this I might have gone down some uh, it's a thin projection of the basidum in those fungi that bear basidophores for so any of that is for the kids. Any of that you could it's, you could look up. B B S. You know that one you'll have to look up on your own if you want to win the spelling bee and uh, you know have a perfect score on the SAT because that is beyond me. But you could just use the links and do some link following. You could figure that out. Now I know I know that uh, there's a TV show BattleBots, but you know I was like I watched BattleBots, but I was a Robot Wars fan. Uh, before BattleBots, it would be on late Sunday nights. Uh, the the um, the Craig Charles version. Uh, I guess Jeremy Clarkson was on one season. Then Craig Charles was on like six seasons. I didn't watch it after. Oh, there was a long break, uh, and then I guess it got rebooted. Uh, it was a robot competition, British television, from nineteen ninety eight to two thousand four. So that's when I was watching it at the end of the 90s, the beginning of late night TV. Uh, amateur and professional robot roboteers uh, operating their own uh, robot, remote controlled robots uh, in an arena. But there's also like uh, obstacle courses and stuff. It was on BBC Two, uh, then BBC Choice, uh, then Channel Five. Uh, then a, there was a revival. Jeremy Clarkson was in the first series. And then Craig Charles, you know, Red Dwarf Craig Charles, uh, from Master Mayhem. He was so good. I, I just, like, that's what made the show for me. And then I had trouble transitioning to uh, BattleBots. Not that I didn't like it or everybody involved with that. It was just that Craig was so good. Uh, then they, you know, did a U.S. version, a Netherlands version. Uh, so yeah, so that was like uh, Robot Wars, uh, BattleBots. Uh, now they did have Sklar Brothers at some point. Oh, Bill Nye was on it. Uh, Tim Green, uh, Molly McGrath, uh, Samantha Ponder, Carmen Electra. Oh, there's the Sklar's. That's when I watched. It was when the Sklar's were, Sklar's were on it. So that was similar, but that one was more uh, just b battles and uh, like robots having like uh, dance competitions. Uh, it was offshoot of Robot Wars. Uh, let's see. Oh, I guess the partner, there's some partners, you know, it was in, oh, Sam, Robot Bird. Oh, I think I almost tried to go to it. Uh, there was one time 40,000 people watched a live stream in Long Beach. Yeah, uh, but yeah, it was uh, uh, it was pretty good. I mean, I just remember watching that one series with the Scholars. Uh, 
but it looks like there was a lot of other ones. So I probably saw some of the other ones as well. Uh, but yeah, so that was another thing I'll link to. Uh, let's see. We got one last thing I like to. At some point, someone ha- ha- hold on came up, which is a Wilson Phillips song from 1990, and the debut album Wilson Phil- Wilson Phillips, uh, and it got Song of the Year. Oh no, Lost uh, to From a Distance by uh, Julie Gold and performed by Bette Midler. So I mean, what are you gonna do? Yeah, it was a number one. It became their first number one single in 1990. Yeah, hold on, peaked in the UK. So just a song, you know, everybody started. I don't want to go too deep into it. Uh, and then finally, before we say goodnight, uh, here's Wendy Marstrap. Hey, everybody, it's me, Wendy Marstrap, your favorite uh, traveler from Star Wars, and letting you know places you could go other than when you go on Star Tours or those theme parks. If you really want to go to Star Wars, here's a fun place for you to visit. And I'm here with my Dubak Dewey, uh, telling you to check out Alderaan, which is a planet in Star Wars. It's blue-green, and it's a terrestrial planet. Cerecynthia Dune is from there. Uh, mostly humanoid inhabitants, also the home planet of Princess Leia, by the way. Now, you do need a time machine if you want to go, but, I mean, either way, it was a long time ago. So don't worry about, you know, if you're a real Star Wars fan, you might say, what, what, what? Uh, but you could still visit it because, you know, the only way to visit it is through fan fiction, a fantasy machine. Its population peaked around 2 billion and, you know, a lot of stuff going into it. But I just want you to know that it's beautiful. It has beautiful lakes. A bit like people say, like, you know, uh, George Clooney goes to Lake Cuomo. Well, there's Lake Thune in Alderaan, which is beautiful. And you should think about visiting there. There's also mountains and snow. So if you like, you know, snow stuff, you could go there. Uh, so that's just a few ways that you, you could visit Alderaan. Check it out. Uh, go visit it. Enjoy it. Uh, Alderaan. This is Dewey Dubak. Oh, no, this is uh, Wendy Marshstrap and Dewey the Dubak. For, st- you know, saying visit some stuff in Star Wars. Good night.